Right, this is going to be a new episode of Summoning Insight. Episode whatever, season whatever, it doesn't matter. It's not like Stranger Things, you don't really need to know exactly where we're at, do you? All you need to know is we're not dead yet and we haven't made it. The League of Legends is still going on. So obviously this show is sponsored by Esports Bet. Now, as you'll know, in all big games, they run the Esports Bet World's Prediction Series contest, which is a 10 million USDT prize pool. So it's in League of Legends, like all the major regions, LEC, LCK. By the way, forget major regions, even PCS, VCS, all that jazz, CB, LOL, all on there. If you want to bet on other games, like IEM, Cologne, and CSGO, by the way, on the YouTube channel for CSGO, there's now a competitive edge for the planes for that, if you wanted to bet on that. But anyway, if you're back in League of Legends, join this competition for free. Just go to the website, sign up. They'll give you some DJT. You can start betting. Basically, think of it like a prediction leaderboard. And if you get up to a certain point, you can win prize money, which is hundreds of thousands of USDT. Also, as well as the free competition... Obviously, it's free, just like the country of America on this day. Although, is it really? It's free by the most technical standards. In this case, it actually is free. America, that's actually not that free a country anymore. Sadly, that's actually why that, that's sort of become a bit marketing. But whatever, the premise was there in the initial days. Also, you can obviously bet any crypto you have otherwise. And if you do indeed deposit your crypto, you will also tangentially to the World's Prediction Series contest get a 50x deposit bonus in DJT as a bonus, as I say. So you can also use those to bet on this particular competition anyway. We'll talk about that later in the episode. Yeah, use our referral link below uh, on Twitch. You, know, you can get it in the Twitch chat as well. Uh, you can get it in the YouTube. Uh, also, by the way, guys, just other announcements. Please subscribe to our YouTube and Twitch channels. That really helps us or follow the Twitch channel. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow the Spotify channels uh, as an announcement. This show is on Spotify. If you're following the old show and you're like, why isn't it updating? It's because we have a new channel on Spotify. So just use your little fingers and type Summoning Insight. Or there's a link in the YouTube video as well. Um and that's because we have video now on Spotify. So if you prefer to watch on Spotify, totally cool. Why don't you go do that? And Best Damn League Show and Monty and Wolf Show also on Spotify on video now. So you watch it whatever way you want. You're fucking welcome. And if you don't watch it, there's Insight Express where they catch up on the highlights or interesting topics from all the shows that we do on this League of Legends channel. That's right. Uh, we have a new editor, Adanian, who's been helping us with that. So we are going to be able to, if we have topics, like Excel was obviously a big topic across multiple sh of our shows last week. So that'll be a, a shorter form series. So now you guys get Summoning Insight, Best Damn League Show, w Monty and Wolf Show, Clips, Insight Express, Competitive Edge, League of Legends. You guys get it all. It's all there for your enjoyment every week. We're pumping it out more CSGO content on our CSGO channel as well. So really exciting stuff for you guys with Inside on Esports. Hopefully you'll be enjoying it uh, for the rest of the summer season and into Worlds. Um, also, if you guys missed it, we're going to start talking about LCK here. But we did have an interview of over an hour with Arnold, the CEO of Gen G, on the Monty and Wolf show this week. If you're curious about how he tempted Chovy to join Gen V Gen G assembled that roster uh, his thoughts on what you can do what he wants to have done uh, to build LCK in the future it's all very interesting so go ahead and check out that must have been there. a tricky negotiation because he's like I don't understand why does it have to be in the contract that one of the other traditional laning positions cannot have a world-class player 
And he's like, listen, I'm Chovy. That's just what I do, baby. Like, you know, it wouldn't be a great storyline if I, if the team actually won any of these games. No, anyway, before we get into that, though, I actually have some more low-key waffle slash scene-related stuff I thought we would briefly touch on, right? Sure. Because I, this is an angle where our experience on camera and doing shoulder content, actually, I think we can provide some interesting insight to people for what to them would just be generic shoulder content. So I saw today, maybe it was yesterday, I don't know, that LEC released the latest of those pop quiz features they do Monty. Oh yeah. Where it's the short one where they have different ones. Like they've done ones in the past, like name the players who won worlds or whatever. You I know. was fun. I enjoyed that. There one. Some hilarious ones in that. Like El Yoya thought that like top esports won at an event. Like <laughs> I think like he that was the one before he was in Mad, but even so it was like really, really, really okay. <laughs> so there was some really wild ones. But anyway, they did one today that was one, in my opinion, one of the hardest of those, which is about where you have to guess the ability, right? There's a few things to this one I thought we would say, because fans are just, and then they're just going to think, did he get it right or wrong? First of all, those features, by the way, are about, I'm not exaggerating, if you've never done one, they are about 10 times harder than you think sat at home. Because what you're not getting is you're sat at home. You don't even have a time limit. You could pause the video and think about it. You could not have any answer. Then when he says it, go, oh, yeah, it could have been Lee Sin Q, even though you didn't think Lee Sin Q. First of all, they have to, on the spot, give an answer. And secondly, if you know anything about how on-camera works, where you have the feeling that I'm on camera now and I have pressure because people want an answer and I've got a limited amount of time, I can't just wait 20 seconds for a time that means by the way you forget tons of things you know in your brain it's even why people will just say they'll have a brain fart they'll just say like TSM when they mean cloud nine and then some fun will be like lol it was CA9 it's like look at the context of what he said he probably meant C9 so the point is first of all don't judge talent because I saw it was the casters doing it don't judge him too harshly like guarantee Cadrill knows all those bloody abilities obviously doesn't he and then secondly I actually think Loki as I mentioned dude I think the ability one is the hardest of all of them that oh, they do yeah. because mate remember what makes League of Legends patch notes like being on the bloody edge of like reading some fucking astrophysics paper is every ability doesn't just do one thing does it it does like got four different stats things of like right it like it does on hit CC but then it gives a small shield scaling by the distance that you are away which then if you land the second CC it does as crit but then that active procs that fuck you like no one remembers any of that even if you play put it this way I played Pike all the time I bet I couldn't name what all the abilities do I could say like one throws a hook or something for a does this though like doesn't it like no one knows those so I already think that's really hard so even though I, I saw like Cadron for example was really bad he got nearly all of them wrong he got so many wrong even on Champions E players but like I don't blame him I think those features are really hard I think people don't underestimate because it's a classic problem with analyst desk, isn't it? They always think if you slip up once, like, he's an idiot. It's like, you know how hard that is to do. It's not, just getting your words out without slipping up a, a skill. Yeah, and also, at least in terms of abilities, I mean, some of the abilities just have the world's stupidest names that, you, as a caster, you basically, oh, like, you, you can never, ever say Lilia's watch out Eep on a broadcast like there you just you have to you have to use the letters that are associated with them and oftentimes especially like quickshot had that unique element didn't he? that was yeah. his branding if people remember in the early days he wanted to be the guy who didn't say like lee yeah. z he wanted to say whatever the fuck that ability is right and and like a lot of times too um you know there, there is kind of a general way that they design league of legends champions yes. and decide which ability to put on yes. which button um because like e is generally like the longer cooldown movement ability q is like usually the 
the lower, like the lower cooldown, more like spammable signature ability. So there is actually a logic in the way that they do things so that most champions follow kind of a, a specific pattern. Not always, obviously, because champions do different things, but it's a lot easier to remember that way, generally speaking, than it is to remember all of the individual ability names. Plus, I mean, very few people know all the individual ability names if oh, your name no, is in Quickshot. <laughs> so, I mean, the uh, joke is, like, the, like I said, even people who mained these champions in pro play don't all <laughs> always know the name and every single aspect of what the ability does because remember this is why i've always pointed out even faker isn't really calculating those players where he gets away with two health nobody can do that you just play by feel and if you're lucky and you're a genius like faker on csgo simple or something yes your feel is like essentially like cheats where you just know where the guy is but you're still going off feel too you don't really calculate all that the other thing i wanted to say was this though monty here's what's crazy it took them until a couple of years ago to figure out this content was just there on the table to be taken in League of Legends, Monty. You know, the LCS still doesn't even do this content. This is why esports is so underwhelming. Right? You have to understand, guys, the reason why I don't get a big head about being really good at esports is... Who the fuck am I competing against? I'm on some like one-eyed man is the king in the kingdom of the blind level shit here. Because one thing I always thought was hilarious is, you know, you know in CSGO, that's where this content first came from, Monty. And it was actually from betting companies, if you remember. They would get teams that they were partnered with and they would do this sort of content like overrated, underrated, and they'd ask the players. Here's what I never understood. ESL and Blast were just sat back going... Yeah, let's just let them, a rival, though, an independent company that has nothing to do with our event, keep doing that content with the players in our event. Let's not, you know, on media day, why don't we just do that video ourselves? Like, I'll go one further, mate. If I was in, like, G2, I would just do that video myself anyway. Like, I get that you might do it for your sponsors. I would just do that, mate. I would just go and ask Jan Corson Cap, overrated, underrated, perks, and whatever. It's free content. So <laughs> that's one area. I actually, props to LEC for doing those and having a nice variety of them and getting different people mixed in. Because I think that area, it's so simple to do i know you have to logistically get people in a room that's true but once you get them there first of all if you don't know spoiler they also don't just film one of these they film like four of them in a day or something you do them in a row oh, yeah and then of course. so it's easy it's totally easy logistically once you get them there and secondly it's just fun content who doesn't like those they're, they're great to put in the background yeah I, I i've enjoyed all of those like it's been funny to to and it's also it really it serves two purposes which i think is really smart like first off it it engages your viewers because it's fun, like you're saying, but it also reminds them in a very clever way about what champions are in the meta right now and what they do. So like maybe you're a more casual player or you haven't caught up in a while and you watch this content. You're like, oh, I remember what this ability does. Or I remember the history of worlds, for example. Or, yes. You know, it, it's a refresher course that... It, you know, it, maybe you didn't watch all those worlds, but now you know you have a better sense of who won, who was doing well at the time. So it really just it, it engages the fan base in a fun way, but it also educates your fan base about how the state of the game right now and the history of the game, which is just fucking great. Um, you know, another oh, thing. That, way, though, the other one thing that did make me laugh though is, even though I gave that whole disclaimer, like don't take it, to, don't be too harsh when Cadre fucked up. And, and by the way, he totally cursed himself by saying at the beginning, like as long as I don't come last, they came last. Spoiler. So anyway, <laughs> the like one that I did Cadre. laugh at, the one I did laugh at though, because since it's so tricky to guess all the abilities, they were doing the one where you just look at the ability, like the what the box looks like, the art on the fucking Q. You don't know what their letter is, right? And the only one I did laugh at was when Trouble Link didn't get the one for Orion Song. He's in the actual picture of the ability. <laughs> that was the only one because it was like, 
Yeah, listen, I think it was like really of, small on a Yeah, listen, for the other ones, don't worry. You can get like you can get all the names wrong a million times. Like, who the, like when it's like Starlight, whatever. Who thought? There's about a million chapters that could be. But that theme's not even unique, is it? But yeah, that one was funny. Although I will say, so, this actually shows, by the way, that she definitely has. I, I should really ask her. That. I wonder what where in the UK she like was living for a while because she does have that really weird like London twang to her voice. Where she like, dude, the joke is, even though she's Greek, she could probably do that thing that everyone thinks British people do, where they go like bottle of water. Or, it's not like teasing it or. <laughs> Whatever. She could do that. That's like her accent. That's like she is how she talks. Fair play. Speaking of the, <laughs> it's just a funny sidebar, but like funny esports stories. If you guys haven't seen, there's a there's an old video now from WCG that the Dota community loves um, called Doa casts Dota, um, where he was basically forced to cast Dota at WCG because you have to cast a bunch of games. And he didn't know anything about Dota. And on top of that, while the the stream was in English, he was casting off of like a Chinese client in China. So speaking of the Aurelian Soul one, there's a really fu funny moment in the, there's like a clip compilation of this where Doa, and it's Valdez as well, who casts LCK now. Oh, so it's right, him, yes. him and yeah, Valdez yeah. casting together. Um, and it, it, again, it was from like 10 years ago. And uh, so there's a really funny moment where they're in draft and they pick Windrunner and the voice line says, Windrunner at your service. And Doa's like, I think it's like Ranger. So it just hey, makes boy. him seem really stupid. Yes. But you have to know that he couldn't actually hear the yes. English language. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so he got he got mega trolled by yeah. having to cast it a game. Funny, though, I agree. He, make it funny, so yeah. the Dota community yes. absolutely fucking loved him because sure. it was so funny. Uh, he, he and Valdez really crushed it. Um, but yeah, that's a funny like clip segment if you guys want to go watch that at some point in time. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up about LEC was like, I really enjoyed the card game segment oh, that, that was they mega, did wasn't this it? week. That was very apparently, well executed. Scale. Yeah, apparently Dracos wrote it and like just the production value to go through, write that skit, create all those cards. They look great, by the way. They looked like magic. They cards, look, they? Yeah. yeah, they look so yeah. good. And like what they did was like include all of the caps narratives of like, you know, the 2018 caps oh, and, the, you know, the fanatic G2. Yeah, like exactly. the layers of jokes in there were just amazing. And, that. Yeah. And even like, thought, by the way, this is the one area normally I, I would never expect a Riot broadcast to actually do this. They even poked fun. Remember, this is the LEC of the notion that Fnatic winning season one worlds is bullshit. They actually poked fun of that on the broadcast. That's legit, by the way. Whoever getting that joke through actually almost gives me like a tiny bit of hope for like European League of Legends that I can get that. Because that if that was like the American equivalent, Monty, they would never touch that with a fucking million, like with a barge pole, mate. You would never even touch that. It would be the sacred cow, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. They actually they banter themselves that it's not a real championship well, I, I like how it was only quick shot too where it's like the card is like so yeah, scotch exactly. like yeah. bent <laughs> and Mag's just like no because yeah, the joke is they were making it like it's a black lotus or something that you obviously wouldn't be allowed to like use in play now or something yeah exactly I know. <laughs> but he's like no that's bullshit um, so yeah I think Medic and Quickshot did a great job of that apparently Dracos wrote it um, it, I just really respect that because it also it was so fast paced that even recording that probably took like a million takes uh, because there's so much information in the yeah. script that they're going through. So that was like really, really high effort, guys. It was really funny. Um, and again, it's another piece that you get to talk about, you know, Caps's crowd buff now in the current narrative, but you also get to talk about the history of Caps in this matchup. And yes. it wasn't in, it wasn't in a book. Well, it, it even had real info, yeah, that you real things that would help you potentially watch matches and all the history of the game. Yeah, it wasn't just fluff. Yeah. Yeah, it was no. good. 
Yeah, I thought I thought it was really, really fun to watch. And like you could appreciate it if you knew very little about it. And if you yes. if you watch the entire history, like I think you really appreciate it because there are so many different oh, layers well, well to the jokes. Yeah. Um so yeah. Fucking good. Fucking good content. Thing is uh, though, I will say, I hope you understand that content con idea has fucking legs. You could do loads of those. Like I would do one where it's like, oh, but it's gonna be the year of the dark. Like, nope, sorry, the fish yours actually a GM now. I'm gonna have to remove that out of the into the graveyard. <laughs> you could do so many angles, couldn't you? It'd be great. It'd be yeah. brilliant, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I... it's a random aside, just because people will enjoy it on this show. This was years and years ago, to be fair, when he'd only just gotten big and he started the core stream and stuff. I remember asking LS early on, like, you are like investing all this money though. You have got like a whole business strategy, and it's not just like you're not just spending it or making it right. And he did tell me about he goes well, i've got that black lotus and stuff and i was like no, don't even say that to me like <laughs> like he said that so he had like gold bullion in a bag so like what if tomorrow just were nothing like you but whatever you have to know unless to know why he would think that so i've got i've got some assets what's, inflationary assets. what's also funny is like um so like <laughs> i love it, pa I just love pa it. papa smithy like co-invested in in like the black lotus from this LS. is some nerd shit. They think they're like a Wall Street as man. He was like, he like bought this like really. I mean, it has gone up in value a lot, so oh, it actually turned out to like, be a very. Is it like forty k or hundred k or something ridiculous? Oh, it's more than that, I think. It's oh, really, like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's look. It's, I, I get the I get the sort of bucket list angle that like if you were a nerd like I was in the nineties, mate. The idea you could ever even own that's like impossible. You'd never obviously. Yeah. So like, I get the idea that to them it is like having a Lambo, but it's still ridiculous to buy. But, but it is funny that LS was like selling. Equity shares in his black lotus. I, I was with. He's like, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it is. It is just super fun. That's what happens when you give nerds money. We never <laughs> should have given y'all money. Exactly. We're gonna we're gonna pool our money and buy the rarest magic card. Exactly. And hermetically seal it in a plastic block. Uh, yeah, it's too it's too fucking funny, man. Um, I started I started playing this, uh, this. There's a new card game, so. Basically, I was really into Legend of the Five Rings, and uh, it got killed by Fantasy Flight, the company that made it, which made me very sad. So uh, Uber, the Overwatch caster, and Doe and I have started playing this game called Flesh and Blood. And it's so funny, because like what I loved about L5R was you just bought, like when the cards came out, you just got all the cards, like you paid 20 bucks right. and just got all the cards, okay. so it wasn't random, right? And now I'm playing Flesh and Blood, which is random. And it's just so funny, because like I actually just don't care about card rarity. I just want to play the game. And so Uber and Doe are like these giant nerds about card rarity and like foils and like, you know, all oh, this really rare card, and they want to just like encase it in kryptonite or a uh, carbonite, excuse me, Im immediately. And uh, I'm just like, oh, is that valuable? And uh, so it's been fun. It's been fun. Uh, a lot oh, of people. By the way, the one thing I didn't say, though, this is the part that I think is mad. This is where people don't go far enough in esports. I'm not joking, Monty. If I was LEC, I would do a deal with the teams for a profit share and make an actual card set like that. Dude, I would oh, buy yeah. it. That actually looked good. First of all, Magic the is a fun premise anyway for a game. Everyone can pick it up. It's Hearthstone, basically. And secondly, if it actually was good, like, actually, as you said, it wasn't like they just made the joke, like, haha, there's a there's a card that has caps on. The card, I was like, you could tell Dracos has played Magic the Gathering. It was appropriate to how. Oh, yeah. You would structure a, a champion and then a, a fucking character or whatever, and then out monster, and then how you would like all the fucking factors and the aura and the buffs. And stuff. It was really well done. I would I, That would actually be a banger piece of merch. That's why my joke was, it's so good. Of course, it's fictional. That's just eSports merch <laughs> in a nutshell, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think having it be a real game is probably like a development cost you don't want to have go in, but just having it as a collector's item just for fun, like not actually having it be a game, I think is pretty cool. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good, it was a really good idea. I hope they do more of it. Like, like you said, there's so many jokes you could write into that concept. Oh, know, like, we should just do it. It's like, we should it's just, like, it'll have to be in the future, but we'll just get a car, like a summoning insight game well, on that made with all the stupid <laughs> things that we have, you know, but it, it, like morning, about, forgiving joins your game. Now you must suck a dick or win. Like, you know, like the next, <laughs> if you do not win in the next four turns, you must win. Whatever. You well, can, the year we could go with the year of the duck is honestly like super funny. That's like, good one. like if you had Nuke Duck, you could cancel him out with any yes. of the other Year of the Ducks. But like 2022 Year of the Duck is actually like the trump card. We really, really funny. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Really, really funny. Um, all right. Shall we talk about some some matches before we bring yeah. Sven on? Uh, LCK, obviously the the hot topic here. And we didn't get to talk a lot about matches on the Monty and Wolf show because it was dominated by the, the Gen G Let me set it up like this then. Because here's the premise of how I want to ask you about LCK, Monty. If anyone's seen the Competitive Edge episodes we've done where they featured bets around LCK matches, the main theme has been this. Because they were undefeated last split, every single time T1's the favourite, no matter what, doesn't matter who they're playing, doesn't matter how T1's playing, doesn't matter how the opponent's playing, doesn't matter what style the opponent's playing, what the meta is. So, the, spoiler, right? We've been constantly crafting these matchups where maybe this team could be the one that upsets T1. Maybe they can. Do you actually think T1, like, are, are they still flawed? Are they ever yeah. have they ever gotten back? Because it feels like even though they <laughs> even though they won, I mean, against G two and made the final, like, they never really ever did fully power up in those. Like for me, whatever happened in that group stage at MSI sort of broke this team a bit, mate. They've never quite come back together as a unit after that. I don't think. So it's been it's been a little bit of a, a roller coaster, I think, with T one because in week one they were doing a bunch of weird strategies and having mixed success, kind of looking questionable even in their wins. Then they bounce back week two, and I think they look stronger. Um, and then this week, obviously, I think it was a bit of a trap game against Guangdong Freaks because look, you know, they were coming into this week. They probably were doing a lot of their preparations for DRX later in the week because that was a much more threatening opponent. Um, Guangdong isn't very good, uh, but they did play well in this series. But honestly, I think a lot of it was, um, we saw how good Seraphine is in the, in the LCK. And after these games, the rise of Seraphine across the rest of the week was like pretty rapid. So sometimes this can happen where, for example, a scrim meta can develop and certain teams will know about the Seraphine and other teams may not um, because they haven't scrimmed against these opponents. So like what happens in scrims guys, just so you're aware is one team will bring out a champion, right? And then they'll scrim against a team and then they may just dominate that team. And the next day, the team, that got dominated will then take that champion against a different opponent. So there's kind of this like cycle of scrims where when when a meta starts to form, uh, certain teams will know about it, but it may take a couple of like a week for all of the teams to know about it. And so if and T1 you also get fucked over, if you notice, because you notice in your description there, I'll extend it further. Imagine Team A uses the Seraphine and they've it's their concept, Monty. So they're amazing. So because they smash Team B, Team B uses it against Team C and things. I sort of know what was going on here. And Team B wins. So then Team C just goes, Seraphine is OP. So yeah. then Team C, are you ready? Plays Team D, but just loses. So Team yeah. D goes, it's overrated, Seraphine. Yes. You can deal with it. And then you let Team A picking against it. That's what really happens. That's yeah. how scrim metas actually That's can so even true. fuck you, even when you're in the bubble because you're on the wrong half of the bubble or whatever, you know. Yeah. You, you, maybe like the, the team yes. you play against, uh, they suck at Seraphine, right? And so exactly. you, you just get this really bad read. 
Um, and you're not playing it yourself. Even if you have a good Seraphine player, maybe that player is like, ah, oh, it's not so good. But anyway, this is to say many people, I think, knew that Seraphine was on the up and up um, it, it, just from anecdotal experience or looking at high solo queue, right? Uh, and it comes out. And I think that what we should credit Kwangdong with was some really fucking good drafts, uh, honestly. And they came in, and it, it, this is this is how trap games occur. Maybe T1 didn't take them seriously. Also, Kwangdong, they were sniping T1. They played weird yes. shit, and they played it pretty well. And Which is even the freaks' old MO, if people remember. They always <laughs> used to have the bullshit, because they used to literally have Isle of Oo back in the day. They used to literally do the sniper draft every time against these fucks and just upset them. <laughs> Except this time it's Kane, if people don't know the old Team Liquid coach. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Kwangdong comes in, and basically what they've got is they've got a few different iterations of a draft that is effectively great scaling, really high engage um, and high crowd control um, that that is going to be extremely effective uh, for them. Um, you know, a lot of sustain as well, so that they want to fight these really elongated team fights. And they lose the first game rolling with the Orn in the mid lane, which was one of the obviously very high engage picks that they have. Um, and that leads into the second draft where Orn gets banned, right? And so it, they thought it was enough of a threat. But then this is where the Seraphine comes in. And the Seraphine is in both of the next two games and provides a lot of extremely high value. But Kwangdong in their second draft is running with Imperial Mandate Swain as well as Senna and like a fasting Senna with Seraphine building like Leandri's Magi Magi's and um, Seraph's Embrace. So there's so, a comp you've never played against ever. <laughs> yeah, right. And they have a Viga go to for resets, but it's like the amount of engage is crazy. Uh, the amount of heals coming in onto the Swain is also crazy. Oh, so ridiculous. Swain just becomes unkillable. unkillable. Yeah, yeah. and especially because T1, yes, they've got a Zero Gwen, but the Callista really isn't working out for them. And so this leads into adaptation. So they say, okay, uh, you know, the 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 Senna is really the problem. Like oh. if we take away the Senna, then the Seraphine can't farm. Uh, we're also going to ban the Swain uh, so that this can't work. Okay, well they just go right back to mid Orn, and then they they play fasting Ash. Uh, and the Ash obviously provides more kiting, more engage. So now you have Wukong engage, you have Orn engage in the third game, you have you have Seraphine engage, you have Ash engage, you have Nar engage, and there, it's an unkillable front line, effectively. Like, how do you kill with Lissandra Lee oh, Sin? Um, yes, they've got a GP, and yes, they've got a Jinx, but T1's thinking, okay, if we just swap out the Callista, once we get a pick, okay, then the Jinx is going to get excited, but how do you get a pick? You can't kill their front line. And you, if they, you get into their back line, well, Hoyt just, he builds a Quicksilver Sash. So you can't Lissandra ult him. So like, basically you can never kill Hoyt by the end of this game on the Seraphine. You're never going to get into the back line. You can't kill their front line and they just grind you down over time with all of this crowd control and front to back team fighting. And I think Kwangdong realized that if we just play high engage, and the thing about this is it's non-committal engage too. It's like, who cares if we miss an Orn ult? Who cares if we miss an Ash ult? Who cares if we miss a Seraphine ult? We just pull back and that's it. We're not committed to bad fights. So you have so many tools in order to engage. Um, 
And very creative mid lane drafting as well to offset yeah. Faker. Yeah, it's very interesting yeah. the way they do that. I mean, that. Swain, Swain obviously, you know, T1's a it's team. That, a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that is used Swain <clears> as well. He's on mid picks, though, are very impressive, though. I didn't expect that to come out. Yeah, and the Orn was, it was rough into his ear, right? But it's not so rough if you're playing into a Lissandra. Um, and you really just see the scaling power of this composition, too. So I think this these comps were, like, very targeted against T1 because T1 has been a little bit predictable. When they, when they were... They started the they started LCK this year playing a lot of you know they wanted to play fasting Senna with like Yasuo or they wanted to play Kalista um, with uh, you know they they have been trying to play early game and they've been wanting to also play a lot of Lee Sin and owner's been really good on Lee Sin but then Kwangdong is just like okay let's just play super conservatively mega tanks hard out scale uh, you know sustain tanks in Swain's case. And yeah, that's what we'll just wait and we'll force them to do something. And if they play some of these early game champions like Callisto or Lee Sin, we're just going to have an insane advantage by the end. So yeah, uh, you know, and also like T1 really likes to play Tom Kench right now. Uh, and you know, they're going to do that. You, you just know they're going to do it because um, Korea is probably the best Tom Kench player in the world. So it's a really hard punish, I think. And Very Gumusi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think obviously like T1 didn't come into this expecting Seraphine and mid Orn. Um, that's very clear. Uh, but Guangdong, I think, played a, a strong series and, and knew their win conditions. They itemized correctly. Like I love the QSS coming in oh, on point. Um, so they were smart and they got incredibly bodied <laughs> later that same week by Gen G, which We'll we'll talk about as well, uh, because Genji looks really good. I've got but, two quick points on this though. One yeah. is one: if you're a Teddy admirer, and I I love me some Teddy, what a glorious series to just beat your whole team and show that you know what, pretty good fucking player, pretty reliable ADC, right? And then secondly, this series actually does have a spiritual connection to the later series against um fucking was it DRX? Is that who I'm thinking of? Was it DRX? Yes, they played DRX the same week. Because yep. I saw someone made a joke, but it's a fucking banger joke. Honestly, I can't remember your name, random person on Reddit. But it was a great line. Because it is relevant to this series, Monty. In the series against DRX, obviously they took Callista for deft. And someone said that, that like, they basically DRX did T1 a favour by denying Yushi yeah. the Callista. Whoever <laughs> did that joke, that is well played. Because I agree. That's the thing. This is the this is the problem I have with Gumiushi, Monty, is the more time goes on, the more cracks appear. Not the opposite. It's not like there was an initial flaw because you're young and a rookie and you're going to develop it. It's all okay. Like, for example, if you tell me this guy's amazing mechanics, he's like a hard carry ADC. Can't play Callista, of course. Like, what? Well, can he play then? Like, the problem is, mate, he has certain champions he is amazing on. The rest, though, he's just an okay player at LCK. He's not, he's not, for me, he's not like a true star player yet. Depends, because it's very much depending on how the team plays and what champion he gets on. He's not a guy you can just know every game is going to carry. Yeah. And I think there, so there's two historical points here that I want to touch on about T1. And one is like, considering you are the esports historian, the, their match win streak in LCK stopped at 24. So it's definitely one of the most impressive oh, uh, win streaks in esports history. Ones. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's mecha. <laughs> so that's how mecha. would you if, you, if we have to like put a bow on this win streak now that it's over, what would you say about it? What are your thoughts? 
It's definitely not number one because realistically, number one is probably the original T1 at the end of 2013 in the winter season where they just won every single game because that included three playoff series, guys. Like the 9 0 part of that was just like winning three best of fives. And you know what? They also played like really good opponents. They played like KT Bullets, etc. And MVP. They were playing the other best teams in the region. So I think the old T1 it has to be number one. Number two is actually a mega underrated one people don't even remember, which is between online and offline play and including. Including IPL 5, World Elite once had like a 30 match winning streak, which included some BO ones, some BO three, but they had another one that was epic. That was pretty epic back in the day. This one's right up there though. Like remember, because the key thing is, I also think actually the G2 one's fairly underrated. Bear in mind, some of it was against playoff competition and then even some international squads. But I think this is right up there. A lot of streaks in league usually aren't that great. Like this one, because it's one of the best regions, that already makes it pretty good because you don't have to have the international play element. And then also I would just say like, the main problem is, like, <laughs> it does sort of kill the storyline, though, that it's freaks that end it. Like, if you did, if it ended in the final, you know, and you were, like, in some... Great, but, like, you know, like, <laughs> the Kongdu freaks are the ones that ended it. That, that's the only part that sort of dampens it down. I still think it's pretty good. The downside is it's got more asterisks than most of these streaks because it's got the whole thing asterisks. Yeah, exactly. That does a little bit mess with it. I'd also say, to be fair, I don't think Korea's at its strongest at the moment. It's kind of in a mixed spot. In fact, maybe that's the conversation we should briefly have here. What do you actually think currently about, like, the level of Korea? Because on the one hand, like... It's definitely not as bad as a few years ago where you thought, like, none of these teams should win Worlds at all. But I actually think Last Worlds gave people a bit of false hope. You remember Last Worlds where once you got to the semis, it was like three Korean teams and then EDG and everyone was like, ooh, LCK is back. It isn't, it isn't. Like, it's definitely not, like, far and away the strongest region. Where are they at at the moment, do you think? So I was, I would say that watching week one of LCK... We expected the teams to be better, especially because Don Juan was getting Nogari back and like it looked like a good meta for Ruler and Chovy, which it has been. Uh, so I would say like there was an expectation that Korea could at least field three pretty good teams and then we'll see about the rest. Um, DRX obviously had a strong start, did get upset by Live Sandbox uh, earlier this week, but DRX, it's a good meta for DRX, uh, I sure. think. And they had a they had a pretty weak strength of schedule, so it's going to be you know they they lost both of their matches this week. Um, they they should have won the first game against T one, but they did get stomped in the second game. So I think there there are there are bright spots. Um, the thing about week one that w was that it was so slow and it was so boring that if you compared it to LPL, which was on the same patch, and you saw the kind of pace of play that I was worried that Korea was really just going to fall behind and not play aggressively and just basically handshake into late game scenarios and do the very risk averse thing that Korea has been doing for a number of years now, which just doesn't work in an era of incomplete information. The biggest change that I think affected Korea was that they tend to play, the coaches like to play a more conservative style. And when you have total information because of vision, that worked really well. But when now that vision is much more limited, um, you can't just buy and place infinite numbers of wards on the map. Uh, you have to take risks and you have to take calculated risks. And the LPL teams are like a lot better at doing that. Uh, also, Arnold talked about some stuff um, such as like they he thinks that data analysis is really far behind in LCK compared to LPL, like LPL put a lot more resources into their coaching staff and data analysis than um, than LCK teams do for the most part. Um, 
So there's, I think there's probably that aspect of it also. Um, but now, now that we're in the third week of play, we've seen, I mean, you would not say that Gen G is playing unaggressively. Like they're playing really aggressively right now, which is very surprising when we contrast them to ruler Gen G last year, even though let, let's be clear, ruler's the only player who was the holdover on the roster. So it is mostly a new roster, but at the same time, ruler teams, when everyone but ruler has changed, have played ruler style. And I think what's surprising is that it's not, you know, they are, they are being really aggressive about closing and they want to take risks, but the most, the best thing about this, Thor, and I think is that their risks are both, they're playing aggressively and they know the plays they can make and the plays they can make are really amazing. And what's what's impressive is that they've played, they haven't lost the best of three. They've only lost one game uh, and that was the Dom one. Uh, otherwise, all their series have been two O's. If you literally look at Ruler and Chovy right now, they have died seven times each in 13 games, which is, half a death a game and like you'd be like oh well they're just playing they're playing conservatively fuck no rulers like on on lucian with a yumi on him uh where where and peanut is on poppy and they're like diving turrets in bot lane early in the game like they're not they're not playing passively like they're playing really aggressively for the most part um peanuts taking all kinds of risks like his pathing in the jungle in some of these series like if you guys haven't seen them uh uh, go watch the Kwangdong Freaks game that I we mean, saw. His best is when he just goes balls deep. Come on, that's, he, that, he everyone went, wants to say that, of course. He he was he was playing like a fucking psycho in some of these games, like extremely creative pathing, extremely unpredictable. Like an, in the Kwangdong Freaks game, he's playing Poppy. By the way, he's one of him and him and Canyon are like the Poppy players of the league. Uh, it's not really being played in a lot of other places right now because I think it's really difficult to play Poppy aggressively well. Um, but he literally will like be on blue side, take red buff, flash over the back of Dragon Pit to for speed and to make sure there aren't any level one wards, go counter jungle, hex flash over the wall, and then get a gank in uh, at level like level two, level three into the game. So it's really impressive uh, to see what Peanut is doing right now and the risks he's willing to take and the coordination that he has with his team. But go watch that Kwangdong Freaks game because it's absolutely hilarious because they have an ash, right, Kwangdong? And they don't know where Peanut is. So he's doing this wacky pathing and you see this hawk shot like fly across the map and they check like the, the, the Genji side of the jungle and they don't see Poppy and they see the camps up. And so all of a sudden, all of these like Kwangdong Freak's question mark pings come on their side of the jungle because they're obviously like, where the fuck is this guy right now? Oh. And then you see the question marks and then immediately hex flash behind them is a poppy. And it is one of the funniest fucking things uh, you can it's watch. It's like a right horror now. movie. You know where you know where they do <laughs> the like, jump scare with the cat first? You go, oh, it was just a cat. But then the guy does come, come out with the axe. Like, like that. You know? But you can literally just see the thought process of the players sure. while this is happening. Because like the hawk shot just goes through and you're like, they're like, why are these camps up? And then like the question marks all come up on the map. And it's like the call was coming from inside the house. Oh, and there's Wah! <laughs> exactly. Poppy's like fucking mind you killing you. So definitely, definitely, uh, definitely worth watching. So basically, it's though, really bear in mind, obviously gonna play this upcoming week. Gen G is the number one team for you right now, right? 
Um, I mean, yeah, like, like they play T1 this week. Um, so while you guys are off because LCS and LEC are taking a break this next week, um, because all of Riot's closed down, except for Riot in Asia, apparently, because I guess LCK and LPL people don't get a break for whatever reason. Look at so. it's almost like the game is proportionate. <laughs> <isn't it>? yeah. <laughs> exactly. Those leagues are going to keep on going. So this is the perfect time, guys. This is the perfect time to watch these banger matches that are going to be happening. Like um, uh, coming up this week is obviously T1 versus Gen G. That's going to shatter, uh, you know, the viewership record probably for this season. Um, by the way, guys. LCK viewership has hit like 650,000 peak uh, so far. So it is crazy right now. LCK is doing really, really well in terms of viewership. Um, but yeah, we, we get to see th that game. What other? There's some other good games that are coming up. Let me pull them up real quick. Um, DRX, I think, has some good games this week as well. Uh, DRX Damwon, DRX Genji. It's all really good games. Um, who else does Damwon play? Oh, Damwon's just playing Hanwha. Uh, Genji is playing DRX and T1. So yeah, um, some really top tier matches. Also low key, Nongshim versus Live Sandbox might be interesting. Um, KT versus Kwangdong might be interesting. So there, there are a bunch of good games that you guys can check out uh, while you, while the rest of these leagues are on break. Enjoy, enjoy the palate cleanser of some world-class League of Legends. With that said, we can talk a little bit. Oh, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you a different question just because for esports historian reasons, uh, because I think it's a fun conversation to have. And I think a lot of people have heard this, but they don't really understand the implications of it, which is that Gumiyushi is the younger brother of innovation, who is one of the great, one of the, the probably best StarCraft II players of all time, came along a little bit later into StarCraft II. Um, but what's so funny when we talk about Gumiyushi's style and his personality is that it is so different from innovation. Innovation was the perfect like macro mechanic player. And he kind of was just like, he would, he would just grind you down slowly over time playing this really conservative style where it was just like, it was just like constant pressure and just grind, 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 grind until he eventually won the game as a person. He's extremely reserved, uh, very, quiet, shy. And then you have Gumayushi, who is this outlandish, like aggressive player, uh, has loves to trash talk and everything like that. So it's very fun to see the, the, the really these polar opposite brothers in different games and how it's affected their play styles. But can you give some color on like innovations career and, and oh. why he was such a, a, a big name? Basically, innovation was one of the sort of almost the vanguard of what were called the Kesper players at the time, where if people don't know, in StarCraft 2, StarCraft 2 ran simultaneously alongside Brood War for a couple of years, about two and a half years or so. And what happened was, at the end of that period, during the whole time period, there was a whole back and forth, and in fact, a lawsuit in Korea between Blizzard and, like, Kesper and all this trash, basically, over who decides which games run and do they have to, should they pay a license fee in Korea to run Brood War, etc. And basically, the way this got resolved at the end, as far as I know, is on some level, I believe, actually, like, Kesper was winning the case. It was in Korea, and it was sort of like one of those things of, like, it's like if China were copyright, it's like, we'll fuck you, we're Chinese, so we'll do what we want. But 
Kesper obviously wants at some point to work with Blizzard because he'd have to, otherwise he's just going to be hanging over a dead game forever. So they came to a deal, basically, that they would have this one year in 2012. It's actually the year where Monty bizarrely had to do that, like OGN, for example, during yeah. WCS, where they'd have like a transition year, where yeah. in this transition year, teams would start playing StarCraft II, as well as Brood War, by the way. That's not even a joke. They had a split pro league at one point in time. And then eventually, after that year, everyone switched to StarCraft II, which sadly did mean some of the legendary players like B2, etc., just didn't even even play stock they just played briefly and just quit basically but one of the key players was innovation was actually already like right on the cusp of becoming a really good 1v1 player at the end of brood war and so when he transitioned if you remember there was that famous article on team liquid the elephant in the room which was about this topic it was about the idea that everyone was worshiping these starcraft 2 korean players but it's like bro those are the fucking jobbers like the real koreans aren't even playing starcraft 2 yet and whoever wrote that article knew his shit because he was right and people like innovation well as you can imagine if you're right on the cusp of breaking through 1v1 in one of the hardest games ever when it's been out for 12 years yeah when you come to a newer game that's wide open you're just going to fucking tear ass so innovation when he came to Starcraft 2 was just dominating for like I'd say like over the first year or so year and a half that's why he came to my team Team Acer we bought him from like I think it was on like maybe Samsung Soul or some shit like that was whatever the Korean team he was on I can't remember which team it was it was like an ex-Kesper team at that point in time and then basically he had a few years though where he was sort of like just an average player again and then in the latter years he actually then came on strong again and then started winning the championships again and going top now here's the interesting thing though even though I agree in terms of personality and like the flair that he plays with he's very different they actually have a shared weakness though in my opinion which mm. is in line with what I was saying earlier which is this one of the big upsides of Innovation's game was obviously also incredible mechanics. He had some really fucking sick, like APM. Everything was smooth. It was already really high level. But I always thought, because I used to talk to a lot of people who were experts at StarCraft 2 at the time, obviously going to events, and they would always tell me the flaw with him as a player was he really did play like he was a robot. As in, he would just do what he thought the best build was. And he, he was one of those people who thought, essentially, I sort of low-key fuck with this, but he went too far with it. He thought, if you execute perfectly you can win even if they know what you're doing now the problem with that flaw is Starcraft 2 especially is a way more gimmicky game than Brood War and actually if the opponent knows exactly what build you're doing and how you're doing it he can counter you he can get like edgy he can do crazy things in the game so the flaw was during times where his builds worked and Terran Race was the best yeah he would dominate he would destroy people he would get like 75% win rate in like pro matches on like multiple ma race matchups the problem was though essentially I got the vibe he was way too stubborn in times where it wasn't working he would just keep doing it again and again he would think because this is the flaw by the way this is why by the way people don't get this having talent is a curse the curse of talent now is you don't get to learn those things. You don't get to improve those things. You're just given them, but you don't know why and you don't know how and you don't always know the best way to use it. And even worse, it can sort of prop you up so you don't have to learn certain lessons other people did or in develop in certain ways. So I would say, actually, that's the area where I wonder if there's a shared connection, though, because the vibe I also get of Gumiyushi is a bit like that. It's like he thinks, essentially, I can sort of do whatever I want and as long as I do my part, right, it works. It's like, that's not really the way team games work, especially, though, mate. Like, there's the other thing if you lose the game and your innovation i mean go look in the mirror unless you're mad at yourself it's okay if you're in a team and you fuck up you have to look down the line and especially the faker there like come, come on man like that can get a bit dodgy so i think they have i would agree they're different uh, people very much but I th I, there might be a shared similarity in the style because i wonder if gilmiushi himself doesn't realize like mate the best mechanics in the world aren't needed for this like that's what you do as the cherry on top to level your game up. What you, what you really need is the decision making adaptability like have versatility to your game yeah, I, I think 
I think what's going on too is that it, 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 a lot of the hype last year when Gumayushi came in, right, was around his mechanics, like watching him play champions like Samira so well. And he did get a lot of that hype. And if we look at Zayas, right, Zayas was started some games uh, at the beginning of last year and then was basically replaced by Kana. And they, they more or less developed him behind the scenes, uh, T1, until he obviously kind of left. Uh, Zayas got the full-time starting spot at the beginning of 2022. And now, uh, you, you, heard, you guys heard Nelson say it on this show last week, Nelson thinks that uh, Zayas is potentially the best player in the world. Yeah, yeah. And Zayas certainly is having an outstanding year. And I, you really see the results of that development behind the scenes. And you, you tend to wonder, like, is Guma Yushi's attitude towards the game or towards his own play style holding him back in certain ways? Because it's not that he hasn't gotten better, but he hasn't gotten better as fast as a player like Zayas has. And he's, you know, while Zayas is not only in the conversation for best top laners, he's in the conversation for literal best player. And you would not say that Gumiyushi isn't even in the conversation for best 80 carries. No, no. So... I even think there's a problem, by the way, that he has, which is this. Dude, I actually think he might ha also have a hard time because A, he's in LCK and B, most importantly, he's on T1. Remember, T1 historically, you'd have to go back to Piglet before they're properly playing hard through the fucking bot lane, for fuck's sake. That's in 2013 and 2014. Like... T1 historically plays with the sort of tertiary AD carry and they play through the solos historically. So in a team where, again, you have great solos, as you say, this time it's Zeus that's the better one, the top laner. Faker's just good. Like, you're not Uzi Eye, bro. You can't play like you're Uzi Eye. They haven't set the team up for you to be Uzi Eye. I feel like he, in, a, in a fucked up way, he almost should be an, an LPL team, mate. On an LPL team, they'd know what to do with this guy. What they would do is this. They'd go, right, what you're good at is putting the fucking gas pedal down. So put that motherfucker to the floor and we'll just do everything else around you and we'll see if we can win some games. Like, I feel like it, to play on T1 especially, T1 is way... Just think of even the style they were using this last splitting at Worlds. T1's way about we have like a blueprint how we're going to play and then everyone has to do their job. It's not about like... Like, just go crazy, everyone, and we're just going to try free flow and stuff. Like, that's the problem. With his sort of style, sometimes you try, basically, like, the way out is through. You just push out and you go, right, max it out and sort of limit test and see how good you can get. And then we'll figure out a style. In this case, it'd have to be hyper-aggressive, obviously. I get the vibe. His issue there as well is he has to figure out how to fit with his teammates, not just develop. Like, because he clearly got, like, he just has a fucking hair trigger, doesn't he? He just goes for everything. Yeah, and I think if you look at the way that T1 wants to play the game right now is that they want to play a counter-punching style that is reactive. Yep. Like they're they're the boxer who when you throw the jab, they'll they'll let it hit them in order to get the cross in, right? Like they they will hit back harder than you hit them, but that requires playing reactively cross map a lot of the time. And it's not about engaging Gumayushi. The, the, the thing is, is like what you do is your players move to get a bigger win somewhere else on the map. And they can do that because they have very mechanically skilled players. It's like if something happens in the bot lane, well, Zayas is going to all in the top side, right? Or owner's going to head up there and they're going to get uh, more gold, more objectives. Um, but if you have a player who, who isn't isn't capable of like pulling back at the times when you're making a play somewhere else, then it becomes an issue. And a lot of T1's problems come from, again, Gumiyushi being too aggressive and getting picked off. And it's like the way their shot calling system works is not always conducive to his style. I, again, it can be like if you're making the counterplay towards Gumiyushi, it can work really well. But 
they are they are they don't want to play the game always the same way through one champion and when you really see that Zayas is more or less the perfect kind of player for this style and you see Korea and owner and Faker are so Gumiyushi stands out because he is a bit of a mismatch and this is again why you know it, it, you really wonder if Teddy was still on this team how good they could be because I yeah, think they, they would, would be better with Teddy at him now yeah I think they would just complete the team they'd have no flaw yeah. So, because uh, that's the other thing to say as well. As someone who's watched lots of styles in different games as well, Monty, the style you're describing being a counterpuncher is the hardest to pull off. Because as you say, yes. you will have to be able essentially to instantly react, but at the same time be very disciplined. Like, essentially, you can't go first. Like, if they faint you out and you go first, then you just get knocked out, don't you? So, like, it's why people don't know this. Like, a, a massive skill to do in that. Yeah, and you have to be able to take, you know, you have to be able to take the right punch on the yes. chin and knowing that you're going to hit them twice as hard back, right? And like that, I'll give you the example. You remember a few years back at the classic season nine worlds of G2 where they played that series against T1 and they gave all those dragons up, but they kept like cross map playing and somehow they won the series. I don't. I, I even said at the time, like fans will never appreciate how impossible this whole series was because it's not like they knew they were going to do that before the game began. They just were reacting instantly, but patiently making the right play and not fucking up and going for the wrong thing. Like that's so hard to do. That's so hard to do, guys. I also think that T one's drafts and and honestly, I I I wonder if basically not having a coach for this length of time is starting to really hurt this team uh, because they seem to not be able to activate their own strengths. Like I get it. Callista's strong guys when deft plays it, but it, this, this ain't the champ for you T1. Like it's, it's not, <laughs> um, you don't do well with it. You don't play well with it as a team. You don't, you're not, you don't get the leads in the early game that you necessarily need. You don't control objectives with it properly. And then you always end up in a late game scenario where it's useless. Um, so for me, it, bearing in mind that while T1 has coaches, they are not necessarily the same level of strategic, Pult is not the strategic mastermind that other teams coaches are, period. Uh, you, that's not an expectation we have of Pult. Pult has many other redeeming qualities. Um, but this team is effectively coached by Faker. Uh, Which is and, wild when you think how many young players they still have, Monty, you know, and experienced they are. Like, in, I could even argue, as fucked up as this sounds, doing so well in spring might have hurt them in that regard. Like, they might yes. have been better if they'd have sort of had the, uh, taken a knockout punch in the final by Gen G and then hired a coach or something. Yeah. So I do wonder, especially the longer the year goes on and the more metas shift, if teams that have more robust coaching staff when it comes to in game knowledge. Uh, are going to do better. Um, and I, I think Gen G, obviously, it was, I think it was controversial potentially to hire score, especially considering he had just been in the military for sure. 20 months or however long it is, almost two years, uh, when probably wasn't able to pay that much attention to the game, certainly not as a full time job. Um, even if he was like grinding out watching VODs, like it was still a risk. And there's only so much risk when you have a, player who had the career longevity that score did because clearly he's able to like absorb new metas and he is pretty much consensus the greatest jungler in league of legends history uh so his sense of macro and and timings is probably going to be quite good um he also obviously played alongside peanut so he knows some of these players play styles over a number of years uh so 
it was a bit of a risk to have score in, and then they have Mafa as well, uh, another former pro player, but they seem to at least really be doing good things right now. And score is also a player who had to, who's had tons of different teammates, had to integrate new teammates, rookies, you know, veterans into the roster. So he knows how to make those kind of changes. Uh, the, the difference that we've seen in Chovy's play in particular has been significant. And I think that was the question with Chovy. Uh, always was. It looks can like Cho- to me. Yeah, like can Chovy's Lane Kingdom turn into good teamwork, sat personal sacrifice, and macro play? And maybe it's just this meta. It's too early to tell. But in this meta, the answer appears to be finally yes. And maybe that's Chovy now that he's older. Maybe it's the coaching staff. Maybe it's the change of the organization. Um, you know, Genji tens you know again going back to the arnold interview we had on the monty and wolf show they have been he said that one thing that attracted chovy was that they have they provide a lot of resources for the players like you know exercise uh regimens and they tend to provide a lot more structure uh i think than many other korean teams do um, have they ever seen where that exercise room is at the old building? Like a fucking twig. Rulers, rulers. Maybe they're doing cardio. Maybe they're just doing. No, rulers apparently lost like fifteen okay. kilos or something like that. Oh, so okay. yeah, I, so yes, that's true. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think like in general they they offer a lot of structure, and maybe that's what Chovy needed. Maybe he needed the discipline to be formed around him, and he bought into that system that Genji was offering. And that combined with him getting older, maybe a bit more mature, uh, maybe failing enough times. Maybe he finally realized that if I would like to win a title at some point in my career, perhaps I need to change a few things. Um, What's sad is if you could take him back in a time machine, though, mate, he would fucking love the old meta. You're just laying into 5v5 team fights. This guy be fucking killing the game. I don't, none of this, like, fucking Roman skirmish. Like, Because if you don't know, by the way, even though it's the most extreme version ever, the classic moment from Summoning Insight all those years ago in 2014 where Froggen said that joke, but it wasn't a joke about high. Like, he just wrote, leaves lane and leaves a whole wave. Like, that is how mid laners think. And spoiler, people like Chovy definitely think that way so the problem you have is like they're not just leaving because it's like solar cube like, oh i can help someone it's like they're just thinking like they're doing like the cost benefit equation and if they don't believe in you as a teammate they've had bad teammates like Choviav. spoiler they're just not making it's like kobe where you just take a shot with two people on him and the other guy open he's like yeah but you'd miss like that's like <laughs> fucking vibe he had so the problem Chovy had i actually think and this is an issue i think like you say about failing though another problem with failing though is sometimes i actually get the feeling it can actually make you selfish in a way that's like not in, you're not maliciously selfish as in what it means is because you get so used to being like the only win condition you start to play like that's the case no matter what no matter what team you're on this actually happened to simple in CSGO there was one point where because he really did have to play twice as well as anyone else for Na'Vi to win the tournament even then there'd be times where they were like a good enough team but he'd just like try too many aggressive players or he'd go for something crazy that like he didn't have to do because he was trying to like force the game to be won for his team like that's the flaw Trophy I think went the other way in my opinion his way of being selfish was just like, right, I can't rely on these guys, so I'm just going to do my part. I'm just going to get my part. So I'm going to get my CS. I'm going to get my kills. Did I get a chance? Nope, didn't. Oh, then I just don't get a chance this game. Whereas you see in this squad, this dude, it's night and day even to last split. Last split, they, was, they were good, but they were a bit ropey. They had, they had to have exactly the right meta. They even had to be on the right bloody side of the game. Like It was way more up and down if they could have won. This one, like you said, this looks like they could win the split. They oh. could win Worlds, let's be real. This team could win Worlds, Genji. I mean, I think there's a... You can make a pretty 
good argument that they're the best team in the world right now. I would love to uh, see them play an LPL team as well. They'd be a fucking amazing match. I mean, I'm they? sure they're scrimming against LPL teams, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they look really good. And they look good, in, like I said earlier, in all the right ways when it comes to making plays. Like, they're making plays. They're making plays early. They're proactive. They know their limits extremely well. They've got a great versatility when it comes to the champions that they're playing. Basically hard to ban out. Um, they have the right pocket picks that you can't really, like you know, the poppy is just so fucking annoying the way that peanut plays it. It's just so annoying. Um, and most other teams do not have the ability to play certain champions in this way, which is what, by the way, going to make I, I, like th this coming match against T1 is going to be a banger. Like the fact that owner is mechanically so impressive and he's been playing the least and then you have it's the jungle matchup is like him versus peanut who still is good mechanically but is really like winning based on like jungle pathing creativity working with his teammates super well in the early game you have the zayas doran matchup doran's been really doran's actually been very good recently dude i just love the way they're doing some like fucking hackneyed like they're trying to do like the jungle archon. You've got like the fucking raw aggression and ganking yes. the peanut, but with the like veteran pathing and mind of score. It's always on like that shit in fucking one. Like, I think it was like Nightmare on Elm Street three or whatever. Way reaching to that guy's head, and he just goes like, yeah, "I'm the, I'm the brains, and you're." He pulls his own brains out. That's right. He goes, "I'm the brains, and you're the brawn." That's like the fucking <laughs> mad angle scores pulling out. Fair play. That's great. I mean, you have to imagine some of this that coming career, from score. Though. Dude, I always thought Peanut was like one of the failures of the Korean scene because this guy, he's another player should have just been born in the fucking LPL, mate. Like, the LPL love a guy like that. In LCK, you would just see his flaws, unfortunately. Like, he was a brilliant player. That's why he's in MVP, a split. But, like, he would just... For me, he wasn't like a traditional Korean jungler where Score is the traditional yeah. blueprint Korean jungler. Yeah. So... You know, the matchup this week, like Faker versus Chovy, there's a, a modern classic, let's say. And then uh, you would think Genji probably has a pretty good big advantage because um, not only are there pocket picks to worry about, everybody's talking about Lehens and Spellbook Singed, and um, it, it, that's been really fun to watch. But also, like, there's been some wackiness with T1's bot lane as well. Now, I do think that the bot lane advantage goes to Genji, top lane advantage goes to T1. But the rest of the map, super interesting, right? Um, should be a really close series. I do think Genji will probably win, given the current condition of these teams. But it'll be it'll be fun. Genji still hasn't played uh, two of the other top four teams in DRX and T1, and they're playing both of them this week. So we're going to learn a lot uh, about the current the current form. But here's really, the thing: really the match I want to see is this. I want them to go to Worlds, and I want them to go to the playoff bracket. And at some point in the playoff bracket, I want top esports to play against Gen G so that I can have Peanut Chovy Ruler against Tian Knight Jackie Love. That's That'd the pretty sick. I see. That would be a <laughs> fucking banger. I mean, people people forget, like, Gen G overperformed at Worlds last year. Like, BDD, I think, had oh, an gosh, unusually yes. good tournament. Um, but they nearly were in the World Finals, guys. Like, yeah, they yeah. Made, it to, <laughs> made it to Game 5 of the semis. Yeah. Uh, they, they were not bad. And even though most of the team's been replaced... Um, you know, I do wonder if this final got into Chovy's head a little bit because if I'm Chovy and T1's playing worse than expected and most of them have COVID on stage and are feeling like shit and you still lose that final. And by the way, they were fucking lucky to even be in that final because they should have lost game five to Don Juan Kia. So you're like, okay, well, we should have lost in the semis. 
And then, okay, we're here at the final and we lose to like a bunch of dudes sick with COVID. I think you got to take a look at yourself at that point. Like that's a big wake up call. That's a big wake up call. So yeah, um, good shit over in the LCK uh, this week. Um, I think guys, we're going to take a quick break to bring Sven on. But of course, as usual, uh, this part of the show has been sponsored by Esports Bet at esportsbet.io. Um, earlier today, actually, or actually last night, I should say, um, the odds for that T1 Gen G game uh, as uh, yesterday were actually in favor of uh, T1. Like Gen G was the underdog, which I thought was pretty crazy. Now the odds have sw- well, switched slightly. So, okay. so Gen G is now a slight favorite, but I, I okay. think like last late last night they were at like one point seven or one point eight. So you know if you think the match is even, uh, Gen G got some good odds right now. All, all I'm gonna say, and we'll see how that shifts uh, as the week goes on and people make these predictions. But good time, of course. Go ahead, use our referral link below uh if you're gonna sign up get some djt for free obviously just for signing up head over to the discord message the mods they'll give you some more deposit crypto you get 50 djt for every dollar of crypto you deposit so good times everybody we'll be back uh in just a couple minutes with ven right we're back now with our guest which is going to be sven now all that needs to be said is this sven when you were literally in a bot lane called the best in the West and you roll swap to the other position in bot lane, a little bit of pressure. You probably have to get pretty good, mate. Some, some <laughs> yeah. would say you should probably get really good if you're going to do that. I think it's been a while since people called us the best in the West. It but, was a uh, while, true. It was uh, the good old times, for sure. Yeah, I mean... And, uh, of all the things TSM's ruined, that's probably the most egregious. <laughs> is, that, is that really true? <laughs> they did it twice when you talk about they ruined the, first of all when you were in the team and then secondly they wouldn't let you bloody leave they were like Mithy can leave but you must stay like, the fuck sort of hostage scenarios is like alright bloody hell okay anyway luckily it turns out Sven a lot of investigations have been done actually TSM's just cool there was nothing going on there mate don't worry nothing going on. You know about that. the, the lawyers they hired uh, and the, you know, they gave access to uh, so it's fine they said <laughs> they were very careful to say that nothing illegal has occurred, uh, but they didn't mention anything about whether it was ethical. So convenient like how, how lawyers how lawyers always uh, are able to do that. They'll they'll mm. you know there's there's never any uh, there's never any opinion on ethics, only opinions yes. on legality. Also, who was that investigator? Fucking Cadre or something? There's nothing <laughs> illegal in this game. Like, <laughs> okay, was the draft good was it, mate? Okay, fucking hell. I guess they won after one minute, didn't they? Right, so. I like how last time it's I was okay, here, though. we were talking shit about TSM, and now I'm here again, and we're still talking shit about TSM. <laughs> well, time is a flat circle, and this show will always just be about talking shit about TSM. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> The more things change, I even, uh, even counted this the other day, though. Dude, because they've started this split badly as well. They've won like 17 out of 25 games this year, guys. Like, this is outrageous. Hey, what's the record, actually? Yeah, they've won seven games out of 25 regular split games. Because they were 5-13 and 13 in spring, and they're 2-5 and five now, right? Yeah, I see. That's wild, isn't it? How can that be uh, real life? <laughs> that's one win less than us this summer split, so maybe I shouldn't talk too much, you know? Well, okay. I mean... Some of, those, some of those record. losses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have the excuse, though. You have the asterisk. Yeah, exactly. You, can, yeah, I, yeah, you, yeah. Did, you did get handicapped, Sven. Yeah. You, you came in with having to oh, dig yeah. yourself out of a, a pretty atrocious 0-3 hole. And uh, yeah. going 3-1 since then isn't bad. Also, I think you 
you had the the bad luck of playing against FlyQuest in probably their best game of the split and mm. legitimately a pretty good game by them. So uh, we'll, get, we'll get into that. I want to start with the start of this split because there has been a lot of uh, issues, I would say, with Cloud9 because the reason you find yourself in this hole is because... There were there were some crazy visa issues going on, so mm. it must have been in- extremely difficult for you because you're attempting to roll swap. You are not in Korea to practice no. with your new AD carry and presumably to get good practice in solo queue as a support player, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's going to make it your job a lot fucking harder. Uh, mm. Then your AD carry loses his passport and can't get into the country, um, and you have. By the time you get there, you did go 2-0 in your week, but you have, what, three days to practice? So what Four. was this whole scenario? Like, let's start with how did how did this happen? Like, what was the process of you being convinced or volunteering perhaps to swap roles uh, after, you know, Summit leaves, you know, fudges back in top lane. They don't really have a, a solid support player for Berserker. How did this conversation come about for you? Wasn't this actually floated as an idea a previous year or something, Sven? I'm sure I heard about this ages before this actual like lineup failed. Wasn't this like already an idea a year before or something? No, no, not at all. The first okay. person I mentioned this was uh, was LS actually back when he was still on the team, but it was like more of a, a loose thought he had. And uh, then, maybe that's what I'm thinking. I, mean, I saw a YouTube video or something. It was just like a, a, maybe, it was yeah. just a spitball in a concept of what you could do. Could be, yeah. And then right. right after the playoffs ended, it was clear that Summit and the uh, support situation had to change. So they removed Summit and removed supports. And then it became clear to me after a while that my best chance of making Worlds or playing in a good team would be on C9 as a support player. So I thought I'd rather play support in C9. If you have Jensen in mid and Fudge back in top lane, I think the team's actually really good. And I think that we can actually make worlds. So I thought, yeah, I'd rather play here in a good team than play in like a lower tier team as ADC and probably have you know, low chances of making worlds. So that's why we're here. Well, I, I think also it makes sense because you're known to have a really strong like grinding work ethic within the team and, and to be a big voice on the teams that you're part of. You've also played yourself as an AD carry with, you know, very vocal supports like Mithy in the past. So I think, you know, you have a, you have a very strong sense of like what you, who you are as a player and what you want to accomplish. And, uh, you know what you like out of support. So I think it's interesting to have you now apply the, those same opinions towards becoming a support for a player like Berserker yourself. Um, We'll hold that for a second. So what was the process of this boot camp? Like, what was the idea? Like, how was this supposed to work? And how did it end up working? I mean, we had the thing in, in 2020, or like, before 2020 started, with me and Vulcan boot camping together for like a month. And then we boot camp as a team afterwards. And it made us so much better than everyone else in spring 2020. So we thought we would do it again. And it could maybe, you know, replicate that kind of assault. But then my green card process was very scuffed. There was a lot of issues with it because... Of the Ukraine thing going on, the conflict made it so that there weren't any times available. So I had to fly around mm-hmm. to different countries, to Sweden and to Norway, to get the medical checks and to get my interview and stuff. It's a long story, but it was complicated. It took a lot more time. Then the embassy lost my passport, so I had to get a new passport, and then it Jesus. took a long time. I didn't, I didn't never, never made it right. But the idea was <laughs> to scrim in Korea and play solo queue with Circer, you know, get a lot of reps in and get to know each other for a long time. But that never happened, so it was just very scuffed really and then it took a long time for Berserker to come to NA and for me as well because my green card thing took a long time to to process and get sent back and forth between Sweden and Denmark where I was getting my my thing processed so yeah it was just a really big scuffed offseason that were kind of out of our hands 
well, at least mine in that sense, right? Berserker lost his passport because he's a he's a moron, right? But <laughs> yeah. Wait, like, I mean, since as you're saying, you are getting a green card. Obviously, people don't know that it takes years and years, and this whole thing's yeah, not something does. you do overnight. Is that also part of why basically you're willing to like just sit out a split and just stay in Cloud Nine or whatever? Like, I assume it's not as simple. Like, because obviously a fan would say, just go to the worst team that'll offer you a starting spot, right? Yeah. I mean, or next next best team rather, you know. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, like, I don't even know where I would go as an agency. Like, I didn't, I never really explored options in that sense. I thought, right. like, this is the best for me. I finished my green card here. The team's actually really good. And even if I don't play AC for one split, I will still be a good AC player in six months if this whole thing doesn't work out. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure of it, right? I think it's like actually, the logic of what Whipple thought, I'm sure, when he did the role swap. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'm sure Whipple playing jungle for a split made him a better top laner because he knows so much more about the game now than before. And so I'm comfortable knowing that this year might not work out, and then I'll play something else, or maybe I'll stick to it. Depends on what happens, right? We'll have to judge after the season is over. But regardless, I'm really okay playing support and just seeing what happens. I think that this team can make worlds, and I think that I'm probably the weakest player on the team right now in this moment. You know, I have a lot of catching up to do, because the meta is changing constantly, so I have to play... You know, I spent like 100-plus games playing Nautilus, Leona, and then suddenly... You know, the champions like Renata coming out, it's not its range meta. There's these final champs like Bard and Pike and Mumu that can be nice to have, right? So I have to spend time practicing the meta champions while other support players can practice the off meta and the niche picks. So, ah, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, you're also, you're also coming into a meta where, uh, at least globally, we're seeing more fasting AD carries. So then you yeah. have to farm as like a support. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's weird. There's it's definitely weird some. Sure catching up to do for me but i think that this team when i get good can be a really good team so by the way um, i thought when i watched the games i was going to roast you because if you're going to swap to support then instantly play yumi it's like all right mate i mean but you actually were really good mate like really your good. actual <laughs> lane play was fucking sick you were, you were actually doing work on you but you weren't just sat there doing nothing yeah i mean yumi is actually not it's like very fine because it has a very low floor also very high ceiling it's like so easy to play yumi yeah. and just be like not useless, just sit on one guy, press heal on him every couple seconds, you know, you can play with your feet if you want to. But then again, if you play really well in teamfight, you can get the shield procs, the mana back, you can get your block skill shots, like bubbles and stuff like that, leasing cues, whatever it is. So he actually has a very high skill ceiling. I think even in that game, I could play better, even looking at the replay and stuff. So, But yeah, Yumi is just like, it's meta and it's really strong. And it's good with champs like Siri and, and tanks and bruisers and they're meta. So you're playing fucking Yumi. Um, and Tom think- Senna, you know, it's, it's what it is. I think that game was very impressive to me because a lot of a lot of good Yumi play is knowing how to make switches at the right time to yeah. who needs to do things uh, in a team fight or who needs the heals. And it's also being able to pop off without getting caught by crowd mm-hmm. control. So you have yeah. to know a lot of uh, different ability cooldowns on the enemy team and track those very carefully. And you were doing all of that extremely well. So yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one of the best, if not the best, like Yumi games from an NA player that we've seen in LCS. So for you, for you to come in right off the bat and have that level of game sense as a support player, I thought was very impressive. Yeah, I think I play of the game, but I don't think I played that well. But um, I think Yumi is harder to play in games. We're playing as like Wukong or Talia, where the rocks interrupt you. You know, like instantaneous CC like that. It's very hard to play against. But in their game against CLG, they had like Senna TK, Yon, uh, what they have mid, some useless champ. So we, you know, really good for Yumi to play against. So it's very easy to play, but still, I think that we did well in that game. I think that laning phase, there was a little bit of a, an oopsie here and there, but overall, a, a good game. I'm happy with that game. It, it gave me a kind of confidence because we had a kind of rough week of scrims in, uh, before week two. We had a good week of week one scrims, and I was really confident, then 2-0. And 
and then we got kind of reality checked last week in scrims by uh, by Liquid and uh, and EG. So <laughs> we're getting um, there. Before we get into more of the contemporary stu- uh, stuff with the, the specific games from the past couple of weeks, uh, I want to go back real quick and just ask about the green card situation. So is this an application or do you have your green card yet? Or, or I am done. You, know, you are done. You have yeah. it. No, I don't have it in my hand. So the thing is, once you're done with the process, get this like five kilo stack of papers. You have to surrender to the airport upon arrival. So I did that. And then they gave you up to 90 days, I think, before you received the little thicker the little green the actual green card right yeah. so in about a month two months i will have the card in my hand um and then you're yeah, an the, na resident which is yeah huge. I mean, the guy said welcome home when i arrived in the airport it was kind of <laughs> fucking weird right i was like uh <laughs> right yeah welcome home but um it is done yeah and i'm considered a resident i suppose um i have like a temporary green card in my passport that will get removed once i get the little sticker and then i have that id card as my my actual I green agree. card that is when you've completed the game of how to make money in League of Legends. When you're already a good import player and you're now an NA resident yeah. and now they have an extra and you're a support on the team. And you're a support. Oh, you're getting caught, don't worry. And you're, a support player <laughs> you're, as well, yeah. you're an import player who plays support, who counts as a resident, is actually, see, this is the timing is absolutely impeccable for this change because the NA support pool is just been weak. It's just for, him and his old mate Vulcan. It's just him and Vulcan just going like <laughs> me and you. I'm, I'm the best of you. Who gives a fuck? The rest are all shit anyway. I mean, it's a huge advantage. It's a huge advantage. So I think the 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 roster swap probably you know the role swap probably is going to be good for you potentially in the long yeah. run. But... I think right now the green card doesn't change anything because we don't have an import cap on our team. Yeah. We only have a striker, right. right? Right. You know, Flash Blabber Jensen already are residents, and I am going to be soon. I don't think. I actually don't know if I count as a resident yet. In the league's terms, um, but it doesn't no, matter. I the green I mean, it doesn't matter yeah. right now, right? Like yeah, you say, it, does, it doesn't matter, but it could matter exactly. next year, right? Yeah, but in the future, deal. it could open up more possibilities both for me and for C9 if I continue playing here. Depends on what happens this year. If I'm shit at support, I'm sure they won't, don't want to have me next year, you know, and I'm aware of that and they're aware of that. So, but in that case, my green card will be allowing me to be sell, sold for more money anyway. So, it's only going to help me in, any way, in every way possible. You know what's perfect as well, Monty? Here's what I'm really looking forward to. Because the split began without C9 having the real roster, who did they play in the first game? EG. So it means they don't play EG until the end of the regular split, which means he doesn't have to actually have his real battle with old pal Vulcan until the end when he's had a whole (laughs) split to power up. So that's the fight I'm waiting for, because someone's got to fucking mug someone, just fucking (laughs) smile on them, do some crazy shit. There's got to be They've got at least like some hover in the draft or something. They've got to get something in that game. That game's going to be fire, I can tell. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think Vulcan's going to try and do some shit to show you up. I I guarantee you. Yeah. yeah, I think without a doubt right now Vulcan is the best support in the LCS. At least the best performing, yeah, yeah. right? Like you can say something like Kojay's, you know, more yeah, yeah. he won worlds and some LCS titles, grats, right? But Kojay is not playing that well right now. T as a whole actually is like five and two, I think, but not playing that well compared to EG, who's really clean, had that one game against Shilji. But Vulcan is playing really well and he's definitely the one to look out for right now. So I'm I'm kinda happy that you know, the, the one week went to zero three was against the two best teams in the league, at least the best team in the league in, in EG. So Well we 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 talked about that. Like it was actually a good way to structure the split for you because even if you had had your full roster because of the boot camp situation that we talked about earlier, you guys would not have be in the same like level of practice, especially yeah. with EG coming off of MSI, TL just having this Korean boot camp together, right? So mm-hmm. you you know, they they have an established roster that they've been using for this year, so it probably would have been kind of 
challenging for you guys anyway. So, you know, losing those matches that early probably wasn't a big thing and you've already bounced back. And realistically, you only have to make top six in order to, you know, I think it's make it into the, well, it's top eight, but but seven and eight are in the, in the lower brass automatically. So top six matters. So you actually get like two chances. Um, yeah, you don't want to be seventh, eighth, and just have no, to no. never lose. That would suck a lot. I mean, um, even if it wasn't low bracket, I still wouldn't be seventh, eighth. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going to be seventh or eighth. Like that's Hopefully. obvious. Um, that's obvious. Okay. <laughs> um, but when you, I, the next question I have is, how did you approach the role swap? So you, you, you obviously were going through all this bureaucratic nightmare, having to fly around. Yeah. Um, what was the structure that you set for yourself, knowing that you weren't going to be able to practice with Berserker? Like, how did you say, okay, these are the things that I want to do, like I need to do in order to make this role swap successfully? Did you design like a training program for yourself? Did your coaches help you with that? What, what happened? I had a little bit of help from both Vegar and Cecil. Who watch my solo queue games gave me some feedback, but it's hard to really give you feedback from solo queue games. But I really just played a lot of solo queue. I played champions that are meta. I watched MSI games. I looked, you know, on YouTube for some point of views of support players. There's some channels out there that have point of views, you know, basically a pro view for free of pro players from MSI or from where else. Some from That's the solo queue isn't pro view anymore. It'd be the perfect time for it, wouldn't it? Yeah, it really is a good, a good yeah. app and good thing. But it just sucks that. I guess there's not enough people subscribing to it, um, yeah. but it's what it is. But yeah, I watched some previews. I watched some lots of the good sport players that do things that aren't just, you know, sit in lane and do the thing. So I watch people like Hens right now, for example, performing really well. I like his playstyle. I like his pocket picks. I watched Hillsong. I watched Mickey X. I watched any players, Cordy and Vulcan mostly. You know, I look for the things that they do. I kind of watch the games and think to myself, if I was basing right here, where would I go from base? He goes top or mid or something i'm like oh, i'll probably not go, go there if i figure out why they do that and put myself in their shoes and that's how i, I kind of get there tell us as crazy as the perception is yeah i mean he he really is uh, a crazy person that makes plays he sees angles no one else ever sees but he also plays champs like you know pike cillian rakan and he finds the angles that yes. are really really good and that kind of x factor you know having the, the last pick pike last pick bard oh. Hulusang's still in, you know, like it can really carry games and oh, sure. I think it's something that I want to be as well. I don't want to be the guy who can't play Cillian or can't play Pike, Bard or Amumu or fucking Nico with Kalista, you know, like Singe against Yumi, you know, that kind of guy. So I'm definitely looking up to these kind of people that have the ability to play those champs. The only problem I have with Hillasang is he's sort of like a Don Quixote figure, Monty, because like, some of those angles I'm not sure actually exist. I think they're just in his mind, don't they? Some of them do, which are genius that no one else can see. But sometimes I think he goes for players where it's like, I'm not, did you see a shadow come out? What are you going for there? I'm the almost what's going on It does happen. It does happen. And I can't lie, I've told this story before, but it's true. When he did that one game a few years back in LEC where he did like the fucking terrorist pike split push and won the game. Actually, just ruined. Like I've ruined so many people's solo queue games because I saw that game. Like I'm the hero now. And was aware it was possible in a losing game. I've ruined so many games. I've won so few of them as well. So I apologize to everyone who accidentally got queued in me because Illusan made me do it. It's like Um, gangster rap made me do ice cube shout. I'm curious about it. Was there one aspect of of you playing as a support where where you were saying, I played with so many different supports over many years now, and all of them tilted me because they wouldn't do this fucking thing that okay. I really wanted as an AD carry. Is there some aspect of your play that's like, I'm going to be the first one to actually do this shit right for my ADC? I mean, I don't really think so. I think that 
you know, in any environment, you can give your support feedback and they'll probably try to do it. But I think that I, like I said earlier, I want to be the guy who can play everything. Some sport players can't play certain champs or they don't want to spend time practicing it. And I want to be the guy who can play those champs I mentioned earlier and who can whip out something funny, you know, and last pick. I can play Senna as well, for example. Most sports can't play Senna. You have the, I actually think it's an advantage to have a sport player playing Senna because it's a champ with the wards, whereas the ADC wants to play in champ that farms most of the time. Um, when it comes to champs like Tom, I understand why it's the support player who plays the Tom Kench because they're familiar with it. But when it comes to champions like Wukong or Swain or whatever, I think it's, it's actually an advantage that you have your support player playing Senna. So I kind of want to be that guy who can play those champs and not be a letdown to the team. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm striving for right now. What about this then? Because I would say the classic thing ADCs always complain about with their support is if an ADC ever goes in on the 2v2, you're supposed to just trust me, bro, and we just go in and we do it. And we fight to the death and we either yeah. gloriously yeah. win like heroes or we go out on our fucking shield. There's oh, one yeah. rule you hate is when they don't quite go in and then you just just lose the 2v2. Do you, commit, are you, do, you do the... Like, basically, what you wish a support would do, do you just go in, oh, yeah. just trust yeah, yeah. you completely? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I, I, when I watch people like MeekX and Hillsong, especially in the past, they have this, like, whatever it takes mentality of just, if the team is going, I'm going no matter what. I don't care if I'm dying 10 times this game, I'm just going. And that's just how it is, right? And they never had this thing where one day behind, they never play for KDA. They look for, like, the the 5% chance of winning the game versus the never ever winning the game and just losing no matter what, but having a better KDA. So I really respect the people that don't care about their stats and their looks, and they just go for the small chances. They suicide for the team if they have to, you yes. know. And that's something that I admire in, in Hirasan. He does not care about getting flack for feeding yes. or having ten deaths. He will do what he thinks is best to carry the game. You know, it's uh, Dude, that is underrated though, because in my yeah, opinion, yeah. like it's usually jungle and support. They're the ones where it's like where we're just losing the game hard. You have to do some stupid play, yeah, yeah. and if it fails, you're going to look stupid, and the fans going to go, "What an idiot he fed." And it's like, no, if I don't do that, like we have no chance to win this game. Yeah, I exactly. Like, crazy. Yeah, it's very easy to just be like, you know, the the ADC or mid laner, and you're like zero yes. zero x, right? You're like zero zero three in a game of twenty five minutes, and you did nothing the whole game because you just farmed, and then you lost the game. That's like a, a typical NALCS or LCK game where the teams just give everything, never fight anything, and you just lose one team fight, and then they go down mid and end. Yes. That's a very common theme these days. And I think that watching Hillsong and Mickey X in the past, they would never do that. They would always go down swinging. And I think that is better to say, like, okay, all right, guys, we get this spike, we fight this dragon, and we just fucking fight. And if we lose, it's GG. That's what it is, right? That's much better in my head than just bleeding until they have Soul and Elder and Baron, and you can't win no matter what. Yeah. Indeed. So how's it, how's it, when you, you've, you've spent, so you were with Cloud9, even though you weren't playing on the, the LCS roster, right, yeah. uh, earlier this year. So how has, like, how would you describe Berserker as a person, uh, and then also his play style, uh, before we get into how your synergy with him has been going? Berserker is very funny. His English wasn't so good for the most part, but he's actually a very funny guy once he gets talking, and I enjoy playing with him a lot. I think he's a very consistent player. I think that he's very, very good at team fighting and late game, is where he shines. But he also is an aggressive player that wants to win lane. He just doesn't value win lane as much as scaling. He always prioritizes the the champs like Siri that scales, what yeah. isn't so strong in lane. You know, Siri Yumi was like one of our good things in the match against CLG. You don't win lane with Siri Yumi against most things, but you can farm. And then once teamfight phase starts, it's just free win. Run over them and win. So 
he always values that. I think in last split, he was very good on champs like Jinx and Aphilius. He's very mechanically adept, so that's something I'm grateful for. I'm very critical of his gameplay, obviously. His laning phase, his <laughs> making his builds. I think he is a bit stupid when it comes to things like builds and runes. He always just goes what someone else does. Ask him like, oh, this, game, copy this, yeah, this game you have fleet against three tanks instead of Conquer and Aphilius. Why is that? He's like, opens a vault. Yeah, look, T1 Gumusi has. Fleet. There you go. I'm like, bro, he's playing against Jace and and you know like Ezreal and Orki. Of course he has fleet. He's playing against Orn and Sidjani. Like, bro, you need to have Conquer, right? Or like he buys Collector against you know triple tanks. I'm like, bro, please buy Dominics, right? Yeah, that kind of thing. He's very not autopilot, but he just doesn't doesn't think that much about those things. Um, so I'm. Do you tell if you tell that. him that in the game, like if you're like in champ select, you're like, please change your rune, or do, can you say, can you do you like remind oh, yeah. him in the game, like, hey, like, oh, yeah. please, please don't, please don't build this. <laughs> I talk a lot about, about things like what summer spell he has this game. I tell him, I think if I was playing, I would go cleanse this game or heal this game, and and this and blah blah blah. Lane, I think is blah, blah you know, and so I'm definitely more involved in his decisions than most supports players would be because I actually know what I'm talking about for his part. So that, <laughs> so I think, fair. helps his improvement. <laughs> Did he actually biggest, know who you were before he joined Cloud9? I actually don't know. He doesn't know who people like... I told him some stories about Origin, and I said, do okay. you know Xpeke? He was like, who? So I don't think he knows too much about the, the EU lore. He's a Sumer, okay. for sure. So well, I'm I mean, afraid... You I'm guys did make know a semi at Worlds, so I mean, yeah, you would I mean, think he would know something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if he really knows the, the lore of EU, but... um. I did play against him for a whole split in scrims when I was in the academy team. Well, I wasn't in the team, but I was scrimming with the academy team against him, and we were doing very well. Overall, it's like, I'll say 5-5 win-lose for academy versus LCS for the most part, so I think he does know that I'm good at the, the role, and okay. I think he obviously, does care about my opinion. A, right, obviously, yeah. he's quite young in his career. How would you compare him to when you were at your peak? I think that when I was his age in my rookie season, I was better. I think that I was very yeah. good in my rookie season. That's undeniable, I think. But I think that he's very mechanically gifted right now. And I think that with time, his his weaknesses aren't mechanics or hands. It's just brain. You know, I think that right now, English-speaking ability is holding him back a little bit. And sure. I think that once that gets better, he's more comfortable with the team. He actually cares a lot about things like Herald and moving for, for objectives and dragons. He has like the late game in mind a lot. And I think that once it gets a little bit better with English, he will actually have a lot of voice, a big voice in the team. Right. And I think that's when he will become the best player that he can be. So I, I think that late summer this year, he will be by far the best ADC. I, I, I also don't remember this, Monty, but you know, like back, I think it was actually in like season six or summer, back in the day when Sven was still, I think it was maybe, it might have been when he just joined G2, I can't quite remember, but I remember there was the famous flame where the flame war actually started between like bloody fucking, I think it was like Freeze and Steel back when they were still ADCs. But then good old Forgiven just jumped in and he said the good infamous old. line where he said that like, he referenced Sven and Reckless, who at the time had vaguely, they had vaguely similar styles of playing the teams were in. And he, he called them the Scandinavia Wonder Boys, right? It was essentially, implying, you know, they were sort of like the kids born with the silver spoon in their mouth. Everything uh, was easy. Well, all I'm going to say is respect to Sven. He's finally become one of the help. He's now a butler. So there you go. <laughs> Just ask me to look, how's it doing? So would you like that? I always find to think about that. SK Gaming chose Forgiven over me, right? And then okay. a month. Yeah, I actually don't know if I talk about this a lot okay. before, but um, I did tryouts for SK Gaming in 2014 at the end of the year, and it went really bad. That one scream I had with them went terrible, and they chose Forgiven, 
and then a month later, I got an opportunity from Fnatic and from Origin, same week basically. And I always think about how grateful I am that Forgiven was better in that moment on that that time, right? And now sure. I'm playing. And then I played in a much better team. Yeah. But yeah. so it's fun to think about that. You know, that was the case. So, but yeah, good old times. Kind of, kind of miss it honestly. The banter was different back then than it is now. It was It was good times. Yeah. I do. I do miss freeze and uh, forgiven coping. That me and Reckless were on good teams, oh, but just gosh. lucky or whatever. Right. It was. Uh, it was good gosh. times. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um. So. Uh, speaking of like you scrimming against, uh, scrimming against Berserker, how was it operating with like, you know, cause one of the reasons I think you, you came back was the opportunity to actively scrim against the LCS team, right? You agreed to the situation yep. that you were going to be in at the start of this year, uh, because there was a big push from cloud nine at the beginning to really set you guys up as like hard scrim partners. Did they really do that? And was it successful in your mind? Yeah, when Els was there, at first we were scrimming two days a week against the LCS team, and the scrims had like purpose. You know, we would play the same draft three games in a row until LCS team won, or like we would play certain champions that they want us to play. Um, so yeah, at first they were they had a purpose and they were kind of useful, I think. But there's always this one thing where LCS teams that are really good, for example, don't want to scrim a lower tier academy team because it's a waste of time at the moment. But if you invest in that academy team, they will eventually become the best academy team and maybe even a top tier LCS team, top tier, but like, you know, top five, oh, six, well, seven, whatever, right? Yeah, it's not that hard to be a, a and top at six that point, team. Yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> and at that point, they're the best scrim partner you can have because you can hide things. And with yes. LS, that was really useful Perfect. because he would make them play things like Soraka Myth or the Gwen Ivern mid jungle thing, right? Yeah. And many more things like that. So when Ivern, jungle, Ivern mid jungle pops up in your LCS scrims, there's two options. Two outcomes. Either the other team uh, immediately starts playing it if it's good, and then someone else is in scrims and they're like, mm, "That's kind of fishy. That's probably from that team with LS, right?" And then it's going, you go on stage, it's banned. So yeah. it can be valuable. We were talking to hide. about this earlier, like the, yeah, the yeah. Scrim, how scrim metas like uh, develop. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you get stumped by Iron Mid Jungle. You're like. This or OP, so even, if the, even if the team doesn't use it, the, guy, the team you scrimmed against is talking to, you know, their, their mid laners, like talking to some other mid laners, like, yeah. oh, we saw this in scrims. And then how do you, what do you guys think of it? Like, how do you beat this or whatever? Right. And yeah, then, yeah. Then they're talking to somebody in Europe and like, you know, then all of a sudden it appears in Korea because like your Korean player was talking to the Korean, like his, yeah. his buddy, Core is talking to his buddies over on T1 or whatever. Right. Like, so it won't take long before the news gets out one way or another. Yeah. So yeah, agreed. I think the Academy also scrims were useful. There were some troubles like Blyber didn't like that he was playing against Kartus and Evelyn and Udyr every game. Hecarim, when the meta was like Lee Sin, Sin Sao, Jarvan, I think was the spring split meta for the most part. So in his mind, he gets worse practice. But from my point of view, we actually won a lot of games in Academy against LCS. So maybe the champions weren't so bad. Um, and LS will sometimes, if a Academy team drafted for themselves, it's a normal scrim game, both teams draft their own champs. And then Academy won, LS would make them play the same draft until they won, like three or four games in a row, because he was convinced the draft was good. This happened with one time with the Gwen Ivern thing, where Academy won like two or three games in a row, and then the fourth game, they won, and we didn't play draft again. Just to... I just love the way he's doing salty runbacks in scrims. Yeah, yeah, it's really <laughs> salty runbacks. Um, I love it. I love it. Yeah. 
That's the most it, LS thing ever. Do it again. It works. Yeah. You did it and wrong. It works. In, in some way, it was a, a good thing because it, <laughs> it's proving to you that the draft wasn't the problem, right? Sure. Because yeah, yeah. I speak here as a player that number one cope players use is they blame draft. After every game, fucking draft. You know, I went certain fucking draft, man. Shit coach, man. Fucking fuck, you know? <laughs> so that's like a very common thing. And that was been good for that moment because I think when Iron was really OP and it was so easy to play as well, just don't lose early game, 10 minutes and it's GG. Give one dragon, one herald, and you win. So, but it also, I think it also was good in a lot of different ways, not just for organizing the, the in houses, but it's always hard because there's this balance between, between is screaming EG or TL just better than screaming Kaim team because they're better players, better laning phase practice for everyone, better mechanical practice, team fighting, all that, or is making your Kaim team better for the long term investment better? So, it's a hard thing to balance where I think if your Kaim team is just dog shit, it's just not worth it at all. But C9 has traditionally had a pretty good account team overall. They've always been like a top one, two, three-ish team. So it can be worth it, I think, to put some time into it. I will say, though, I, I do think a flaw that it sounds like LCS teams still do is, you know, when you have those times when the league's top-heavy, like there's three teams that are all amazing and then everyone else is like, whatever. The mistake they make is when they only practice each other. Because I can tell you historically, yeah. the reason why classically teams don't do a boot camp when the old days is just two teams is because all you do is just eventually you figure out you're not even practicing the game, you're just practicing against that one team and you just tailor everything to exactly what they do. And it can also lead you down, like we were joking earlier about on the segment before about like when people people bring something into a scrim meta and then you think you're playing against the person who drafted it on purpose exactly, yeah. and they're just playing it because it was drafted and busted and you think I can deal with this it's like you can't you're, you're not even playing the real champion like that can happen if you play the same team 50 times even if they're the best yeah. team sometimes you want a bit of variety just so you, you're playing real league still you know I mean for sure I think that it's worth putting time into organizing your scrim schedule for example last week we scrimmed TL1s EG1s Warner Thieves 1s and then we scrimmed one team we played last week, Thick and Toss, right? And I think that's a good way to do it. Scream each team once, see what they have to say. And, you know, often when, you scream, when you're when top to a team, you often give the, the lower two teams one scrim day. And if they're really shit, never again. It's called the blacklist. It's a very common thing um, that happens where you're like, this is not worth it. I remember in 2020, we were stomping everyone. Some teams didn't want to scrim us because the scrims were just too unproductive it was just stumps over and over again yeah i remember you saying especially um at on the time, fridays yes yeah i was gonna say the day the day before lcs nobody would scrim you yes. because they didn't want to like get their like, literally just yes. absolutely destroyed and then have to go to lcs the next day with like yes, the black yes. cloud hanging over their head yeah, i remember you saying remember that. the main thing they all complain about in america is that they can't play on fucking korean solo queue and play against korean teams they're like how are we supposed to get better when the quality is so much better in korea then in a team in an edge gets Really good. Well, we can't play against them. The beaters all the time. You just you just don't bad. want to fucking win, do you? It's so fucking whack, isn't it? It's so whack. And, oh, yeah, but they're off. Have, have a lower morale before I play. Yeah, because you're bad. Guess what? The trick to getting good is you have to be bad first. You have to go through being bad. Because you don't even play the bloody game, do you? you can't, like, what is that? Like, yeah. scrim less. That'll make us better. Like, how is that ever going to make any sense? I do agree with your sentiment, but it is true that if you're like, we have this thing called IMT speedrun where we would okay. try, to, try to win the scrim block as fast as possible. And our record was like 3 hour 30, when normally it's like 5 hours. obviously is IMT, the one yeah. you just roll in most of the time. Yeah. And then the it, easiest to beat. In their case, I understand if you get stomped five guys in a row, it isn't actually worth it to scrim. You just can't play the game past right, the okay. At that point, you can just like, okay, scrim okay. someone else, right? But yes. for teams that were better, they should probably scrim those good practice at the time, right? So... It, is, it goes both ways, but it was a good old times. Uh, nowadays, we don't win as many scrims, which... I don't know if it sucks. It's kind of a good thing, I think. I think that 
nowadays there's no one that wins every scrim every day. So scrim for now have gotten better. I just wish people played more champ skew. I like champion skew a lot. I think it's the best thing that happened to NA in a long time. I haven't played solo queue in NA for almost six months now, I think, and it's great. I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm a very low win rate player right now in champ skew, uh, which is unfortunate, but I did enjoy it a lot, and I think it's much better quality practice than uh, the alternative. And solo queue and low By the ping, way, so. I don't know if it's because it's too many years ago now, but I, people barely even seem to comment on the fact that like the angle I thought was fun was like, how has no one noticed that fucking Jensen and Sven are in the same team now? Imagine going back to that fucking final <laughs> bit and be like, in a few years, you play together. I mean, the wildest angle, this is where people really haven't connected the narratives. Remember the story last year? He was going to roll swap to ADC. Bro, that has to just happen at some point in the future. So you can do some fucked up Danish odd couple scenario where it's like, one's tall, one's short, one fucking plays ADC. Now <laughs> I play ADC. Whoa, what's going on? Like, probably the ultimate fucking your personalities are totally different. It'd be all over. It'd be amazing comedy show. Jensen Sick actually com. does play some games of ADC in Champs Cube. Like, when it's past midnight, okay. you, can offer, you can offer all to get the games okay. going because there's not that many people playing after midnight. So I did play with him. He's actually not, he's not, not bad. It wasn't, wasn't too shabby. But um, the thing that happened in the finals was just. I don't know. It was a. Uh, I don't regret doing it at all, and it was fun to me at the time. Still is, and we talk about it sometimes now. It's and we joke about it. it. And it, I'm yeah, like it's a psychological just warfare, you know. Try to fuck yeah, with the guy a bit. Sure. Yeah. yeah, of course. And I enjoyed it, and I think that he maybe didn't, but um, he does laugh at it oh. now, and he he, he won, right? So <laughs> exactly, uh, yes. You can be magnanimous since he won, can't yeah. he? I know. So fucking get over it, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On the next case. <laughs> maybe he never will get over it. I enjoyed it back then, and now he enjoys <laughs> it the rest of the time. So in the end, Sven, you can be the bigger man. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can own up to my mistakes, no problem. Like that, go. that final doesn't haunt me at all. Like, I wish we would have won, obviously, right? And obviously, it would have been great yes. for yes. for TSM and my time there, because I feel like my time at TSM, I didn't play that well overall, and it was a sad way to end a two-year process with um, zero wins in finals, just one final only. So those lines, by the way, obviously the the worst thing about that final in particular is that one fucking e into that bush has now people act like you do that every game, dude. Like that has almost haunted yeah. you in your career. And the reason why that, that sucks true, yeah. so much is because when I remember your rookie year, you were clean as fuck as an ADC dude. You were doing a really good job. Like the, the, I feel like people have now just like tarred you with that brush that you like the guy who didn't randomly now. Yeah, there's definitely like a bit of like thing where if you do something really bad once people kind of like brand you as that guy right for the rest of the time whereas someone like let's say like last two weeks Hansama has been griefing half his games he's been caught left and right solo killed by Johnson 10 times same game and nobody will say oh Hansama gets called every game right because Hansama has this like good status as a player yes. where everyone likes him and he played well at Worlds and Rogue and team that was losing and stuff so it's it's definitely true that sometimes you can get branded as something but it's also like a a certain thing that happens to pro players where some people get a lot of flack for mistakes, also get a lot of praise. People like double lift or reckless or perks, and then some people just get shit on no matter what. And if they play well, they don't get any praise, like Promiscue, for example. And that's a big reason why I stop using social media because it just triggers me that like one guy can sulk another guy up 10 levels and 5k gold, and he's like, whoa, insane play, man. And then one other guy does something similar and it's like, nice solo kill, good job, you know, like. And then some people's mistakes are just highlighted so much more than others. And it just, it's like this fucking annoying process of social media that I just hate. So I stopped using things like Reddit. I still tweet sometimes when we win, but I, I dodge social media when I'm losing because I just, I can't handle people that are annoying on social media. Even like normal people that talk about politics or whatever, it just fucking triggers me. You know? So 
I know. We we talk about this. Twitter used to be fun in like 2015. It's just yes, really yes. not fun now. Now it feels like there's some guy who's trying his hardest to find a way to be triggered about what you said and take one little sentence out of the whole context and then use it against you. And you're like, bro, that wasn't my tweet, you know, like the straw man or, or, or whatever it's called. Or and also, I was just tweeting a joke and like, come on, dude, it's just not. Yeah, exactly. Silent. You know, some people take it way too serious. Whereas oh, and, and then Reddit. The Reddit has just been now consumed by like the same ten people who just post nonstop, and everyone with a like who is sane has just left. So it's just like the same. Reddit tiny is group just of Prisoners people. Island at this point yeah. in time, isn't it, Monty? It's just the worst <laughs> posters. Like, like all you need to know about Reddit is this: remember, the mods do claim that they remove comments that are insulting, personal attacks or insults. There is one account there that I don't even need to say the name of because you all know it the second I explain that he is an LPL fan that has been there for. 10 years who writes the most egregiously insulting fucking shit if you ever dare comment on like the lck lpl like this guy will just go fucking ham and he has never been banned as far as i can tell his shit's always on there so like it's a nightmare mate. don't even go there it's got it's gotten worse it's become like an apocalyptic wasteland now before there was like at least like an oasis every now and then or like some one cool person you could meet now it's like everyone you meet it's like oh there's a call for me kill myself oh okay cool bro. oh another call better answer that. like or, give me or, a like open up a thread and you're like wow this is just all lies like <laughs> no. it, 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 you know i look about stuff about myself i'm like this is just incredibly factually inaccurate and also really easy to prove that it's factually inaccurate yes, but yes, i guess yes. we're just all gonna lie about me now that's fun so this is one of the worst things about it is that sometimes when i when i had a bad game in the past i would go into like a reddit thread or a twitter post and see something about someone Rewriting history, right? Saying like, yes. oh, Spanimithia actually weren't that good in the past either. Like, we weren't TSM, right? And people were saying stuff like, we got stomped at Worlds by uh, CLG bot lane. I'm like, let me just see here. Google, YouTube, uh, CLG versus G2. Playing like Jin Brown against Kaylin Nami. Three bot lane bans. I'm like, we're up in CS or equal in CS. We're not getting stomped. We're losing lane matchup and we're equal, right? And people are just like, I got stomped by CLG at Worlds, Dixon, Afro move, fucking best players in the world, you know, fucking shit bot lane, best in the West, haha, <laughs> XD, right? And it's that's <laughs> such a terrible thing to do because yeah, exactly. your, your current bad performances shouldn't undermine your past achievements. That's something yes. I really just discussed, but uh, I don't care enough about it to like start arguing with people on Twitter. That's like when you lose the most. Florian would no. know about this. But it is it is just the flagrant lies that are just the most annoying, right? Where you're like, it's like this is just so easy to to prove that it's a lie. But then everybody's mm -hmm. like, oh, really? That's how it was, and they just like agree with it without even checking. Like, what the fuck is happening here? It's just horrible. My favorite is when in the same thread they're like, well, look, this guy just said earlier it happened, and he links to a comment in that thread itself. It's like, holy shit, we're now citing the thread itself. We made some sort of fucked up Wikipedia nightmare <laughs> references. To what is this? That's what the guy was always talking about. What? It's very sad because Reddit actually used to have like like a direct influence on people's yeah, sure. opinions of others, which is yeah, really yeah. bad that that could happen. Like I don't I don't think like professional football or soccer for Americans managers would go into a Reddit post and be like, hmm, so who played well today? Let me I see know, here. Yeah. You know, like that didn't ha doesn't happen. But I actually do think and I'm oh, actually, it, I'm sure it has happened before that some player who has a good rep on Reddit or Twitter has gotten a better chance in some team or some tryout, whatever, somewhere. So it's definitely like problematic that people care so much about it. But I think it's getting better nowadays. I think teams actually have real talent scouts and sure, yeah. you know, tryouts and they have resources to watch people. So 
shame better in that regard for sure. But well, I think example, it also helps that you know a lot of people in the early days you didn't get a lot of people with high game knowledge. But as yeah. pro players retire, as you know, uh, you know people who who have had high game knowledge, like you know, uh, at, at a high level, analysts like casters like Deficio or Papa Smithy yes. or these guys are moving into GM roles. Like it really helps. Uh, I agree. Helps. Helps so I totally agree with what Sven said earlier, though. Like, what's crazy is, like, there are definitely those people who are just never allowed to win. Like, no matter what, like, Promiscue is the best example. If yes. people don't know, the, the Reddit messaging went like this, right? They already hated him because he used to be bad years ago in LEC, right? Then his major fuck-up was that thing where he just flamed the Bouse FFS who everyone loves. So it made, that just made people like, fuck Promiscue. And I'm not joking, Monty. They just had a whole split where he was actually playing pretty well, where they just acted like he entered every game. Like, nobody could watch these games in good faith and be, he's garbage. They made out like he couldn't even have played in LEC. He was actually good. He was, like, probably the best player on Astralis, wasn't he? He was actually pretty decent, like, mate. He was, he, was, he was solid. And so the joke is, the one bloody actually good split he had in LEC got him fired because these idiots on Reddit were just like, nah, he's just bad no matter what. And he's everything he was four years ago. Or bloody more, like, seven years ago. That was, like, if he can't grow after seven years, how is anyone going to fucking improve at the game? He had seven years to improve, guys. I mean, and it could be you know, but yeah, oh, it, the is. you go the other way, and then the famously they'll just pick a random player and just overhype. Like the obvious example again was fucking Adam in the split last summer, split last year. Look, he was having some good games on like off meta champs. They made it sound like he was like the fucking next coming of Soaz, and he was going to be like the god top laner for like ten years in Europe. He's not even in LEC anymore. People don't know what were you going to say, anyways, Fred? Did you have I something should, about Promiscue? Uh, I forgot what I was going to say, but I said oh, that fair enough. I'm not like a big fan of you know bad soulkey behaviors so it could also be death right it, i'm not uh, gonna say that's a good thing to i, I mean i know we talked about it on a crackdown i know the, we're on a similar page the problem yeah, is yeah. this right is that they all think solo queue is like oh how could he be rude but it's like that's why i'm practicing bro i'm trying to be like the best player in the world like i'm taking these games seriously like i think on some level like i think it's unacceptable that like pros even like that's why, that's why the champions queue i'm no surprise you play it mate why the fuck would you want to practice against randoms and streamers if you're a pro it's garbage isn't it yeah, I mean, I think Champions Queue is a, is a really great, and it's getting used more now than in Spring Split. The queues are shorter, at least for me. Maybe it's because I was with the support, but... No, I think it has uh, been more active, because a lot of yeah. people, you know, towards the end of Spring, everybody's like, nobody's playing it anymore. And yes, then, yes. Then, then, like, all the fucking idiots on social media were like, let's witch hunt the guy who's oh, not I'm playing trying, yeah, Champions Queue. Yeah, sure. from, from the people I've talked to at the start of summer, it seems like Champions Queue is really active right now. Yes, yes. Uh, it seems okay. like it. there's a lot of games running every day. Uh, the moment it's 6 p.m., you queue up, you get pop immediately. So I'm a big fan of it, and I think it's a good concept, and there's making improvements to it all the time like there's an MMR system People now play properly like obviously yeah. the main premise you, you have you have to otherwise you get booted dude like, oh yeah. right that's good cool and uh i like that people you have to be in voice comms oh, you don't have to anymore oh you don't have to anymore now you can opt in to voice or not and you don't have to be have to be for either but before if you weren't in voice comms people would kind of like dislike you they'd be like understandable yeah this, this term no vo no comps no mercy because you would just yes. mercy so it felt like that for a while, but I think the champ skew is is getting better and better every split. There's improvements made to the MR system, to uh, the voice thing we mentioned, and it's just overall, I think, a good practice system. I wish that everyone played it. There are some downsides, like you can't hide your picks and you feel bad about trying something new for the first time. So if I want to play, let's say, um, Pike port today, I'll probably just grief my teammates and it'll feel a lot worse when a pro player does it to you in a, oh, an actual practice environment. So in that sure. sense, I can see it. And you can't hide certain picks if you want picks something funny. But um, 
I mean, Watchcom yeah. sounds great in itself, though. Having oh, a yeah, proper sure. game on Watchcom, that's already way better also, than just a random solo queue game. Yeah. Also, just as a preview, I mean, Champions Coup is going to be fucking great at Worlds this year. I mean, oh, it's yeah, going to sure, be yeah. insanely yeah. good streaming content, like really fun for. for I wonder all the what players. they will do because it will be kind of bad to have like showmaker and and stuff against fucking amateur player top 10 team Amazing. you know that's like that too big difference so maybe <laughs> they have to restrict it at that point to just the, the world's teams plus lcs or something like that i don't know but uh but yeah champions queue lower paying uh better players in every game you know full on rolls no autofills nothing it's just better in every way than solo queue so unless you want to hide hide your picks or something so you can int yes, or you can practice something funny that's uh i think i wonder the if they're gonna I wonder how they're going to handle Champions Q actually, because the as Worlds moves around NA, they're going to have to move the Champions Q server yeah. with the with the teams, most likely. I would think so. It'll they, have to be in the different locations. They do that with the actual tournament server, though. So I think it wouldn't be right. that big of a deal to just move it along. But I guess that would affect everyone else playing from somewhere else in America. Yeah, like the MX exactly. Teams that's and, and that's, stuff, that's but, the question I have because the tournament yeah. server is one thing because it's it's just on the LAN. It's not like connected to the yeah. internet. So they'll have to do something different. But there I'm, sure, some, I'm sure they'll figure it out. Yeah, there already is some players playing on Champions Q with lower ping than the pros or like close to the same or like some has 50 ping, some has 40. Like that LAN players, for example, have higher ping than the LCS pros. And that's just what it is, right? So yeah, I think they'll just have to... Some people will just get a short end of the stick when, when Worlds comes around because I think they can't make the pros that are playing Champions Q have playing higher ping. Just can't. Yeah. yeah. I think that I've... the Korean pros and the Asian pros in general will be very happy with this change because they always had this thing where they hated any Worlds because of the high ping. I remember in, in Worlds oh, 16, sure. there were so many people making jokes about how 60 ping, KW, right? And now it's, it's only like 48 for most pro teams because of great internet connections. But still, you know, it's much higher than the 8 to 10 ping they're used to play on. I also yeah. think that angle of the having the voice comms, assuming people want to do it, is mad underrated, though. Because that's another reason I always thought solo queue yeah. is such worthless practice for actual pros beyond just, like, basically keep your mechanics up or whatever. So you can't even bloody talk to your teammates and do any, like, moves together. You have, the madness is when people are typing. In a fucking solo queue game, you're typing. We're doing fucking cybering now. We're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, at that point, just be chovy and just playing up. They know what you're doing, mate. Because I always thought, like, in League, it's such an OP game if you can talk to people with your actual voice. Like, then you can work together. Oh, yeah. Like, a joke is like, like League in theory, I'm sure, compared to some esports games, maybe it doesn't need the most voice comms. Like, obviously, CSGO needs permanent voice comms. By the yeah. way, spoiler, I'm also a cunt in that game, Monty. Like, I never, ever enable voice comms because, one, I don't want to hear anyone else say anything. Their I'm bad information is going to it's going to tilt me so hard if they say, like, he's behind you and he's not, and he's just in front of me and he kills me. So already, I'd rather just be, I'd rather be blind and make my own decisions. And then secondly, as you can imagine, you're going to think I'm being egotistical, I'm making this up. If I ever enable voice comms and I speak, Always, like within one round, someone just goes, You sound a bit like Thor. And it's like, Ah, oh, two rounds into the game. Now. Oh, two rounds in, and this has happened already. So now I have to A, pretend I'm not me and just go, Who is that? Or something, fucking some shit like that. Or I'm just highest hits anyway, so I wouldn't be talking anyway. Don't worry about it, boys. And it's going to be better that you can't scream at me when I try no scope and die or whatever. So don't worry about it. It's all good. It's all good. Don't worry about Always it. Always comes are definitely great. I don't know how it would be in solo queue servers like EU, because in EU, there's a lot of games that end up with like two players just going in a complete ego battle in the chat, right? Oh, I wonder right. if. If, if those people would actually join voice comms and it would make the games better, I don't really think so. Um, but in Champs Q, the voice comms is actually a huge difference. I think that it's very often the, the thing that the team with most people in voice comms just wins, or the team that has Makes four sense. people or three people, right? It's yes. just like, oh, they have no jungler in voice comms, so 
that lanes will have better communication with jungler. They will have better, you know, set up for, for gangs, this kind of stuff, and they'll be more on the same page. Oh, top lane non comms, camp him the whole game. He won't know where jungler is because it's annoying as fuck for junglers and comms to have to say, jungler is probably here doing top yes. camps, and then have to ping it for that one guy or say in chat to what that one guy that he's there as well, right? So you often miss out on communication that's valuable. Some people just join comps and don't say anything. That's fine. You know, you don't have to say anything. Just listen yeah. to the jungler saying, yeah, jungler, jungler's yeah. here, I want to gank top, I'm going to path bot, careful to go top guys. You know, like, going herald, blah, blah, basing now, you know, these kind of things are, are useful. So, I think that more and more people are getting more comfortable with just being on comp without saying anything, and that's good as well. I wouldn't want to force people to try to talk. Also, some oh, LAN yeah. players don't have the best English or, like, whatever. That, that's fine. You know, you're on comps, listen, yes. you try. That's good enough for me. Plus, it depends on the person. If you're Dardock, maybe don't come on comms. You just play this one without, you know. We'll, 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 we'll be okay. We'll figure out what you're doing. Don't worry. I about believe it. he's actually in Champions queue, Dardock. I think I he's in, okay. as, as a coach, and he might actually be allowed to play. So okay. maybe one day we'll see him. A return. Double <laughs> D. Well, with Kenvi's performance right now, uh, I, I think that might that day might be coming sooner rather than later. Yeah, IMT you gotta is do something. not doing well. you got to do something at this point. Yeah, IMT is kind of like a, a dead orc as well at this point. They just don't seem to have any fans or any engagements and their team isn't doing well for a very long time now and not sure what happened to Immortals. They just went downhill and they never stopped going downhill. So it's kind of sad to see because IMT was a big team some years oh, ago. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, if people don't know, they are the team originally that caused all the bloody salary inflation, which is why Sven's even in NA right now. Otherwise, he'd probably be on like fucking Rogue or something trying to win Worlds still. Oh, sorry, he's still trying to win Worlds. That, that uh, part was, I said the part out loud that was supposed to be quiet. You know, reminder, <laughs> I beat Rogue at Worlds this year. Okay. Fair play. Maybe try, try, try a different team, maybe. That's true. Fair play. Fair play. I was one of the only people who said that that, that upset was possible, guys. I did call that one. Well, I, I think I think a lot of like the direction changed a lot when Noah left Immortals. Um and I don't know. Like I think I think Immortals is an interesting case because th the last couple of years they've been worse than their roster would make you think they are, and that's still true. You would look at the roster this split and you would say that it has been on paper improved from the roster last split, and it just it, they they can never catch a break. It feels. It shouldn't like, be last place, surely, with this roster, yeah. Sven. Like on paper, this roster should be like at least like a playoff team, like eighth team or something, right? I'm not sure. Like, I don't know who I would think on paper is necessarily worse than IMT, like straight up. Like, worse. Is, like is Poe washed or something? Is he just not good at the moment? No, I don't think he's washed, but I don't think that IMT players fit that well together. They need more people that do something. Can we? Okay. Can we? We maybe do need to then. Get him in. Get him in there. Like, what what made Kenvi good was playing champs like Graves and Kindred. And now he's last picking Trundle and just firing the whole game. It just doesn't seem My like okay. that really works. Well, for... he's also like inting sometimes. I yeah, mean, he's he, not playing well. I, I don't disagree with it at all. He seems to have a lot of nerves, at least when it comes to these stage yes. games, because he is making really terrible individual plays. Oh, I, I agree. Like His strengths were playing champs like Kane, Kindred, Graves, Lee Sin maybe, I think. And then now he's playing Trundle last pick, and what Worth of Power Evil was playing with Centaurin, right? That was his best time as a player. He was playing with like a, a role player, so to speak, that played tanks and accommodated. Centaurin's always been a very selfless player, whereas Kenvi's the opposite, right? So, one of Kenvi or probably you'll have to adjust and they aren't really seeming to be players that adjust. Kenvi doesn't seem to be a tank player that sits mid and, and docks for Power Evil. And Power Evil always plays the same champion, same way. So might not be the best fit. And I'm not sure about, you know, the rest. It, it doesn't feel to me like 
the rest of the players aren't necessarily top tier either. They do okay in their lanes usually, but then they just lose because they're a bad team. So I'm not sure who's actually worse than IMT on, on paper. I don't think anyone actually is at this point. I mean, I think Dignitas is worse on paper, but... Are they really? Yes. <laughs> okay, but like, you, you, you compare <laughs> like... Just on the messy roster, though. Like, I, I would think River is better, for example. Oh, yeah, Gamso, yeah, sure. Gamso is worse than Revenge, for sure. Yes. The bot lanes, I think that both ADCs are fairly similar. Neo has better strength on some champions than others. Loss is more consistent, I'd say. And then Biofrost versus Ignar, it's kind of like... It's not that big of a difference either way, right? It's not, a great, it's not a great yeah. meta for Ignar either. I, I, I agree with that. And sometimes people play worse in different teams because they're not used to something. But I don't see the big difference in those teams. But Dignitas games are more... There's more hope. IMT is almost getting perfect gamed every week this, these days, right? I think this was back-to-back weekends where they almost got perfect gamed, you know, twice now. So I, I, their games yes. just look hopeless. They they did uh, I think they they got a a herald and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head they got a herald and a dragon yeah there was uh, this one game but yeah. they didn't get any kills they've obviously Dignitas. just been cursed and, and this monkey pot again and, and, they just and this went was to the cursed monkey pot and they said we just want to play a ton of perfect games and oh they, they didn't even get a herald they got they got yeah, a dragon yeah. Um, but yeah it well, was the one with uh, the lost so the one with the mid towers thing the yeah, lost mid towers for for dragon okay yeah i it was the game against dignitas um that was i mean it was it was pretty bad um and then yeah i mean it's it's yeah. tough <laughs> i've it's, got a joke I, for you monty right ken v the reason i know he's in deep shit monty is because his surname literally is espinoza right his surname is espinoza monty so that means he can't even pray to god because he believes there is a force that could represent God, but it doesn't have a personal <laughs> that's identity a or anything. It's a very self-indulgent joke. You'd be the only person who'd appreciate it. Sorry. It's all good. It's all good. Look it up, kids. Do your homework. Look up your philosophy. Uh, but yeah, that's that's actually really funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they they did almost get perfect game by by Dignitas. I mean, I mean, they even by Golden Guardians, they become by, the game right now. Uh, by a hundred by a hundred thieves. Um, the Golden Guardians game. They got one dragon and one kill at. They got one 30. dragon, one herald. That's the one I was thinking of. So yeah, they do yes. always get perfect game like multiple times. The the bad thing about that that immortals game, um, so they they did so it was almost worse than being perfect games. Uh, we were doing like a live viewing of that on this channel, um, amazing and I, and like the crazy thing about that game in particular was that he, they got objectives, but they traded down for those objectives yep. like they got herald but then they lost like a thousand gold other places on the map so they actually would have just been better off not doing the herald so the hilarious thing is like technically they didn't get perfect game but somehow it was even worse than a perfect game because they just dug themselves into a deeper hole by not getting perfect game it was pretty crazy to watch yes i remember i'm watching it right now on my second monitor like that imt spawning moves up to the herald and then you look at the gold difference before herald it's like 700 gold yes. golden guardians and then one minute later, it's 1.8k gold. Yes. Money gets like three plates, bot tower. Yes. And it's up 1,000 gold. And you're just like, and then you look at how the Herald was used this game. Kenvi has it and he puts it. Let's see here where he puts the Herald. What does he use the Herald? Does he even use it, Herald? He puts it top and it gets two plates. Yep. And so like, got, they got 320 so you, gold, but they yeah, lost a thousand gold. And, it and was the gold pretty went, funny. The gold went to Trundle, right? And you're just like, what the fuck is he going to do with, that with this fucking gold, right? <laughs> so it's definitely disappointing to see that kind of stuff. And it's a very common theme that teams overreact for Herald 
the one of LS's biggest gripes is that he hated Harold. He just really hated Harold. He it was one of the few things that really made his gears grind or whatever you say is that he just couldn't handle when teams that were outskilling would go to Harold and fight and lose the whole game over it. Yep. Uh, it was really interesting that he had some things he just cared so much about. Things like items, runes, builds, heralds, freezing on sideline in mid-game, not fighting objectives you don't have to fight if you outscale, and drafts. Those are some of the things that he cared a lot about, which was very interesting because in the past, with coaches like Reaper or Mithy, things like builds or runes were never a concern. Unless someone had like a blatantly troll build like Power Evil having his, his Conqueror, Riftmaker thing going on in Oriana, right? Then sure, they will ask, what's this all about, right? But besides that, they never cared. But Ellis put a lot of effort into thinking about, you know, cookies is one of his big things, and runes and item builds, and making people think more about their choices instead of just autopiloting to the most comfortable thing and the most normal thing, so to speak. So it was interesting to see him in action for a while, because I was there watching from the sidelines for the most part. I wasn't playing more than one, sometimes two games of scrims a week. And most of the time I would be watching DLSS scrims, right? And watching him do his thing. So it was... Um, no, no, I like I, that. The cool thing to me there is, like, that's a good reason to be a coach. You have, like, these set principles you think nobody does generally, yeah. and you want to inculcate them into people and see if they have an effect. Like, I'll give you an example. What he says about Herald is basically one of my biggest pet peeves ever, watching League of Legends. Because since I come from CSGO, right, I've always been trying to look, like, what's the basic strategy that each team thinks they have to win in this scenario? And I can't believe how many games of League of Legends I've watched where the team that is, like, ahead with a scaling comp, they're ahead in the game with a scaling comp, yes, yes, yes. just fights a barren fight and just loses it. And it's like, loses the game off it. Like, what? why are we even fighting? This, like, it's one thing to bait it and make them fight you in a favorable fight, or to bait it and then just make sure no one can take it or check if they're doing it. But when they just do it, no reason because in their brain, they're just going, like, But we're ahead and we've got the scaling. If we had Baron as well, it's like that, but that like cost cost balance is it's off, isn't it? Like, the, what you lose yeah. if you throw it's just not worth it. So, in general, I can't believe I've even seen like the amount of Korean teams I've even seen do that, dude. It's crazy. So, that's yeah. one thing. If I was coach, that would be like one of my main things I'd, love, I'd fucking love to drill. So, I can see why he goes in on that stuff because if you yeah. can really get all those habits in place like this is what people don't get about coaching dude is you know the, all those stories you hear and it's notorious of coaches like well what can i do they don't let bloody coaches do anything i can't implement anything then don't take the job because at the end of it right when you get fired everyone is going to judge you as if you chose everything as though you chose every draft you chose how they practice the team the players so if you ever go into that role get every single fucking squeeze every last drop out of that motherfucker do everything you want to do because that way if you lose at least it was you at least you made the choices who the fuck wants to be blamed that it wasn't even you who made all the decisions like i'd want to do that i'd like take well, all all the all the weight on me it, it cuts both ways too though because i think what's the the reverse in the reverse anger that i feel to that situation is the anger i feel when i watch team liquid play 100 thieves this last week right so they pick the Udir with a pushing bot lane. And FlyQuest showed earlier this season, what you do is you use the Udir and the pressure you have in bot to take a six minute dragon, right? And then you just massively prioritize Dragon Soul. And so to watch Team Liquid 
just fart around because like Team Liquid, the way they've been winning is not through like playing early game super well. They they play pretty passively and then wait to outscale their opponent. But they're coming in with this Udir and this Callista in this game. And like I'm watching them. So they there's one point in this game where they push out bot lane and they've taken the dragon and they have an opportunity to just swap Callista and Renata to take um, Herald at, uh, around eight minutes around Herald spawn as well. And they just walk back into bot lane. I'm like, do you guys not understand that you have to push the advantages that you have right now with this composition to snowball the game and snowball these objectives. And they're like, nah, we're just going to go back into bot lane for literally no reason uh, and just sit there and do nothing and then lose Harold. And then when it comes to these, when it comes to these uh, later, like dragon three, four fights as well, they're just not playing aggressively around the objective with their composition. And they just, kind of get smashed by a hundred thieves. So it's really puzzling to watch teams decisions as to not knowing when they really have to push the, the, the gas pedal as well into accelerating these games. And I thought team liquid had a pretty clear win condition in that game that they just totally ignored. Yeah. I'm looking at the game right now and there's a timer at seven minutes where Orn uses ult top. And TL has GP ult. They could probably try to swap in the time and force the yep. Herald. But they yep. use GP ult for a, a played bot where they don't get anything. They get a flash from Phileos. And then yep. they lose the Herald uh, yep. right after. Wukong started. They do have Corky mid. And fighting Herald with Corky before 10 minutes is kind of hard. And Orn is kind of strong since GP has no ult. So I think the Herald give might be fair enough. Because swapping as Phileos is kind of risky sometimes if you have no GP ult, which they use for a play, right? If that play works, which it could have, Core J hit his Q, it could have been okay. But I, I think they can. I think the... they can do it because it was an Ori in mid, um, and the the big ults were down at that time too. I think Abadage's shockwave was also down at that time, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he he does use it at. Uh, yeah, he uses it right before the herald started actually for uh, right. So the they fight. didn't have Ori ult or Ori ult, and they yes. had a timing to swap top. So that's why yeah. I, I was like, "What are you, what are you guys doing?" Right? Um, yeah. So it was timer it, it, at eight twenty, where Hansama and Koji base first and. Once yes. Blind has a base, they would want to Herald right here and just do it. And I think they would win that, win that fight. They did use GP ult and Coast ult for a fight on both sides. Maybe what's making them not go for it. And Centauri has full bot camps alive. But I do agree that the whole game shouldn't have that kind of pace, you know, where the game should never be... Like, TL shouldn't allow the game to be so slow. I guess they thought they would maybe scale with the, the Corky and the GP. But they gave up both Heralds to get first two Dragons. I mean, but it, here's here's here. here's my problem. If you think that that's true, then with this composition, maybe don't pick Udir or Callista. <laughs> I mean, what I'm seeing here, they get first two dragons, and the third dragon, they just let them flip it, which I think they shouldn't be. No, he no. should be able to. There, there was also fight. there was also just really weird uh, decisions that were made. So like. Um, Bjergsen went for an early hex drinker instead of like rushing his Ludens, and he yeah. needed the Ludens power spike so that they could actually contest the early dragons and play around Callista strengths. There's a lot of weird shit happening in that game, and you know if you compare it to the game you played Udir in, because it's not that Udir always has to go for these early dragons. It's just in the Fly Quest game that happened earlier this season, and in this particular game, if you have the bot lane pressure, you can play for very early dragons because of Udir's strength and solo them super early on into the game yep. and you can basically just force early game very favorable early game scenarios at like 24 minutes for your soul right but when you guys play it it made sense to play more passively because you had this yumi that was basically allowing the udir just to run at their back line 
for free yeah. in your game. So it's it's a different win condition with the same champion sure. based on the composition. But you guys played out, you you guys just kind of farmed it up with the with the Udyr and it made sense. My point is like Team Liquid is playing this style that doesn't necessarily mesh with the composition and they're so passive uh, that it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, in our game, we actually made some mistakes as well. Of, we told Blabber we thought we could push in the bot lane, but we actually couldn't. Still just bot and played very aggressive, took a lot of damage and they had to push. So they actually got bot crap and they got a blue buff, I think, from Blabber. And then Contact's pathed back to top lane. Got, he got double craps and a full clear again. And he was so far ahead. But in that game, if we just path opposite, which should have been hindsight, we would actually play for scaling. Udyr is like so unkillable by champs like Senna that don't have high DPS. Because nowadays you can't buy Kraken Slayer anymore in Senna, you don't have enough gold. So you have to buy like this Lethality build that just can't kill a tank. Yeah. So we were, and they had, they had this pick, they picked Zoe. So they have Zoe, Yon, and uh, Senna. Very low damage to a tank with an enchant on it. So we just knew that if we don't lose the whole game in 15 minutes, we will just auto-win teamfights with Siri, Yumi, Udyr, and we will just run them over, and we did. So yeah, I think sometimes you can draft for late game with, with Udyr, and sometimes you can draft for uh, early game. But in Teal's game, they're playing against Orn, Oriana, Aphelios, and Wukong. So that's not enough damage to kill an Udyr in this game. I think TL's biggest mistakes is probably just not fighting the third dragon till the absolute death or yeah. the, the fourth one. Let's see what happens here. They got the fourth one. When is the soul spawning? Here. Month one banger. I mean, the, the bigger big problem is that TL is at man 26 against Oriana, Aphelios, Lulu, Orn, and they're up 0.7k gold and it's Cloud Soul. They just don't have enough gold lead to actually win this game, uh, given how yeah. useless Renata is in this game and how. How bad close there is against all these champs. They picked a an early game comp and they just can't win. Yep. Yeah, but, I mean they have to force harder, yeah. Right. So True. that's what I'm saying. Like, there, yeah. There's I don't think it's really like a my point of all of this conversation is like I don't think it's really an issue of you know, you shouldn't force Harold. It's like not knowing your comp's win conditions and not like aggressively playing playing to them or just leaving things alone that don't matter to you and it just seems like that that mistake is like kind of constantly made and you know i don't know what's going on in lcs with like lucian but <laughs> i watch other regions and lucian is fucking good and i watch lcs and lucian nami is just terrible because people don't play aggressively enough in lane like they don't take the same level of like all ins with confidence that we see in in other lanes like it, you know uh, there isn't a universe where immortals should be losing to like Zeri Lulu with Lucian Nami. Like they were just got destroyed immediately and then couldn't do anything for the rest of the game. And if you're not actively pushing that advantage, you're missing out on the point of running these compositions, which I find very weird. Has somebody, so uh, here's uh, with, when it comes to Lucian, who has been doing well with Lucian and scrims? Because clearly everybody in LCS thinks like this is the fucking this is the tits, man. Like they want to go after it, but everybody just fails with it. So what the fuck has is been it? going on in scrims? FBI, who is it? Who plays it? <laughs> I will say that last week we we're doing very well with Lucianami, and then this week we tried it again, and it felt a lot worse because it got nerfed on this patch. And I think that That's true. you can't play as Lucian with a lot of things and, and go like sort of even, but you're pushed in a lot of time and you're not having any control of the laning phase. So there's that. But I think that it's maybe the, the newest NAJs or the newest, you know, NA something has a win lane type of champ. Uh, I do feel that Lushinami is a little bit of a bait sometimes. Um, it doesn't really win lane as hard as it used to at Worlds or earlier this year. 
So I think that things like the MFU me that EG played can lean against uh, Tsunami. I think me and Volk even played that at Worlds. We played that matchup at Worlds against Rogue. And I think that MF Yumi can actually land and do fine. And then you outscale in a lot of ways because Lujinami isn't that good against a lot of things. But Yumi is just an OP, OP character, right? So yeah, I think Lujinami might be a little bit of a bait for any teams, especially in the lower tier teams. I think that if I was playing a team like IMT who played Lujinami this week, I wouldn't be that hyped to play a champ like that. Same thing goes for things like Kalista. I think that Kalista should be played by good teams with strong AD carries, strong bot lanes that can snowball the game and win. I think playing, you know, Lucian Callista type champs in bad teams is not good enough. You won't win with a lead anyways. So yeah. I'm curious wait, one, this podcast would work on 0.5 YouTube speed between the three of us. Or ketamine. Yeah. One of the my two. bad, my bad. And then, and talk, <laughs> we all do it, me. We all people say the I same know, thing about me and my videos. People say they watch them on like two times speed or whatever. Like yeah. um the what I want to ask is this about TL though. What what do you think the flaw of TL is? Because the problem I have I with that team is basically, that. <laughs> I've, I've had the whole of last split, and now I've got this period. The, the lineup's just never, like on paper, it looks amazing. Mate. It looks like you should just win NA hands down easily. It never seems like it actually works in the game. I do think TL has historically, not just this roster, had a problem when Koji isn't playing a champ with direct agency, either winning lane hard or a champ right. that can do something. He's much better his team is a lot better when he's playing melee champs that can engage and facilitate when he's playing champs like Nata it doesn't look the same unless he wins lane really hard because their mid jungle is mostly just playing tanks and scaling and Whippo also seems to be doing a lot better when he's playing a champ that can actually like do something not a GP type champion some sort of like Orn, Gragas, Aatrox type of champion well, their meta or not isn't that important. Like you see, fucking Wonder is making magic happen with Gragas all the time. I think that will benefit, you know, TL. I thought last split when people was playing like Renekton and Gragas, he was making magic happen everywhere in the whole game. Sure, yeah. I think that that facilitates Hansama and Birksen, who are like, I wouldn't say passive players. Hansama is a good laner, but they don't play champs right now that do something in the game. So they're playing most control mages, which I think is yes. the meta in mid lane, core key control mages, right? And someone has to start a fight. But in these games. Gangplank, Corky, Udyr. Who's going to start a fight? You know, it's just... <laughs> there's nothing there. So I think that that's what they need right now is J or Whippo to play more facilitating champions that can actually start a fight and do something. Tanks, for example. And yeah, um, yeah I think that's their biggest issue. They are still, you know, 5 and 3. I mean, 5 and 2, I believe. So they aren't doing that badly. They're just not doing that well either. Well, they've had... I think they... <laughs> If they you use the eye test, like they should have lost both games last week. Yes, to flight uh, post, yeah, sure. <laughs> and yeah. they like caught a throw. And then it, it's also the, you know, some of their wins have been a little shaky. And then when they lose, sure. they just get, I mean, they got completely rolled by 100 Thieves, um, despite having the advantages we talked about. And it's yeah. weird because you look at, I'm curious what your thoughts on Hansama are, because he's been surprisingly weak, I think, since joining this roster. And if I would have thought, Okay, we got a Callista, maybe some pocket Draven picks coming around, like seems pretty good around yeah. the world. This should be like the Han Sama meta, and it yes. just isn't. As it just fucking isn't. <laughs> so... All the gems that he's good at are meta. Lushinami right. was something he was good at. Callista was some of his best champions. Draven, Senna, like all these champs are his best champions. So it should be his meta for sure. And Koji should be on paper best support next to Vulcan. So it's weird that they aren't having more success in Bolland recently. I think that 
some games like against TSM, they pick this like ego matchups, like they picked Ezreal Bard against Kalista Renata, and you just don't win at any level. And it felt like they were kind of like egoing a little bit on their points, like saying, "Yeah, TSM fucking dogs. We can play, you know, Kalista. We can play this matchup, even though it's really bad for us because we're better." And then they got rolled and died in lane multiple times, and Han Sama got caught multiple times against um, Flyquest. He died in lane one v one. He died mid game one three times, I think that I can remember in my head right now. So. He's been having a pretty bad split overall. I think in spring he was decent, but I paid less attention in spring because I wasn't playing. Now I'm watching games more closely and paying more attention to how people are playing and stuff. But yeah, I do think he's been very underwhelming given how good he was at Worlds and how much he was praised at Worlds. Um, this is just a cycle Hans Sama, mate, though, because I've seen this. It's happened at two Worlds now. There was obviously the Season 7 one I referred to earlier, the Misfits yeah, yeah. SKT one, and then now there was the Rogue one, where because Rogue looked a bit dodgy, like he got to look super good. Here's the here's the cycle that Hans Sama goes through. He is the player where he's always the most underrated, like, oh, he's the hipster pick. Like, I think he's, like, secretly the best. So then he's underrated. But then the problem is, so many people eventually say he's underrated that he becomes overrated because then he's just the best, isn't he? And he's never been, like, just a permanent best, like, two years in his role. Like, wow, mind-blowing ADC. He's just a really good ADC, but he's not, like, some fucking... It's not faker, is he? Come on. (laughs) It's hard to say because Rogue Botlane was by far the best duo in lane. EU okay. for a long time. They were really good in lane. Everyone said Robot one best in lane. They're super good in lane. They play Morgana, Kaylin, they play Kalista, they play all these kind of stuff, and they're super good. Hard to play against Draven, everything. And then they go to Worlds, and Trinby was playing really poorly, I think, in lane. He was dying in almost every single game in lane, and Hans Sama was maintaining the 0-0 X KDA, where he's not dying, he's not losing the game for his team, he's making some plays here and there, like a solo kill on, on Ghost, I remember that one. Picks up Khan on cycling one time, you know, he's losing some, some plays here and there, and overall solid performance, right? And then he goes to NA in a really good team, stack team, super team, so to speak. And yeah, he's yeah. not doing anywhere near as good as he was before. And Trimpy is still doing well in EU, in Rose. Oh, yeah. So they were, it's a bit hard to, to tell what's going wrong for Ansama, but. Yeah, but here's what that. kills me, dude. I think the bot lanes, look, no offense to you, but I think the bot lanes in NA are pretty fucking weak. I actually don't think so, but more on that later. Because I think that when I came to NA and TSM in 2018, I also didn't play anywhere near as good as I did in EU. So it's possible that he has problems adjusting. Like, he has no friends here, which I didn't have when I came here. He doesn't have any, like, social life outside of scrims, which hurt me and Mithy, for example, because some people really rely on having social, you know, friends or like, activities outside of scrims. It's like, people like Mithy and Amazing need that to perform. I don't, right. personally, that much, but it helps, right? Um, so that could be something that's going wrong with him. Like, maybe he doesn't have Mitchell just isn't happy in his team for whatever reason, right? Sometimes the teams don't mesh personally. It, it happened to C9 last year. Our biggest enemy was ourselves. You know, I got benched because of personal problems between players, and that might be solved now between the people that were involved back then. But it hurt us as a team, you know, at that moment. So it's hard to always know the full story to a team like this. Oh. I do think Hansama, straight up, the eye test is not playing as well as he was last year in summer and in uh, at Worlds. So. Something is going wrong for sure. But about the bot lanes in NA, I do think that the top bot lanes are actually pretty decent right now compared to historically. I think that FBI Hui, solid, in lane phase especially. Koji and Hansama should be good on paper. Not playing well right now, but they're good players still, right? Uh, J, sorry, Vulcan and Danny, Springs with champions. Vulcan is the best support in the league right now. Or it's the best, best performing support player by far. It's not even close, in my opinion. Danny is solid has some champion pool issues. Like you, you will never see EG playing Callista or Lucian, probably, in this whole split. 
but they find ways around it. So Danny can play MF, or he played Seraphine this week. He did well on that, I think, sort of. So EG Blind, best in the league. And I think Meme Berserker, we're trailing behind. But once we get there, we'll be a strong duo. And I think that the overall level, there's like four good duos this year. Whereas in the past, I always thought like... Oh, you mean historic, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, sure. that's like, like double lift, Cordae. Yeah, yeah. Ziggy and Sizzle aren't bad, but they're not like good either. There's me and Mithy and me and Smoothie. You know, like, it wasn't that great back then. So I think nowadays, duos are pretty good in NA. Sure. And even at Worlds, I thought like FBI and Huhi played decently well at Worlds. I think that they held their own against you know, two of the premier balance in the world in T1s and EG's balance. So I think. What about this then? Since you were talking about the TLTSM game, even though we were memeing before, let's for real talk about TSM because, dude, I actually. Here's the thing last split, like, I didn't know some of those players, but once I saw them play, I was like, yeah, this is going to be terrible. It just looks like a totally bad lineup that they've done. Yeah. This lineup doesn't even make sense at this bad, mate. Like, if you even just tell me these three names, it's got Hooney, Speaker, Maple, take whoever you want as the bot lane. Like, they're going to at least be a playoff team, right? What the fuck's going on? Yeah, TSM should be playoff for sure. I think that Mia is someone that played in LAN last split. He was playing Champs Q, and I was actually very impressed with him. I thought that he was you know, a lot better than the average LAN team player, and I thought that this guy was in time, could be really good. So I'm happy they took a chance on him, specifically. I think that Maple, I don't have to speak for Maple, right? He's proven. He's a very, very good player. I think that his biggest obstacle will be you know, learn language and the culture. It's hard to go from east to to west, I think, as a even player. That's a bit weird. I didn't even thought of that. I'm going, you yeah. played this motherfucker at Season 5 Worlds. Yeah, I played, guy. In, I played this guy many, many years. Yeah, I played him at Worlds <laughs> Season 5, at IEM Season 6, at some other thing later on. And he's a great player, a lot of experience. And I think that he isn't. he's a player that does something. He's not traditionally been a player that sits back and lets Let's just team loots, right? So oh, I no, think that he sure. can bring something to the I mean, No, he's he's engineered a lot of upsets against yeah, yeah. world class teams, right? Yeah. That's also why you would think this team would be good. Like Speaker and fucking Maple. That should be like the new caster of Maple, like fucking Goham, plus mid jungle. Yeah. Look at some of the games right now. Who'd they play against? I mean, this week they, they, they played all the lost the EG and Dignitas. Yeah. So Yeah, Dignitas, not a good look. What even happened in that game? Dig. I didn't watch this game, I think. Maybe it was right after our game, so I was busy with interviews. Oh, I remember this game. I mean, I personally think that TSM is kind of in the category right now of playing the harder team comp. You know, they have like this Renata Calista thing against Siri Yumi and... I mean, Blue's had pop-off games on his ear as well. Yeah, I agree with that. He's been playing a much, lot better than I thought he was. Um, but it looks to me like TSM... Oh, wait, what happens here? They throw the whole game for pop-off? Oh, what is Tactical doing? That's, that's the a story. question I'd that's like the, to ask. That's the real oh, exactly. story, right? That's oh, a larger oh question God. I would genuinely like to ask those friends. Oh, but they, lost, what, they, they lost the whole game you, for Ripoff. What, what, do you, what do you generally think of Tactical as an ADC, by the way? Obviously, he's been different levels of teams now. What do you think of him at the moment? It, it sounds a bit like a, a Reddit narrative to say like he's hit or miss or like going flip, but oh my God, who needs it? Okay, so I think I love said, this uh, Zven React stream. I'm, just, I'm watching Zven right now, and this game is such a mess. Like, if, okay, so first tactical. I think he's a pretty good mechanical player, but he's a bit too what we call an ego player. Like, he will do things where you're like, "What the fuck is he doing?" Like, you can never win this fight, or you can never do this play, and he gets caught like unironically a fair amount and dies for no reason. Sometimes, even in Champions Q, if I'm playing with him in Champions Q, he dies for no reason. He's like, "Oh, the tactical guys." 
I'm like, holy like, shit, he's, like, dude, he's, like, he's so, beaming on himself using yeah. his own name as that's, the That's, that's a bit of a problem, but I do think that when he was in TL with Core J, he was playing really well, and it wasn't because of Core J. So I know he has it in him to play well, but I'm watching this game right now. TSM has two dragons at min 13. They're up 1.5k gold, and they're you know on course to get soul at 25 minutes, which is good. And then they just lose the whole game for a red buff because Tactical wants to hit it, but then he just dies. And then Mia, no, well, Pika dies trying to help him. And then Huni gets barreled into his. He gets barreled into the tower and just dies. And they lose a 1,500 gold lead in one minute. And they're playing against Asir, Gragas, Yumi, Siri. So they just played a comp that wins early game. They won early game, made one mistake, and lost the whole game. And now, yeah, now it's just over. That's just it. But this is why I said that I don't like when some teams play the, the early game comp. Because you yeah. make one bad mistake. And it's over. You know, you're playing a Siri, Yumi, Asir. It's very extreme in this case that Yumi, Siri, Asir is a mega skill yes. comp. Right. Uh, and Kostar is like the opposite. You also have Nar and Viego who can't do anything if you're not winning. So, but it's the case of like a, a bad team should be careful playing a comp that doesn't scale at all. They have Corky in their comp, but that's the only champ that does anything later in the game. And Corky can't carry I would, a I would even and... argue there's another area where League as a game has fundamentally changed, like how the win conditions work, right? Back in the day, if you super stomp the early game in lane, you can just win the whole game. It's the end of the game. You you have to... There's a certain pace to the game now because you have to use the mechanics riots made of the fucking dragons and the herald, etc., to end the game. Like, you, you're not just going to kill people and be ahead and just, it's yeah. over. Like, that rarely ever happens. There was this common thing Ellis would say. He would ask the players after a scrim game, how much gold do you think this team needs to be ahead to win this game against this comp? And they'll be like, 5k gold, 10k gold, blah, blah. And that will often be his, like, his reason. So, so you, you think that they have to be ahead 5k gold at this time to win the game? And they're like, yes. So why the fuck are you fighting Harold? He'll be like, you know? And they're like, hmm, that makes sense, you know? But Summit was... I like the way he baited him into that as well. He did like the classic... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, why would you do that? You yeah. would like, oh, sorry, It's like a children's right. teaching kind of thing, right? I love it. Um, I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he had the it trap was... card the whole time, Yu-Gi-Oh! style. <laughs> uh, yeah, very so much it, in the LS wheel. Really did, yeah. <laughs> and Summit was always under the impression that he wanted to play Nar and Necton and fight Harold, you know? Oh, Fuck yeah. Oh, but then Summit also agreed that if he just played something else and outscaled, they would just win. He's like, yeah, that's true. I like the way he's doing it. He's now on some, like, fucking that little kid in the fucking Matrix movie, like, there is no spoon. Unless he's on some, like, <laughs> trying to, like, fucking blow people's minds. Like, Summit, like, but Summit, you don't even have to fight to win. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ellis has had very, I love it. I love very it. funny and interesting things that just really pissed him off. Like, if Winsome would buy two pink words on Sona instead of buying you know, one or zero, he would just get mad. And then he kept doing it, and one day he was fucking slam table and say, Look, you have fucking Moonstone at minute. It's the first game of the split last last year. Oh, because he'll want you to rush the Moonstone. Of course, yeah, that build. Yeah, of course. Win some Sonats. Yes. Maybe it's here. I can't. No, I know he's someone who thinks you should complete the Moonstaff or whatever like, as yes, soon as possible. It's, it's right, right here. Yeah. It's the first game against Golden Guardians, and he has Moonstone at. Cena has three dragons at 20 minutes, and Soul's coming up, and he doesn't have Moonstone. One minute before salt spawns. Perfect. And then meanwhile, he buys two pink. He buys two pinks per base, right? Puts it in a spot where it gets killed in one minute. And then Ellis is like, "Look, the fucking pink. It's, fucking, it's fucking useless, right?" So that's the kind of things that other coaches will never look at. So that, that was interesting to, to work with, and I really like that that he pointed out individual things a lot, like freezing a side lane and mm. 
I think that this whole summit freezing silence in mid game was a really big obstacle for C9's main team. Like I would often watch reviews go on for like 15 minutes about one single point a game, and then sometimes else would whip out this uh, drawing tool. And you're like, oh shit, here we go again. As soon as the drawing tool comes out, you know, taking the belt off. (laughs) Oh no, the fucking pencil's coming out, boys. Let's go. (laughs) And I remember, like, I was. I also appreciate the fact LS as a coach believes in freezing in the bloody VOD review. He's like, no, we're going to stay on this moment for like 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then we're watching. (laughs) The concept of freezing in the VOD review, you can't. (laughs) The best part was, like, I was watching from Academy Room, right? I was helping them scream as well. And then someone's like, guys, look at LS, the drawing tool. And it's like lines, everyone on screen saying, freeze here and push this wave and 5.30, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're like, it was a good time. You know, I appreciate, we have a saying in English, I don't know how you say it in Danish, but in English, when you, if you want, if you wish you could like see what was going on in the scenario, you say, I wish I was a fly on the wall because you wish you could like stop. The joke is you were, you were just like fucking peeking around the corner from someone like Academy room. What the fuck? I would as well if it was LS. It's also, it's also really lie. funny because like in the it's like Cloud9 TV series. <laughs> in the Cloud9 house, by the way, so like they do VOD reviews in the living room and there's like this big like couch area and then oh, immediately yeah. next to the living room, there are like these like folding doors and it's the Academy room. Oh, yeah. So then you could like open up the doors and just watch the the review that's going on. Academy has <laughs> since moved upstairs, but it is true that was the case before. So, but um, as much as it sounds really good with LS and all that, there also was a lot of problems with LS and the staff and uh, all that that I came to. But it was like there was a lot of drama in the org, and it was not it's just not worth it. Um, but he sort of vibed with some of his methods but, and his philosophy. But the way you said about the, the fly on the wall, it was good content for sure. So, you know, it was a uh, definitely pay per view type of content and. Uh, <laughs> it's what it is but I think that Els was a very interesting person to work with and I, I liked it a lot I liked seeing a different perspective on coaching so coaches are always like about uh, communication and teamwork and all being on the same page and doing the same thing follow the calls you know like that kind of stuff and draft and Els was just so much more individual like, why are you buying that fucking pink ward I told yeah. you to finish the moves yeah like, like literally stand on the table all kinds of pink words you know exactly so, so was, uh, but but considering that you have you still have Max Waldo as the head coach, um, he's I mean he was in Korea with LS, like he's very much yeah. like cut from the LS cloth, right? So it, how how much different is it with Max uh, as the head coach instead of LS? Max is definitely very different than than LS. He's um, despite them being good friends and all that, and you know some people call Max the LS disciple and all that. Max is very very logical as a person. He just how do I say it? Think about this. How how to phrase this better so it makes a lot more sense. He really. Well, you're a, thinking. Uh, all I would say is, if I had to pick which one of the disciples, maybe Judas. I'm not sure what that Damn. means. Don't <laughs> biblical references. Don't worry about it. I remember when people called me and Mithy Judas when we left uh, <laughs> okay. Origin, uh, the whole G2 Origin drama thing, and the fans were calling us uh, Judas. It was. Uh, I'm going to sell that one. Is a little bit of I flashback. Think you dodged a bullet by getting on that team. If you saw that team went after that, like, I think you probably yeah. made the right choice. Probably made the right choice. You think so? <laughs> I mean, uh, I to. I'm still not that happy about how that happened, but that's a story for another day. Yeah, of course. Uh, sure. of course. I think that Max is a good coach that tries hard to make everyone happy. He, I think he could be better in some ways. I think that Max is a good coach at league. He coaches the game well, but he isn't as good at the human aspect. You know, sometimes teams genuinely just lose to themselves because players just can't work together. They have personal disputes, or they have someone is tilting in, in scrims, and one guy hates it, but one guy doesn't want to say it to that guy, or you know, one guy 
passive-aggressive or something like that, right? Max isn't that good at handling that kind of stuff. So he's very good in a team where the personalities are very light, so to speak. But if he's in a team with personalities that have a lot of things to say and a lot of like ego, so to speak, Max isn't as good at that. But he's getting better at it, so I'm happy about that. He's also very young, so... Yes, yes. He's not as assertive, I guess. He's not as, as dominant. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas LS was very good at putting his foot in the ground and slamming the tables, literally, and making pe- sure, sure people actually hear him, right? So I think both can be good different times, different teams, and you know, I think the biggest part of coaching is that different teams need different coaches. Some teams yeah. need a coach like Young Buck that can just facilitate and ask questions and help the players reach conclusions, whereas some teams need someone to actually coach them and teach them how to play the fucking game, right? Mm-hmm. So good teams generally don't need uh, a coach to actually coach them. Right? They need someone to give advice and, and help them facilitate and reach the right conclusions on their own and then just maintain the team. Like I can only imagine, because it sounds like such a mismatch, fucking Summit and Max Waldo trying to work together. Like, Because Summit's yeah. like that fucking Chad meme, isn't he? Like, it's like yeah, the yeah. crying face meme. Like, no, Summit, what? You're really going to pick that even though it only wins lane and doesn't work in the comp and will die? And he's just like, yes. It's like, that's exactly. just fucking like, him, isn't it? Like, Summit <laughs> needed someone to yell at him, right? To... Oh, no, he did. Yeah, and that's why Ellis was good with Summit. But at the same time, some people need different coaches. So it's just... Sure. It can just sometimes not break out. That's why I thought that when I was in G2, I actually liked Youngbug a lot because he was just not trying to overstep his boundaries. He knew Mithy, Sven, all these guys are better players than I were and they know more about the game than I do. So I'll learn from them and I'll help facilitate. I'll ask them questions in review. I'll do some drafts and ask them what they think about it and I'll take feedback and learn from it. And at the end of, at the end of my time in G2, I thought Joey was a fucking good coach. And then when he joined Fnatic, he was like, people there loved him. They said, like, Joey's the best coach I ever had. He's fucking insane, you know. And I was like, fucking happy on his behalf, right? So I think different teams, like in Fnatic, Joey was coaching them and teaching them how to play the game. But I'm, what I've been told, at least, he was helping a lot more in that regard. Whereas in our team, he was doing managing, he was cooking yes. for us, he was doing a lot of things on the side while just helping us. So different teams, different coaches. Let's talk about EG a little bit uh, because they are the, the reigning champion. They're coming in off of, you know, a performance at MSI that you might expect from a team with some younger players. Like, I don't think people had a lot of hopes, but, you know, they made top four, which I, I think is, like, just good enough and got some valuable experience. Mm-hmm. They've had some pretty dominant games coming into this split so far. I know at least at the end of at the end of last split, like, the kind of common consensus was that they were dominating a lot of the scrims in North America and they were seen as a very dangerous team. So... How how is how's your opinion of evil geniuses changed? Because this split should be more competitive. Like Team Liquid underperformed, uh, C9 imploded due to coaching slash summit issues, and yeah. uh, you guys are you guys are running it back with what appears to be a much stronger roster on paper now that you're back in. Uh, Fudge is back in top. Jensen's in. So we anticipate that this is going to be a, a a much harder title for EG to win. Um, so what are your what are your initial thoughts of them so far? I have always had the opinion that if you go to MSI and your team doesn't mental boom and implode afterwards, you will always come back and be the best team in summer. There's just no way you don't do this. Unless there's like burnout or personal issues, you will always be the best team. So that's that's it, right? I think that... Because of the practice that you get. Yes, you practice against the best teams in the world for a whole month straight. You play on stage, you get experience, you get to just, you know, play the game and other teams don't. So that's the advantage. So I expect EG to be the best for a while, 
we had a slow start because of our whole bootcamp problems, passport right. issue, blah, blah. That's like our copium right now that we're not the best team in the league. But I don't know what's going on with, with Team Liquid specifically. They are lucky to be 5-2. and two. That's fair to say. Their Blackhawks game should have been lost, and they haven't played well in some of the other games. I think One Heart Thieves is kind of going back to their old, like, Phileos, Oriana, Tank Top, Orn, you know, some of these Orns. Like, sure, it's, yeah. it's almost iconic, Sunday playing Orn, yes. and then playing like this hyper carry mage comp that just does nothing and scales and you just automatically win late game. It's also how they beat us in summer last year, I believe. They were playing this scaling comp with Oriana, Phileos, and we were playing like TF Varus, right? And we were ahead the whole game. Then Perks gets caught, I get caught, and the game is lost, right? So one of the Thieves is looking stronger because they know what they're good at and what they aren't good at, and they're playing that style and they're winning with it. Whereas TL seems to be unable to figure out what their identity is, sort of having like an identity crisis. And then EG is just, they know exactly what they're good at, they know the weaknesses, they avoid them by banging champions like Calista and Lucian sometimes, playing different champs for Danny, like MF, that he's actually really good at. And then they're just really fucking solid, and their best team that made it to MSI got practice and got even better. So EG is just by far the best team, with one of the thieves a little bit below them, and then it's like Liquid is somewhere there. And I also think FlyQuest is doing pretty well. They should have beat Liquid, like I said earlier, and they beat us. And I think that Mimi Circuit played really bad that game, but they still played well afterwards. I mean, so I, I mean, here's the, here's the takeaway: like you guys gave up kills in the laning phase, right? But they terrible. snowballed those kills really well into a win. Like they, it was a very smooth snowball from them into like forcing very quick dragon stacks yes. then you had to give up like the soul point which then forced this like uh, apocalyptic fight ar around the soul itself yeah so they did a really good job of controlling the pace of the game and like for me that's what was really lacking last split was i would watch eg die in lane and then the team the, the team that killed them wouldn't do anything and then just eventually lose right yes. and so I I like seeing that teams are taking the punishment. Like if they get that kill, they can like push that punishment really hard. And I think FlyQuest did a really good job of doing that. Yeah, I will say our comp was not very forgiving. Like we have fewer top. We have Yasuo Gragas as our only playmaking. So if we're behind, they just need to tell themselves, guys, Yasuo is here. That's the only place that can make a play is where he is, right? Because Gragas doesn't work without Yasuo, kind of. So once we fall behind... Brown can just stand in front of Gragas, and no one can do anything about it. So, if it felt like we were staring down this inevitable soul that we couldn't fight because right. we have Fiora and I'm fucking useless on Lulu if I lose lane to Brown, right? So, I think they did well considering you know once they got, got got that lead, we couldn't do anything to win. We had so little opportunities to fight that game. We couldn't yeah, win. We didn't any have fight. a lot of agency, yeah. right? I mean, they have like a comp with you know a Brown and shit, double carry comp and. We could never reach a carriage with Gragas Yasuo. Couldn't win. We tried making plays in the Jason side lane. We got him once, but I died for it. I think Flagwest has been playing fairly well. Their throw against Team Liquid was really, really bad, though. Yeah. So they aren't super clean with it, but they did play well against us. So I think Flagwest shouldn't be underestimated too much. I think they can make some, some magic happen. But yeah, I think the, the top teams is pretty clear right now, for the most part. Like, EG's way ahead of everyone. Then it's one of thieves right now. Maybe us, we beat them, right? But and then it's definitely like Thiel somewhere up there, and top 
Top Only four. Thing is four. I've got a question clear. for you. Here's my okay. question in light of what you said about 100 Thieves. Because I, I get what you mean. Like this last week, they just went to like everything that used to work for them, basically. And it did yes. work again. Like it, it was absolutely paint by numbers and they knew exactly what they were doing, how to pilot that comp. The question I would have is this obviously, the eternal dilemma whenever you're in LCS is do I want to win these next two BO1s or do I want to get better fundamentally at League of Legends? The only problem yeah. I would have with that basically is look, it's great to get the wins and keep your position and go in the playoffs and actually beat people and get confidence. But at some point in time, 100 Thieves has to address some of these major issues they have as a team, right? Like, that lineup's been together ages now, mate, and they still they still have so many problems in the late and mid-game. Yeah, one thing that was really common back when I was in G2 was that we would always say, with this draft, we can beat HK or Fnatic. And then someone would say, but we can't beat SKT. And someone was like, yeah, we can't. So why are we playing it? You know, it isn't actually a good draft. It's a draft you can win with. And at some point, we started figuring out that we, we care more about winning Worlds, even though back then it was big copium, but it was, it was yes. our dreams back, right? So we started drafting to beat SKT. That was the team that beat us last in the, at MSI. And I thought that that was a good way of thinking about it, that drafting Orn, Oriana, Aphelios, <clears throat> excuse me, will win you LCS. One of these did it before, and they'll do it again, and they'll keep doing it this week against Team Liquid, you saw. But I don't think that's a good draft, Meta. I don't think yeah, Aphelios, Oriana... Yeah, I don't yeah. think Oriana Orn should be able to win a game against GP. They shouldn't be able to, right? It should be too hard to win against them. But they did, because NA is not good enough to punish those champions. Now, you can say what you want about Meta Meta is playing slow, and that is, is the best way to play, but I don't think so right now. And it is true that Reaper always said it's better to just play what you're good at than try to be someone you're not for wins. And it is true. That's There's a fine true. balance between playing for wins and playing for improvement. Yes. But you're in, you're in someone's play at this point. You need wins to go to playoffs and to go have first and second seed. And yeah, it's, it's a hard balance to find. But Reaper always said, in any, just play skilling. You will win. And it is, it is true. Traditionally, the teams that scale win more games. It's sure. an easy one. If people don't know, Re, Reaper's re, split regular split record is very impressive in LCS. Yeah, it, it and, is very C9, he was getting them like top four every single time, every single time, no matter what. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, Reaper is a very simple person, right? Like, he sees things like that and he's like, yeah, one thief's strength, Phileos, Oriana, Orn, free win, but playing Jace top and I don't know, something funny made like LeBlanc. Is not our strength, right? So he just picks them their strengths, and he wants them to play that kind of style. He he wants them to play around their strengths, and that's how he coaches that team. And I think that's something that works for them. I can't blame one of the teams for playing their way because they're winning games like that. They won LCS for the first time in their org's history by playing that way, by playing scaling and playing defensive and waiting for their opponents. Us last last summer, making mistakes, and we did. We got caught in late game, lost Elder, lost Baron, and they won. Well, so. it, it puts the burden of execution on your opponent, right? Yes. And like that works in NA, but we've also yes. seen how these strategies that go to Worlds and then get absolutely blown the fuck yeah. up by... Do you remember that by, the, by the one time teams. that one team played Sona against the Chinese team? Was that AC that played Draven and they won the game in like 15 minutes? Like actually 15 minutes, the whole game was over. I think it was T1 against some Chinese team. The IG? I don't remember, but... That's a good example of like Sona or something might work in NA or whatever. T1 was IG, someone says in the chat. Yeah, it was IG. Jackie Love played Draven, I think. And they just ended the whole game in like 60 minutes. And I was like, yeah, this was NA, Sona, free win. So 
it's always a thing. Would you play this kind of skill comp against the best team in the world? Eh, no, probably not. Well, it's, but it's, it's against it's C9 a, or one of Thieves, so it's fine. It's you know, the same you. thing with like the, the TSM 06 at Worlds. It's like win win with Bjergsen Zillion, go to Worlds, get absolutely destroyed by Lucian mid, and win zero games in groups. Yeah, I mean, for example, it's hard because in any, I remember that's that summer suite, uh it was Niski's iteration, right? And we played Lucian against Cillian, and we were losing the game. We couldn't win mid hard enough. It was close. You got almost got a solo kill, but not, not, not quite, and we lost the game. Then you go to Worlds, and you're losing lane to set mid, right? A much weaker lane than, than Lucian. But I can't really blame Bjergsen for playing Cillian no. in any when he wins, when he wins the game. He won summer split playing that way. So it's hard <laughs> to blame him for doing it, right? No, 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 no. He's not winning. But no, in the worlds and you get value checked, it feels really bad, especially for fans, right. to watch it, right? So at what point do you play for for worlds instead of playing for LCS and winning LCS? Yeah. Because it should be the same thing. Well, it, I think it's a really hard call to make, especially when there's so much pressure on teams to make the world championship. Like, you know, are we really going to expect Team Liquid to ch radically change their play style when they can catch throws from other teams when... It, you know, Team Liquid not going to Worlds this year would be the biggest financial disaster in LCS yes. history. So, oh, the, you know, when when the stakes are so high, you're just not willing to take a lot of risks. Yeah, watching the game right now, and yeah, he's down 30 CS to, to set. Without, without context, obviously, I didn't actually watch the whole game for why it's happening, but he's down all CS, whereas, see here, TSM versus 9.20 summer. See if we can find this game. We explain. Not this game. Two. Nope. Three, maybe. I think, I think it was game four, actually. I remember now. Yes, it's game four. And he is down four CS to Niski Solution. Yeah. You know, so so how, how do you really blame someone like that? Of course that? not. You know, it's hard to find that kind of balance. But what were you saying before? I was kind of like on my own. No, 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 no. Mind trip down the wormhole. <laughs> no, 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 you know? the, the memory walking down memory lane. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I just, I just think it's hard because the burden of ex the burden of execution oh, yeah. is so much higher. So when you have, you know, there, there, whether whether it's explicitly stated by the teams, coaches, and management or not, the players know that what the expectation of that team is, and it, I think it's hard when your team liquid or hundred thieves, and you're coming in. And you, I mean, 100 Thieves made finals back to back, right? Like they've shown that they can peak at the right time. Um, they've they won the title. They got to the finals again. So do you really want to upset the balance and maybe fuck up getting to Worlds when you're pretty confident you can make it to Worlds just by doing what's what's worked in the past? And if nobody's good enough to execute on you, then why change anything? You accomplish your goal that your management sets out of getting to Worlds. You maybe don't do super well at Worlds because you're not built for that kind of competition, but it doesn't fucking matter in the end. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. I mean, it actually doesn't matter. Like, any teams would be completely okay with just making Worlds, I think, yep. from a business point of view. Yeah. Like, making Worlds in any this year is huge. It doesn't matter if you win or not. Like, it's all good enough. But a team like Team Liquid, like, I even remember, like, in Spring Split playoffs when they were struggling a little bit, there was a lot of rumors going around that if they didn't win the split, They'll make changes because their roster is built to win, not built to like go second or third place and make worlds as third seed and losing groups. Not the, not the purpose of the comp, their comp, their their team, right? They're like a super team, quote unquote, right? Oh, yeah. 
pick players sure. from wherever they wanted. Got Bergson back, got people, stack team. Everyone wanted to be on Team Liquid. You know, I was kind of like sitting there like, oh, please, Team Liquid, take me, you know? But um, <laughs> yeah, I think that I was unsurprised nothing happened with TL. Um, but I also respect them staying together through a hard split because I think making changes from spring to summer is always kind of sketchy. It's not always going to work out for you. It's too late to make changes, I think, a lot of the time. But I think that it's obvious if Liquid doesn't do well at Worlds or go to Worlds at all, it's going to be a huge, you know, they're going to kick everyone yeah. or something. They're going to revamp the whole roster, right? So It's definitely not going to be good for them. If the problem long, they have as a squad, if you think about it, is the other issue with super teams is also why super teams often fail. It's because it's really hard to kick people. Like after one split, which player are you kicking? Because remember, they could just get really good in the next split. They might even go to like a rival team and just beat your ass. Like you're going to look like a, a fool at that point. So if you buy a roster for the money they've bought, you're going to at least have it the whole year. You're just going to fucking run it and just see how it goes. And if it fails, it fails. Okay, that happened. Yeah. By the way, two things. One thing I would say is I checked it. It was actually, you were right. It was against IG where T1 had Teddy play the Sauna Tarek Botley. Yeah, yeah. It was at MSI 2019, if people want to look it up. It's in the group stage at the first time they play, I think. And the other one is what you were saying earlier, though, that's actually the, the tough part, though, because I know, at least from esports history, even in games where NA wasn't the best region, so most big esports games, there actually is a way bigger financial incentive to win anything that's viewed as like the NA championship, because then any domestic sponsor, you can say to them, like, we're the champions of the country. Yep. So even if in like Counter-Strike, that didn't used to be a big deal, like back in CS 1.6, Alex Garfield used to tell the Evil Geniuses players, like, look, you just win like the NA qualifiers, so I can say you're the best in NA and that, that's all the sponsor cares about like that yeah. essentially if you had to weigh it up look as fans we'd rather someone tries to make semis at Worlds and win LCS but actually business wise it's probably if you had to choose like make, like make round of it or just go, go out on groups and win LCS it might financially be better to win LCS as fucked up as that sounds the only problem yeah. I have is I don't think that should apply maybe for TL that has a logic it shouldn't apply to 100 Thieves or one you've already won LCS so like it's some quest you've never completed and two, you've already been to Worlds with this exact five-man lineup. So who the fuck wants to go again and get grouped? You've got to go this time to do something in the playoffs. That's, that's the only reason to keep the lineup together, aside from fucking some naive dream Papi Smith has that it's going to be the fucking next dynasty or whatever. Spoiler, it isn't. But okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll see if they make finals again, Thorin. Like. <laughs> I actually don't know if that's, that's true. Like, the whole winning NA is better than going to Worlds semifinals. It, it might be, you know, because I don't know if... Sponsors like AT&T for, in our case, an American-only company, I think, would care if we go to semifinals in Korea. Probably you know? would. I have no, no idea. I'm just speaking out of my ass here, right? So, but I wouldn't imagine they care a lot about it. But winning LCS, they probably like, you know, we're on camera, getting a lot of pictures, and, you know, AT&T, let's go, fucking, let's go, boys, you know? Like, it might be in some stadium, like your MSG, like all yeah, the crowd. Right? They love that shit. Yeah, they eat that maybe, up, of course. Maybe things like Red Bull or BMW would, would like it if we well, won, you know? I'm sure here, they, they wouldn't mind. Here's what they really like, by the way, Thorin. They love to send some random ass executive to the event in NA, and that executive oh, just gosh. like shakes shakes the player's hand, shakes Jack's hand. Then they're yeah. like, "Oh, look, we're in Madison Square Garden. All the people are cheering. Wow, look at our investment!" And then they just take the plane home or and like take win, the subway they take home. This fucker into the crowd for one big hug. Yeah. Like, oh, let's all get pizza together! Yay! It's like, like fucking some shit. That's, that's really that's oh. really how it works. Which is which is why it's important that that you know NA teams are going to really care about going to Worlds in NA. It's not because it's in NA. It's not because it's going to get the higher highest viewership by the way guys 
Worlds in NA doesn't get the highest viewership because it's in a fucking terrible time zone for Asia and Europe, which are much bigger regions. Like, mostly it's a terrible time zone for Asia, um, which is the biggest viewership region. But it is absolutely incredible for NA sponsors to just show up be put oh. in a luxury box in, you know, a stadium, you know, they're going to go to San Francisco and be in the Oracle arena in a luxury box. And Riot's going to be right. And the teams are gonna be like, here's your caviar, sir. And they're gonna be like, wow, look at our investment. There are 15,000 people cheering for the esports, and then they'll go home happy. And that's it. And that's what matters. <laughs> Do you think that there's a correlation between like worlds mattering less for business perspectives between like the fact that the salaries of players are so high that most teams probably are paid more in salaries than world's price money. Oh, they do, for sure. I think, yeah, I think I mean, Nate Bjergsen makes more in salary than you even win if the, a team for first place at Worlds. I don't like, even know. What, what, is the sal- what is the world's price money? It's a like just over $2 million and I think you get like a little bit gets added in from the skins or something. It's about yeah, $2 I mean, million the, for like the, 2. The, 2. the skins actually make a lot of money, from what I've heard. Yeah, they get like a the, million or The Warren Street is that the skins make a lot of money, even yes. you know these days, for the teams that have nice skins. You know, skins like IG Kaiser, I'm sure they make fat bank off that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm sure that some teams pay more salary than world's price money for first place, right? So Oh, sure. sure. I wonder if that has anything to do with it, uh, but I don't know. I guess I, I mean, the prize money... Uh, League was it, never really a prize money game. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you know, I wonder it, if it know, should be. No, no. I, th- I think I it's better to... I mean, it's better for the players not I mean, to have I, it be I a think prize money it's, game. It's a good no, thing it's the problem, Monty. There's, have... there's pros and cons. Yeah, go cool. Give us your take. Why, why don't you like it, Sven? I mean, I like that it's sustainable and it's not just the best team that makes a lot of money, but I also don't like that we have this league format only where we have two tournaments a year and it's only four teams in total. You know, one at MSI and three at, at Worlds. Four, I guess, if you're Korea or China. So you never get to see like the, the Pissers play against each other, right? You, don't, you never get to see the low two teams play against each other. So you never get to see like fucking Astralis play against TSM now and see like, would it be a yeah, win? It, it could be fun to have like an open qualifier once yeah. in a while where maybe fucking Immortals makes a miracle run and they make it to fucking MSI against some good teams and you're like, oh, that would be fucking hype, right? But at the same time, if the league format is more stable and better for business, I, I get it. It's hard to to say, well, here, I'm not a businessman. I know shit about it. So. Here, here's, this, here's the thing, Sven. They thought it would be better for business. That's the that the whole premise was if we play more games and teams have a guaranteed number of games, it's easier to sell sponsors because those sponsors are guaranteed like a certain number of games. Like they're you're not going to be eliminated immediately. And yeah. sponsors do weaponize that against you, where they're like, even if you're really good, they'll be like, well, I just don't know if you're going to make playoffs. And it's and if playoffs are the majority of the games or whatever, then they can argue for low value. So there is some truth to that. The problem is, is that it sounds good until the fans get bored and then the fan, then there's no viewership or the viewership declines like it has with LCS. And then you're in a bind where you're guaranteeing a bunch of games, but those games have low viewership because of the format you created. So then it just spirals down, 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 right? So... The the logic was that's how traditional sports work in America, so let's do that. But the and the reality was maybe it did in some ways stabilize things for teams in the first couple of years. But once the once the viewership cycle starts to go down, uh, it becomes really hard to to get it back up, and then it becomes even harder to sell sponsors. So I think it's kind of what we're seeing right now. 
I'm generally not a fan, though, and here's the reason why, just because I'm an extreme human being. I hate the idea that the majority of the money is already being paid out to the players before they even play the fucking game at Worlds. Like, they've already had the majority of the money in the ecosystem. So before we play the World Championship, let's make sure everyone's paid and taken care of. Now let's just have a fun tournament and see who's the best in the world. I want all the money to be on that bloody World Championship. I want the team that comes last place to not just be crying, to be fucking broke. I want you bankrupt on the street you homeless piece of shit learn to play some League of Legends I want the team to I want Faker to to say fuck T1 I have 50 million dollars now mate I won Worlds three times it was in the finals and I have my salary you cocksucker meanwhile instead like the people like Bjergsen oh. just get paid like X million to be like I'm just average as fuck now like fuck that noise play yeah, for I'm, your money dude, my bad sorry for breathing sorry don't I'm saying is don't ever come after Thorin's money listen there's all funny games <laughs> on League of Legends but you come after a fucking guy for the northeast money <laughs> the fucking claws come out <laughs> because i remember back in uh the, the good old days you know 15 16 okay. the price money for lcs was like 50k euros yes. i believe and back then that was not just like a breeze for no, broke money, right like i think in origin i got something about 6k euros a month i think something like that six seven k so 50k wasn't it was 50k split so 10k each right but still it was more than a month of salary. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was good money. But nowadays, it's still, I think it's still 50k for LCS and LEC. Well, I mean, but that's by, that's by design. Like, Riot wanted the, yeah. the players to actually have yeah. stable, stable incomes. Like, this yeah, was yeah. very much intentional. I mean, it's a good thing. It's just funny, but back then, it actually mattered. You're like, oh, nice. That's a lot of money, you know? 10k in my pocket. Fuck yeah, right? And then nowadays, it's like, yeah, this guy gets paid $1.5 million over there. I don't. <laughs> just want to say, you know, like, if any orcs want to pay me one million dollars, I'm I'm here, right? I'm here for you. But um, yeah. So um, yeah. Um, before we before we go, any final thoughts about any of the LCS teams you want to get out there? Uh, no. I think I've said what I have to say. I think the top four is gonna be interesting. Who goes to Worlds? If it's gonna be us, Liquid, or uh, one of Thieves misses out on, missing out on Worlds, or maybe two of us. But I think it's gonna be three of the top four guys. Right now, I think EG looks kind of locked almost already. It's opposite to us to say, you know, I've been on teams where we were start, starting summers with 9 0 and then we lost. So you never yep. know, right? But, um, yeah, don't know how the, like, the meta is going to shake out either. You never sure. know what happens. Like one bad patch and it's over for you. So, yeah, I think it's going to be exciting to go to Worlds or uh, to fight to go to Worlds. Uh, see who goes to Worlds. Phrasing is hard. But, um, yeah, I think that I'm really enjoying playing support. It's really, it's like refreshing. It's a fresh breath of air for me as a player to enjoy something new, and I'm learning a lot more about both myself and and the role and the game in general. So I'm enjoying it a lot, and I'm looking forward to playing more. Well, you certainly had a strong start. I mean, I think I expected you to have practiced a lot, but given your circumstances, I think yeah. for you having as good a performance as you had is very impressive already. Uh, yes, so I'm, I'm looking forward to where it goes for the rest of the split. Uh, thanks for coming on. We'll be back in a couple minutes, guys, with viewer questions for you uh, without Sven. So we'll see you then. Thank you for having me, guys. See you. Good news. It's the viewer questions section. I'll again reiterate. Everyone's saying questions in Twitch chat. 
you are just screaming into the void as you deserve. These are viewers, but it's technically the questions from people who buy the Grog coin, which good news though, it's technically thanks to the world on sale. So how did they get it? <laughs> Go to the Inside on Esports Discord, of course. Go to the Grog Coin Lounge. There'll be a pinned uh, post there with how you get it. 25 Grog Coins, you can ask questions. It, it's all great. Uh, we got to go through these somewhat quickly. It is, in fact, an American holiday, so I have to do things with my family. All right. Uh, so uh, let's see here. What's more likely to happen first? LEC moves out of Berlin or Berlin getting good internet? I know nothing about Berlin internet, but I have heard people referencing it as very bad. The real like, problem with LEC being in Germany is a lot of the German laws, like labor laws, I think, are quite restrictive. I'm I'm a bit confused. It's the reason why Russian players couldn't have visas for a long time. Apparently, they didn't earn enough money to get to activate the visa you needed to go and work there, believe it or not. Yeah, so uh, I don't think it's moving. I mean, I also think for similar reasons, it would probably be smart to move LCS out of Los Angeles. Like, there's a lot of California employment laws and, like, massive state taxes and everything like that. Like it doesn't actually make sense to have LCS in Los Angeles, but Riot decided to buy the old G4 studio and right across the street from their main campus. And now they're just locked in it forever, I guess, but certainly not a good thing financially. Um, you could definitely make an argument. I mean, obviously ESL like runs a lot of events out of Poland because it's like a lot cheaper. So I don't know. Um, I don't think any of that's going to happen. If I'm honest with you, don't think they're moving out of Berlin. Don't think they're moving out of L.A. They made bad business decisions years ago that they are just, they're just going to die on that hill. So I think it's mental as well, because they never should ever have gone to Germany in the first place. The most obvious place always genuinely. That's why I live here is the Netherlands, because it not only has the best hub airport in Europe, Schiphol, that everyone comes through. Admittedly, right now it's a nightmare because of all those bloody delays. But obviously, that's not normally the case. And then secondly, it's fucking centralized, isn't it? It's got it's got the best place to have the internet in Europe as well because you've got amazing internet and you're right centralized for all the scrims. So it has everything. It has everything you could want. So I, I think it's mental they're in Germany. Not, not to mention that the labor laws. They have all that stupid shit. Where I mean, the Berlin airport be, has been like a disaster for years. Like also, <laughs> I, don't care, I don't give a fuck what anyone says. When I tune into LEC, it's like I'm like. What year is it? They're still in a sci-fi horror movie and everyone's just going to not say anything and just go, this is normal, this is fine. Let's all stand 15 metres apart doing a massive interview. Nothing weird about this. It's still 2020, right? We all have to pretend like the Emperor's got no clothes. Lovely outfit you have there, Mr. LEC. This is mental. We're still on that level. And then people are still talking, by the way, when someone gets ill. Like, it's fucking these radioactive or something. Like that. Whole th that's all because of Germany. That's nothing to do with the LEC staff. Like, they're in another country. I'm sure they'd be perfectly reasonable. So... Germany ain't the place, mate. It ain't the place. Not for these centuries, anyway. Maybe like five in the future or something. Maybe it'd be amazing. Who knows? When it's some oh. new Prussian re republic or something. I don't know. Uh, here's this question again. I'm not sure how many times I can answer this question, guys. This is, this is the last Come time on. I answer this question, by the way. What are your thoughts on allowing the coach to be in live comms for competitive lol? This has obviously been something that's happened, like has been discussed for a long time in the very early days of League of Legends. So, for example, at the MLG Summer Arena, which was one of the very earliest events in lol in 2012, they did actually allow coaches in comms. So Steve from Team Liquid was in Curses comms during those games. Um, I don't think it's necessary at all. I think that it removes agency from the players. It probably would increase the quality of gameplay, but I don't want some guy just to be mind controlling players in real time. You know, I think it's lame. Yeah, unfortunately, 
it would make for some amazing League of Legends, but the obvious thing that would happen would be you would just have some high slash perks type motherfucker who would just shot call the whole game, wouldn't he? And then at that point, it wouldn't really be about the players anymore, would it? It'd be about the super duper right. coach. I think, I think, which like, is really look like essentially, by the way, that is American football, but it's a very unique sport. That's I, not what but, League well, of Legends is, unfortunately. But American football is more similar to CS, where you, the coaches call plays in between action. Yeah, you can't, you can't right? do that in CS Go. Oh, you, don't they? Don't they? Aren't they on the comms? when you do a timeout in CS:GO? Oh yeah, but they have like what three tactical timeouts no. a game? Yeah, but the difference is in American football, you have the play clock. You can every time oh, you can give yeah, that yeah, guy yeah, the play. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and there's no way to do timeouts in LOL. Like you can't. It's a real oh, time oh, that game, the game, right? Well. That would just yes. be crazy. So, um, yeah, I think for the most part, it, it, yeah. It, I just don't see it being super useful. In the By the way, as an aside, that's even the reason why I think it's so egregious to having all these pause bugs, Monty. Because League is a game where you cannot allow someone to pause and then start that same game and resume it. The second you pause it, that's like giving me a free VOD review. I know we can't talk technically, but if you're a player who has a brain, you're sat there looking at the map the yes. whole time thinking, and they're competent. Like, yeah. you shouldn't, that's information you would never have in that match. Right. So it actually Basically, you, just, you relay that information as soon as the pause stops. Is of course, yes, exactly. Uh, uh, would that have made CLG more competitive in season four? <laughs> Boss, it would. Good, good joke. <laughs> he would just tell them. It's I a would like to just press <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's the joke. <laughs> I'd like to believe that's true. Uh, whether it would be or not is a different story. Uh, I had some difficult players who may not have listened to what I told them in the game. Uh, would significantly raising the minimum salary in an A and or EU create a more competitive league? No, it would not do that. The minimum the minimum salary. First off, let's be clear, guys. In NA, nobody gets paid the minimum salary. Okay, nobody. Uh, all the players are paid very well. And isn't the minimum six figures a year? It's $100,000 plus, right? I think technically the minimum is like 60K, but nobody actually gets paid that in NA. Maybe some teams in the EU get paid that, um, but really that doesn't that doesn't happen. It's like 60 or 70K, I think, in NA. Um, by the way, that includes all of your housing costs. Or like, I, I most like teams pay for your housing costs, they pay for your food. So it's, it's basically just like 70K and in discretionary income which is pretty insane by the way when you live in fucking los angeles right uh so it's a good deal for the players so no it doesn't do anything paying the play any players more has not solved any problems like we've seen any player salaries like you know go from 60k to 200k to 1.5 million and it hasn't improved the region Here's the problem, and you're not going to like it, but I give a fuck. If you actually think that paying them more money would make them more motivated and want to win more, you're just giving away that you're broke. I'm sorry, that's just true. If you've lived life and you've ever had any amount of disposable income or more salary, you'll realize it's not a motivator at all. But, by the way, they, they've actually done studies, um, like sociological studies on this, where there is a certain point that income just doesn't make you happier. Like, if, if you, all your needs are met and you have discretionary income to, like, go on, you know, nice holidays and, and have, you know, pursue your hobbies. Like there isn't a really big correlation they found between like upper middle class people and multimillionaires. Basically, uh, if you notice, plebs don't get the premise of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like the bottom fucking layer is like shelter, food. Like the, the point is you don't get that and go, I'm complete now. That's just the basics to not be stressed about life. Doesn't yeah. make you happy to just have food. What makes you happy is like the company you have when you have food, what you're doing, how was it cooked? Did someone cook it for like there's a million factors that I fuck all do with the money. So right. money is it's a distraction, guys. It's not it's also not, it's not a correlation between money and happiness. Come on. Except you cannot have no money and probably be really happy. Also, you you could 
potentially make the argument that uh, if NA players were paid 300K uh, and we saw Korean and Chinese players getting paid $2 million, that NA players might actually be happier because they wouldn't have the expectation of performing well in comparison to these other regions. I love that you're, you are American, so even you get sucked in. Let me just clarify, I'm not American, so I don't give a fuck. And not only that, that is what NA players would say. But that is NA going, oh, you know what? Silk's getting paid millions of dollars. Why is that? Because then I'm expected to be really good at the game. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and it must be hard living up that expectation. Oh, I don't live up to it. Just don't like being judged for making millions of being shit. Like... I, always, I sometimes want to pinch myself like, are Americans real? Are y'all actually, are y'all in the simulation? Is America a real place? Is that actually just the internet? I upload that when I go to the airport. What are we doing here? Come on then. Next question. Next question. Uh, what is the worst book you finished? It has to be one that I would have been forced to read in college. I mean, in light, in light of what you said last episode, I have to say I'm very good. I just quit books if they shit me. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't make myself read a fucking... It has to be good, mate. If some shit, I just... I'll tell you what mine is, but the problem is this one actually I'm almost certain I'm semi wrong about and it was just the folly of youth. I tried reading War and Peace, but way too young. I think I was oh, like 16 or something when I tried reading it though. And I just quit after about 100 pages. Mate. It wasn't interesting to me, but that was the problem there is like I'm 16 years old, wasn't I? Like it's not really the book to read then. I imagine if I read it as an adult, that would probably be good. Um, here's a book oh, B. that I had to read. It's a book called Ishmael. Uh, I guess I didn't finish that. Whatever, I can't. I can't remember what I finished. That was shit. Then come on, then you mean the one about like some? It's like a spiritual book, right? About a, a gorilla. <laughs> Just the one I'm on about. Where it's all like spiritual lessons and shit. Yeah, it was really. It bad. was by some like hippie woman, right? Uh, guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It, it, it was a, it was a book by Daniel Quinn called Ishmael. It's a that philosophical novel, right? There that one's go. real bad. <laughs> I w but it, it, it was definitely like some book. I mean, I read some really horrible books in college too, some of which I had to read because they were horrible. Like, look, there is a period because it's it's basically like when you're, when you're a, a literature major, right? You have to take like um, courses about the history of literature. And sometimes there were periods where English literature was just fucking terrible. And so, for example, like the Gothic period, there's some fucking horrible books uh, during that period that are just like really bad. Um, just like terrible pulp fiction, like garbage horror novels. Um, but you read them to understand the history, not because they're good. So some of those were really bad, too. Uh, what is the most inappropriate joke you've said on broadcast? I actually don't know. I have no idea. I mean, that's obviously a catch-22 like because if I see it, then it's over, in it? So, it's yeah, over that, wouldn't it? Like, honestly, guys, we probably wouldn't repeat some of those because it was, they were no, a product no, of good. their era. Man's good because here's the thing. You can always get away with, man. It is just, it's, what's great is this is actually a perfect Thorin joke because it's mega edgy, but he can't get in trouble for it because it just skirts the line. The best joke I've ever said on broadcast was at the MLG Columbus 2016 major where they had this weird premise that they thought it'd be hilarious, Monty, if like the analyst desk were the casters instead. Sounds like a fun idea, shit idea, by the way, because then we have to just cast the game and we're not casters. So the casters for the All-Star game was Red Eye me and Richard Lewis and in this fucking all-star game I had a joke where the new version of Nuke had just been released and famously Nuke in CS history is the more CT-sided map you always win like 12 13 right. rounds and it's just like who wins 12 or 13 rounds wins the map historically right so because this version they tried to even it up a bit Red Eye goes it's a lot more T-sided this one and I go the whole world is Paul 
<laughs> straight fire. You tell me that it's straight fire. That's fucking. That's, that's 2016 as well, baby. That's like yeah. Syria I, era. Oh, that was fucking. I don't think no, that's, that's it. That's not very inappropriate. No, here's the problem. It's not. It's not. You wouldn't actually get banned, but it is, it's inappropriate in the sense that, like, you probably shouldn't on a video game major <laughs> broadcast reference like real life terrorism or you know, like in that regard, it's inappropriate. As I say, if it was really inappropriate, we can't see it now, can we? On Twitch, so I mean, he's I, got that one. Don't worry, Monty. Yeah. They come into my fucking server. They pretend they're naive and they do the same thing. They're like, but what did that guy say? Who got banned? Or no, but guys, I don't know what word he said. Though, can someone say the word? I'm like, we're not saying like the n word, you idiot. Like, no one's gonna get tricked by that. We're not that dumb. Like, you aren't gonna trap us in that. Like, it's obvious we can see you a mile away. <laughs> uh, I will say that there, I know of some jokes, not my jokes uh, or jokes that I've been on the broadcast of, but let's just say like in the early days of Starcraft and English broadcasting, there were some really fucking funny jokes that were very inappropriate that would go over very badly now, like really badly, but they were really, they're still funny and they were funny at the time, but what you could get away with and like, you know, 2007 2009 2010 uh to a very you know you were saying them to a very like gamer hardcore audience and they were real funny uh but yeah you definitely like it all i gotta say is like go back and watch some of the old in control content like he said some outrageous shit that was really funny um or too good or too good obviously but also hilarious uh monty you teased me on the last episode i'm curious can you actually get into the early development of league of legend and its engine slash code <sighs> I don't want to burn sources is really the problem with this one. Um, I do know quite a bit, uh, but it, it may, because there were so few employees there at the time, it may in fact accidentally reveal my sources, but it was it a just is, It basically was scuffed from day one. It seems like they didn't yeah. start with the prima, put it this way. You know, in the modern day, you go and buy the best unreal engine. That's all the time. They didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't do that part, but spoiler. They, <laughs> Some of their engineers, I will say at the time, had engines of their own that Riot tried to like convince to give them to them for free and they didn't. And then they went, those engines were then used for later games once they left. Um, like I told you, like I've, I've said before, but like, you know, the, the engine itself was the technical direct, I mean, you just look this up. The technical director of Riot was the guy who made the engine for that horrible big rigs game. So you put the, you put the, you put the puzzle pieces together on that one. Are, are there any actual rumors of lol too? No, I don't think they'll ever do that. I like it, that ever. It, no. the, the amount it would take to recode this entire game would be, I would be really impressed if Riot did it. Don't get me wrong, but I think the cost on that is crazy. Just think so. how hilarious it is. You're going to literally get two different versions of CSGO in the history of League of Legends. CSGO already came out in 2012. We're going to, CSGO 2 is, is constantly rumored and there's supposed to be updated and stuff. So like, that's how, Riot's just never going to do it, mate. They just decided on that one. I don't blame them though. They still have the number one game with all this fucking wonky tech. So I can see why they think it works. Yeah. I also think it's a lot more difficult because the, the League engine is just so scuffed uh, that... Uh, you know how many more it. billions do you need? Eventually, this is like the fucking. Eventually, there has to be some fucking number you can hit where it could be doable. Right. Come on, they're yeah. making it sound like you're asking them to go to the moon. Maybe, maybe Obviously they'll build it off impossible. the. Maybe they'll build it off the Wild Rift tech or something. But it does seem at least credible. I mean, a lot of the CS:GO rumors that are coming out right now seem pretty credible as to when this will sure. happen. Like the timeline is lining up too. It's like the tenth anniversary is in August for CS:GO. Valve also, as as many of you know, will just. They they don't say anything and then they just drop it on you. So 
Uh, but the rumors, the rumors seem pretty legit right now on the CSGO front. Uh, that's also, by the way, hilariously, guys, uh, Riot is mega hustling behind the scenes to get these Valorant partnerships done because I think they think that uh, the new version of CSGO is going to drop. And it, and they know as soon as that happens, their boy Tarek is going to take all his viewers and go play CSGO and their boy Shrouds are going to oh, go. Streamers are going to go ham, of course. Streamers yeah. are going to go ham. And guess what? When you build when you build your eSport on the sand of co-streaming and those people just fuck yeah. off to go play CS again, you're in big trouble, big trouble. Uh, how many loco docos would it take to beat Prime Mike Tyson in a boxing match? <laughs> that's actually a the very joke. funny mental The image. reason that's actually funny is because we tried explaining the, the abstract principle that, like, in theory, you know. But the joke is, I actually feel like even infinite locos, they just don't have the spirit in them. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? That that might be the one where you could throw any amount. I don't think they would win. Like, know? would they even... I, I don't even think they would punch Mike Tyson. I think they would oh. just, I think, I think like they would, it would be like an infinite number of loco docos in a circle at a 10 foot distance. And Mike Tyson would walk. And then the, the circle, like the bubble would just move with Mike Tyson. <laughs> also, you have to realize if Mike Tyson even like glanced them with a punch, locals are really sensitive. He'd just get really emotionally upset and be like, what, what am I, why do I have to fight him? And that, that have to come in like, oh, come on, let Mike leave him, leave him. He's a mate of mine. Come on, fucking come on. Mike. And then, really and then uh, when you asked Loco Doco about Mike Tyson punching him, he would tell you Mike Tyson is actually secretly a really good guy. You have to realize my relationship <laughs> with local basically is like the end of that movie, Midnight Cowboy. I'm just the guy sort of propping him up when he might be about to die at the end of the bus. Like, sorry, local, we'll make it, son. Fucking old in that, son. Whatever. Classic reference if yeah, anyone knows that, that movie from the 70s. That was actually a good riff on last week's question. Good job. Architect of Korean esports based Joe. <laughs> also, great name. <laughs> Uh, I lost my taste for instant ramen slash noodles, so thank you for that. Uh, what makes a character or theme of a story shallow or deep? Uh, can you use Hamlet in One Piece or Marvel movies? Uh, sure, I can use Hamlet and Marvel movies. Um, you haven't read Berserk the manga, have you, Thorin, the manga? No. Okay, well, okay, that was the next question. Uh, so the thing about Hamlet is Hamlet presents existential philosophical questions uh, about a ton of different topics, um, like the nature of identity, um, existential questions about the the nobility of suicide, um, uh, like extremely beautifully. And these are like timeless questions, right? And the thing about Marvel movies is that it's just a bunch of idiots in capes not actually making you think about philosophy very much. They do at a kind of basic level where you're like, is Iron Man an arrogant asshole and does he deserve this level of power? But it's not the same as some of the the famous monologues from Hamlet that dive really deeply into the human condition, right? I wouldn't even say they explore it though, Monty. They propose the premise, maybe being rich and the superhero is not good. And then how does he solve it? Well, if he beats someone's face in well enough, then he was right. Like, yeah. brilliant. Oh, great <laughs> philosophy there. Fucking hell. Like, what? So, so the joke of Marvel movies is they just like hint at philosophy without really a, like the there's no character development in those movies. I don't care if someone's gonna no the Incredible Hulk that they didn't. There's no character development in those movies. They are by definition the most surface level movies ever. Yeah. I mean they have to be. Remember they make movies where you might not have watched the other ten movies, but you have to be able to enjoy this one now. So by definition it can't be super deep, can it? Yeah, and and also I mean the poetry of Shakespeare is unrivaled. I mean I, you're also talking to me, and I think. Shakespeare is probably the greatest artist in human history. 
So I'm kind of biased in this regard. Uh, I, I think that... Obviously, how can one man like me compete against an amalgam of people, including fucking Bacon, all those people in his so-called <laughs> British intelligence at the time? Just one man. Of course, the fucking committee's going to be better. Yeah. This, looking at it. <laughs> yeah, there's, I, I mean, there are a lot of interesting theories. There's a lot of actually plausible theory. theories, yeah. yeah. It's just too good. Basically, the joke is it's, it's too, too fucking good, good. And there's too much. It's too prolific. Like, I don't think people know. There's the problem, Monty. They think Shakespeare's just like Hamlet, Romeo, do you know how many fucking poems alone this motherfucker wrote? Like, he either was, like Monty said, just like the god of art, or it was something like, I'm saying, like, it was literally like a fucking campaign to, like, have a whole team of people make shit. It's the same thing people say, basically, with the Beatles, if you don't know. The Beatles wrote too much music, mate. They would just go in, and in two weeks, they'd have, like, the whole album. That's supposed to be impossible if you don't know. Like, they just don't do that and have it. It'll be, like, amazing or whatever. So, yeah, well. That's why, that's why it's fun uh, to look at various theories of Shakespeare. That's why people, you know, in other works of oh, fiction. Marlowe was the other one, of course, like, as well. Yeah, thought, Christopher yeah. Marlowe faked his own death. Or um, yes. I don't think that happened. The writing styles are just too different, but whatever. And the, the, the Faust is not as good as any most of, well, some of Shakespeare's plays suck. Like Titus Andronicus fucking sucks. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, like if you actually look at it, like some people are like, Oh, you know, he made a, he made a deal with the devil. Like that's been one, um, you know, hilariously, if you watch, um, only lovers left alive, which is a Jim Jarmusch movie, which you should watch. It's a vampire movie. And basically the theory in that it like Christopher Marlowe is a, is a vampire character in that. And he was a vampire. So he's lived for thousands of years. And then he, he basically faked his own death as Marlowe to then become Shakespeare so that he had, you know, he, they have to fake their deaths occasionally. Right. Because otherwise, how do they live? How do you justify living forever? Um, and so basically it was like, you know, these beings that have existed for thousands of years are great artists because of the length of time that they've had to practice. So anyway, fun stuff. By the way, even if you don't like the play, there is a movie of Titus, though, that had Anthony Hopkins in from the 90s. Yep. That's worth watching. That is a look, good movie. I, look, I always go see Titus because it's fucking fun to watch uh, because it's very bloody, but it is bad. <laughs> Especially compared to many of other Shakespeare's plays. Um, Nelson said scrimming T1 taught them in Excel how to close games quicker when playing bad games and that only through directly playing against them would they be able to learn such a lesson. What do you, Why is he phrased that like that prequel thing? Like only through me shall you acquire a power greater than any. <laughs> what do you think like, is the reason teams are unable to learn these lessons? Like because because here's the thing: you they expose if they expose your mistakes that aren't punished in other in a, like it's hard to know that what you're doing is wrong if it's working and a team is not punishing you for it, right? I think that's here's the analogy, the, right? The analogy is this. Imagine you were in a scenario where you're training against someone in a combat sport, but they're in like two weight classes smaller than you. Well, now all of a sudden you might try techniques that aren't even well executed. You just have a weight advantage or you're holding that guy down or using brute force or something, something like that. Like in that scenario, you don't really know if your technique is good. And when you fight someone at your weight class, you might just get too old because you might be shit. You might have just been winning because of the advantage. Basically, I'll very briefly explain a scenario I've said in the past, but this is a principle. I genuinely think teams don't understand because it's never been done by anyone else. The reason why the Brazilian team in CSGO 
Luminosity becoming number one is the most incredible story, one of the most incredible stories in Counter-Strike history. It's because they did it while living in the NA region when the other NA teams were like the ninth best team in the world. They weren't even close to the Europeans. So how did Luminosity practice like the 10th best team and become the number one team in the world? Well, they even said themselves they would intentionally look for what Monty's talking about. Moments where they're not properly punishing us here. They're not properly like defending something. I could just myself kill these two people and do a random play because they knew that's not basically practicing for the matches. Like like what Sven said, that's not a draft that works against T1. That's not a, a, a play that's going to work against Fnatic at the time. So what they would do is they would make themselves do the correct play, whether it was like the most efficient practice or not. And in doing so, it then did work when they went against the real teams. The shadow boxing sort of approach did work. So I think in general, that's like a mad misunderstood concept. Like I think that's something that people need to do is you've got to sort of like go for excellence as it were. Yeah, I think the problem is really that esports really just has a shitty practice infrastructure. Oh, it does. It's terrible. <laughs> so- because the, the real problem is this, Monty. At the, at the base of it, it is a game and we all started it for fun. That's the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Remember, if you're like an American football player, that's not being fun when you were like 12, when you're on the school team and you have all the pressure and you're getting coached. Like, it's a, you're not 20 going, lol, I might just run it down in this game. That's not like that in American football game. So the problem we all have is one minute before you become pro, you're having a fucking a laugh, just flaming people and playing solo queue, aren't you? So it's unfortunately when it becomes serious, it doesn't quite become serious enough for me. I want people to make it like it's... Uh, dude... I know we're going to get them now, but I always wanted to have like, you know, in basketball and the sports, like like lifers, people are just in the sport their whole life. They're a player, then they're a coach, then they're an old guy. I think that's sick. That's when games get really amazing, when people can put their whole life into it. Agreed. Is there a history of performance enhancing drug use in esports? Yes. Not in League of Legends, I'll say. It's mainly just like American FPS games, it feels like. Yeah, Adderall, obviously. It's mostly mostly Adderall, guys. There was one in Korea, but this wasn't that bad. Theirs was more like herbal shit, but they had some herbal shit famously Flash and stuff used to take that like Nanawa told me did like sort of calm you down a bit, but it was just some herbal remedy or whatever. It does sound basic when you say like, like, ooh, herbal remedy, like Uh, some fucking secret shit, but it was just some basic bit. As far as I know, most of the Adderall is also in like console esports. It's yes. really, it's really hard. As somebody who has taken Adderall, who does not have an Adderall prescription to do things like write college papers, uh, it it does focus you very heavily. But it also kind of shuts out the world in a way. I think it would be very hard to compete on a in a strategically in a in a team esport or any team sport while taking Adderall because uh, you kind of just zone out a little bit. So I think that would be challenging. So I don't think it's been really common in League, for example. Uh, what are what was the worst or biggest misnarrative that the Riot desks domestically or at Worlds did that either missed the boat or done without the esports eye you two have? Um, I think I've already made mine. Like, assuming we're going recently, I think it is one of the stupidest shoot yourself in the mo- foot moments ever. That you could have a tournament, Monty, in which two of the top teams on opposite sides of the bracket are Faker and his literal protege who went to the other region. And you don't even make that storyline, even when they're in the fucking semi-final. You just don't want... At that point in time, that's the definition of looking a gift horse in the mouth. Like, you just don't <laughs> yep. want to win narratively, mate. You just don't care about this. Uh, it's really hard because... 
I think a lot of, in my experience, there have been a lot of Korean narratives that have been missed out on because they don't, like, the producers just don't know the narratives because they don't watch all the games. And I'm sure it's even more true of China. An example of something you're thinking of? Uh, look, I mean, I've heard a million weird shit like this player doesn't play this champion during the right. broadcast and I'm sitting on the desk and I'm like, they definitely do. And they have and they are quite good at it. And so it's it's like a million things like that because Riot insists on having, uh, you know, pl- casters who are not from regions with these teams cast those matches. And I, I in my experience, there are many mistakes that are made. Uh, you know, ideally, you'd have a caster you know, you'd have a TriCast, you'd have a play-by-play caster, and then you'd have an analyst from each of the team's regions who could knowledgeably talk about them. But because Riot would rather play stupid political power games with casters on their broadcast rather than giving you a good product, you don't get that. Um, I've also said my other favorite joke, because this was a classic one from LEC. When EULCS began, for the first two years, they never shut the fuck up banging on about how fanatic were the season one champs, even though the fanatic that began the EULCS had two players that won the season one championship and two players that lost the season one championship in the same match. So how the fuck does any narrative then work of like, they know what it takes to win? Oh, except for the other half who don't. Like, what are you even talking about now? Like, you just fucking, you ruined that whole narrative, you idiot. Okay, what are your top three favorite cuisines and a must-have dish from each? Okay, mine are probably Thai, uh, Mexican. Maybe like barbecue, American barbecue or something? I don't know, American barbecue. Korean food's probably up there. Japanese food's also pretty close. Probably I like Japanese, maybe. No, I'll do Korean. So I'll do Thai, Mexican, Korean. Thai, uh, Pad Kaprao, which is a uh, street food dish with ground pork and uh, Thai basil. And um, it's very spicy. Fry an egg in the wok on top. Very simple. You can get it in Bangkok, like any street corner. It's fucking so good. Uh, I make it myself. I used to cook in a Thai restaurant when I was in college. So uh, Mexican food. Fucking love Oaxacan food in particular. Mole, black mole, um, especially on like enchiladas. Love that. Uh, and what else would I say? Korean food? I mean, how can you go wrong with fucking samgyeopsal, which is Korean pork belly? Just so good. <laughs> Let me think. What would I go for? So obviously I'll do Korean, but I'm gonna say I'm not going samgyeopsal. I'll go. Basically, actually, pork is my favorite. So galbi or bulgogi pork is the best in my opinion. It goes the best with the spicy marinade. That's one of the best. As I said on past episodes, if you get that, try and get one of those ones where it has the fucking the grate over the top, not the plate, the hot plate. The grate one is the best for cooking the galbi. It makes it really good. That's one. There's Korean. What should I do? I'll do Thai as well. I'm actually a big fan of Thai food. I prefer the ones that are like, um, I like the red spicier curries. So I like nice. the dock one of that, for example. Yeah, Penang. Like, yeah, or like a Penang fa- curry or red curry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was pretty good. good. For sure. I like those ones. Because if people don't know, what I like about Thai food is, it's a curry, so it has spice, but they always pair it with some sort of a fruit that sort of like balances the flavor, you notice, so pineapple or something. They do a really good job balancing out the Thai food. And also Thai food, by the way, mega consistent around the world, I've noticed. Yep. You can get very similar quality. It's not like the Korean food, for example, that's like super up and down around the world. And then the last one, just to fucking meme on y'all, I'll obviously say British cuisine, won't I? And I'll <laughs> I know, you love classic, the roast, man. Classic Dude, roast lamb. Classic roast lamb with mint sauce, Yorkshire pudding. 
beans, roast potatoes, gravy, a little bit of carrots cooked in butter, and then some broccoli that I'm not going to eat, but it's there to look good on the plate, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'm one of those kids I still don't eat to this day, but if I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I like American barbecue too. That's a, it's also a good one. But um, I mean, I, I like so many different kinds of food. I love Moroccan food as well. Like, so if I had to pick Moroccan food, I fucking love lamb tagines with apricot. Because what, what Moroccan does so well is it balances like cumin with, um, you know, dried fruit and nuts inside with the lamb. Fucking so good. Um, I like, I have a tagine. I cook Moroccan food myself. It's great. Do you remember being humbled by someone who you didn't know was more experienced than you? You've got to give a context. What In what context was that? Mean? I mean, I think like you assume you have more experience than them. I mean, I'm sure it's happened to me. I gen I generally don't. Approach. Oh, right. I see. Oh, you mean it's like in life in general, not in yeah, I don't usually I approach people. people. I don't usually approach people in that fashion. So I, I, I don't often assume that I know some more than people I've just met who you know, either I know their reputation or I, I'm not going to assume that I necessarily I'll give you my angle. I'll say I definitely did this loads when I was young because I actually think one of the most dis destructive things that people did in the Western culture was parents and uh, no, sorry, teachers and culture tell children constantly, your parents know nothing. They're just idiots from the last generation who have outdated values and you should just update your values to all the things in school and what everyone's telling you in, in public. Because what that leads to is you think stupid things, which by the way, if you're a young person, listen to this and you go, but that's right, isn't it? You're an idiot, right? If you think because you went to like you or you're like good at maths or at science if you think that means you know more than your like dad or granddad who might just work like a brooklyn you're out your fucking mind they yeah. have decades of life experience and it doesn't matter by the way that you could pass a maths exam what does that help you in life mate that's a very very niche skill yeah. set to have the skill sets you can have from just being alive and being a human being i that's one thing i think as a young person because you, you've never been there, you can't know what you don't know. You can't know how much you're lacking, basically. And you think to yourself, but I'm adult. You're not at all. You're a fucking pleb. You're a beginner. Well, you know, it's it's also, I think, in my life, even when I was a teenager, some of my friends, like my closest friends, were high school dropouts who were who are self-educated and self-taught and, you know, make fuck tons of money now because they, they taught themselves really valuable, like, um, you know, network engineering skills or, or these other things. Uh, so I know a lot of self-educated self people, even though I took a much more traditional educational approach and, you know, went to an elite American liberal arts college and all of this stuff. But I would say many of my friends don't have the same educational background that had just taught themselves. I mean, you're among them, Thorin, right? Um, and I was kind of disappointed, honestly, by my peers at college because they weren't any smarter than other people that I had known, right? So... <laughs> um, I guess I never really go into it with an expectation of somebody like somebody's background makes them better or worse. It's kind of just your own individual motivation. So I, I actually don't really have that experience because I, I don't approach life in that way, I guess would be my answer. Um, question. Yep. If, yeah, guys, I'm sorry. We'll roll the other ones over the next one. Yeah. 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 Right? I, I just have to go. So this is, this is, uh, Three, four you, hours. Don't worry about it. Yeah. If you had to assign percents totaling 100, how would you attribute the falling elements, the general failure of the West on an international stage in League of Legends? Players, coaches, orgs, or infrastructure? Things that are riot's people. fault, such as region locking, format, server location. How in many fucking factors is this? It got four. 10 factors. No, no, no. It's four. four. It's four. It, 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 so it, players, it's coaches, 
orgs yeah. or in infrastructure. So right, things, those are all together. those are things okay. that are Riot's fault. Region locking formats. So okay. honestly, this is an interesting question. I actually think, having seen Overwatch League, that region locking is actually a huge part as to why Western teams are not good. And is when that counted saw, infrastructure? Yeah, that's counted infrastructure. Right, okay. um, because they segmented the leagues, when, when Overwatch League, the Korean teams were really good in Overwatch because there was a high concentration of talent in Korea. But once Overwatch League started and all those Korean players came to NA and they were in one pool of players, we actually saw a lot of Western players improve, be able to even win Overwatch League titles uh, on mixed rosters. And so I, I do tend to think that by siloing the regions, it really affects Western play. I think if Western players were in constant practice environments with LCK and LPL teams, that they would be competitive with those teams. So 50% to infrastructure, <laughs> I would say. Oh, I've uh, done something similar. Shall I tell you what I did? I've, yeah. I've just done my split here. I'm going 60% infrastructure because you included region locking, right? Here's the joke. If you hadn't have told me that, by the way, I would actually say infrastructure is better in any in some regards. Like some Korean teams don't have that great setup of the coaching staff and all the facilities. It's just quite similar to top end things. But if you were doing region locking, that's a massive one. I've always told people the reason in CSGO you can get enormous upsets you cannot get in League of Legends is familiarity. Is that like, yes, it's an upset, but I've played you before. We're all at the same tournaments. Like it just, you're not as scary anymore. You're just a team that's better than me i've played you in the past so i've got familiarity i might even have some ways of beating you and that says yeah there's no good practice yeah exactly so to me there's not the same fear of the unknown of like oh my god i'm playing the korean champions like you played them at the last bloody im event like if they're better than you they're better than you now just get down to trying to beat them half the battle in league of legends is you can't get past the mystique the the aura around those koreans pre-season eight was ridiculous wasn't it like people lost against faker before they even hit the first minion it was ridiculous so i would put infrastructure massive i think that is the majority of it as i say i've always thought you'd have like the best players the capses of the world that's what you've really been robbed of by the way fans yes. do you know how amazing their careers would have been if they were playing the top asian teams every month it would be fucking unbelievable and, and if they were in a practice environment oh, with, be so good wouldn't it yeah with better solo queue and everything like that too i mean na players are bad because the na surfer doesn't have players on it right like if it had three times as many players, the NA players would be much better because the competition well, level gone, of competition you ready? You're going to like this breakdown. I've gone 60% infrastructure. Yep. I'm going to put 30 for players because let's be real, there's not enough good players as you say. Sure. And then just give five each to coaches and org because I think coaches and org are not at all the factor in any way. One, the coaches in Korea and Asia aren't that elite. They just have that insane cultural advantage where people listen to you by default because you're older. Like we don't have that hack. And then in terms of the org... What, is, what fucking org problem is holding anyone back? Like, yeah, you exactly. there, fucking Taipei Assassins won worlds. Like, their org is like fucking, that, that org wouldn't even be in Academy right now. What are you talking about? Like, there's nobody. I mean, Rock Tigers was, you know, challenging for, exactly. for yes. titles in Korea and they had $3, you know, so. Exactly. Uh, yes. And also, honestly, the orgs really do try, in my experience, to yeah, provide they do. They don't do for the players. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's really the orgs or the coaches fault necessarily. Here's the thing though. I would actually include a second, another factor that he didn't. And I would have put a lot into this. I would have put attitude slash mentality. I would yep. have put like a solid amount in that. That's the area I have my biggest concerns. Cause that's the area we could start fixing tomorrow. Hopefully. Yep. All right, guys. Sorry. We didn't get to all your questions. All right. It's just like, we had to run the show later and it's also later on a holiday. And I got, 
I got shit to do with my family. So um, we will not have a show next week, by the way, uh, because their LCS and LEC are on break. Um, so if you guys want to follow LCK, Wolf and I will still do our show on this channel. So you can follow the big uh, T1 Gen G match that way if you so choose. Um, so yeah, that's it. Uh, we will have another show in two weeks time once the LCS and LEC return. Otherwise, enjoy some LPL and LCK games that there'll be other content for that. Thanks a lot.